Oofa. The language used by Curtis Sliwa is replete with spoonerisms, malaprops, and fractured phrases, and is not a reflection of the language that you should use in your normal conversations. It is Sliwanics, and a glossary of its words and definitions are posted on WABCRadio.com. Check this out. On the weekend, Oofa. take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep, and neither does Curtis Lewa. On another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Freddie Mercury, Queen, as uh, Broadway Billy came in back scratching. And as you heard, the voice of uh, Freddie Mercury was actually talking about smoking more marijuana. Smoking more marijuana. Smoking mar- more marijuana. That's exactly what the New York Giants must have been doing in the locker room before they came out into the field against the Philadelphia Eagles. And the reason I'm playing this is because if you had been listening to WABC on Friday, everybody was a so-called sports expert. Let me tell you something. When I want to hear sports, you think I listen to WABC for sports. Come on. The fan does it better. ESPN does it better. I'm not listening to WABC and a bunch of these hipster millennials running around talking about, oh, yeah, man, Jones, Chuck on Barkley, oh, man, tear up the Eagles. It was one voice here, one voice at WABC, a tried and true Giant fan, and I said consistently, the Giants, who I love, will get smashed. Did I not, right, Broadway Bill Lee? Did I not, Avery, right? Said they're going to get smashed. There's just no way. Especially playing in Philadelphia. But, oh, no, no, Sid Rosenberg and all of his friends. Cuckoo, cuckoo, cuckoo. Oh, the Giants got a chair. Oh, yeah, the Giants got momentum. He had this uh, Joe Bingo brain from his days at WFAN, a washed-out right jock. Oh, yeah, oh, Joe, Joe, oh, get out of here. And I very coolly and calmly came on. When I had my opportunities, I had explained historically, under the context of other times when the Giants have been smashed by the Eagles, 
why this same trend would occur. And nobody wanted to listen. We got these podcasts with these heckle and jekylls over here. I don't know if they if they could even be carded to drink or smoke legally in New York. Yeah, we do all these podcasts about sports. Who the hell turns to WABC to listen to sports? Whoever has come up with this strategy, oh, let's do more sports, more sports. I don't listen to WABC for sports, and I've done sports talk radio before. Hello, WABC, Yankee and Met talk, post-post Yankee game talk after John Sterling would finally shut his mouth. And then at ESPN for Tim McCarthy, when I did Met Yankee talk right after your friend, Broadway Bill Lee, Warner Wolf, who was doing mornings on Saturdays. Let's go to the videotape. I got fired from all three jobs. The Curtis Lee was super sports spectacular because, obviously, highly opinionated. But I know something about sports. I think people would give me credit for that, right? Oh, yeah, they got to know something about it. I don't declare to be an expert. But I don't like this. Uh, we're turning WABC into sports updates, sports. Who the hell? I don't listen to WABC for sports. Is there a person out there that oh, I want to find out about the game. I'm going to tune in to WABC. Where the hell has this come from? You, it, who does it better? The fan? Absolutely. ESPN? Yes, that's all they do is sports. We do politics, current events, lifestyle issues. They don't. But, oh, no, oh, 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 sports. Oh, the Giants are going to win. Giants, 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 right? And in a very clear and rational way, trying to get us to talk about the things that we do best that they don't do with the fan or ESPN. It was almost impossible on Friday. There was an orgy. I love, oh, we're going, we're on our way to Phoenix for the feed for the Super Bowl. Not. And then what happened tonight? Smashed. Smashed by the Eagles, 38-7. Wasn't even close. Wasn't even a competitive game. By halftime, you saw the few Giant fans that were in Philadelphia. They were already in their cars heading back to New York City because they didn't want to get killed by the Eagle fans. Those nut jobs. And I'm going to give you a little bit of background here because I'm going to pile on here. For everybody who's trying to turn this into a sports network, a sports station, which we are not. Even when Howard Cosell did updates many, many years ago, we were not a sports station. But I incredibly hear it. Sid, he wants to talk sports. Brian, kill me. They want to talk sports. Guess what, guys? Quit here and go over to the fan and go over to ESPN. I don't want to hear sports here at WABC. And I think I have enough cred after doing this for 35 years that I can say that, right? Because they were all wrong on Friday. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, my Jones, a quarterback. Heisman. He should have won the Heisman at Duke. I mean, this guy, forget. Oh, forget Aaron. Oh, forget. Oh, Brady. Oh, oh, Jones. What the hell are they talking about? What the hell were they talking about? Ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry I'm having to put you through this sports talk ordeal, but I got to get it out of my system. Listening to all these wannabe so-called sports experts turning this station that I so love into sports? Really? I'd like to know one person out there listening right now. We are a global station being heard in 38 states, parts of Canada, a sliver of Europe, right on down to Davy Jones's locker between the Bahamas and Bermuda. Tell me one person who listens to WABC. Oh, for my sports update. We got sports afternoons. 
We got uh, podcasts with sports. I listen to them. I said, these people know nothing about sports. All they do is imitate what they hear on ESPN TV. They know nothing at all. Let's go right to uh, the audio tape here to make my point. It was Sid Rosenberg eating up a lot of talk time on Friday morning. Everything was sports, 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 Giants, Eagles. Oh, Giants, there's hope. Oh, you know, hope lives eternal. The Giants uh, are going to beat the Eagles. No, they're not. And he talked about inviting Eric Adams, Eric Adams, to Rudy's house to watch the Giants versus the Eagles earlier tonight where my beloved Giants got smashed on the gridiron in Philadelphia, as I had predicted. Why don't you ask him about Rudy the next time? <laughs> well, what happened to that dinner? It's, 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 before it's, they've been, they've, I guarantee been very busy. cross my heart and hope to die. The three of us will be sitting there. You, Eric Adams, tell you what, and Rudy I'm Julian. going to Rudy's house on Saturday to yeah. watch the Giants and the Eagles. Mm. I'm going to take Mayor Eric Adams. Yeah, let's, let's invite him. You want to do that? Invite, yeah, 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 yeah. Why don't you do it right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mayor Adams, I'm sure you're listening. Please, come on over. You're oh, invited. I'm sure you will. So Sid starts texting right away because, you know, he's like a metrosexual. I have advised him, uh, Broadway Bill Lee and Avery, not to get into a hot tub with a metrosexual Eric Adams, or both of them may no longer be metrosexuals. They may have verged over to uh, the Man Love Association. But anyway, I digress. So what does it do to show that he's got pool with the mayor? He gets on, he starts texting the mayor, yo, 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 mayor, you got to meet me, man, Saturday night, Rudy's place, big, you know, plasma, 72-inch big screen TV. He's a Giants fan. Andrew Giuliani's a Giants fan. Notice they don't invite me, right? Because I had already said Eagles are going to crush the Giants. Ah, They don't want me there. And Sid, he's going to be, you know, he's going to be there uh, like it's uh, the Ringling Brothers, Barney and Bailey Circus. You know, he's the ringmaster. Swore to everybody that Eric Adams would be there. You knew Eric Adams wasn't going to Rudy's house. And you know this guy doesn't know anything about football. He is sports challenged. All right, that's not why he got elected, but he pretends that he knows sports. And you can tell right away the guy's a fagazi when it comes to sports. So he decides to do a video on the field in Philly. Before the start of the game, you can see the Giants are practicing in the background. The Eagles are practicing in the background. They're warming up before the kickoff, before the toss of the coin, before all of the celebratory, you know, national anthem, uh, Jets, whatever it is they had there. And Eric Adams doesn't realize these are the Philly fans. They don't let you talk. So this guy, with all the modern technology available, he's wired up like a Christmas tree. He's right on the sideline. Why the hell he's on the sideline is beyond me. You know, he's not part of the Giants staff. He knows nothing about football. He never played football. That's understood. But there he is, as if he's the coach of the Giants. He's talking to all New Yorkers, and none of the Philly freaks out there would let him be heard. Listen, this is the one. This is the fifth one. And I'm here with our team. We are going to win this. So he was saying, yeah, we're going to beat the the Eagles today. Crash, Eagles, crash. And we're on to the Super Bowl. Now, this was the curse of of Eric Adams, the jinx. Do you remember Avery, a phone producer, a nighttime producer, who has produced another magnificent hour 
in which we bisect and trisect the Frank Morano show, the funniest hour in all of talk radio, coming up in the 3 o'clock hour because you can't go to sleep. Do you remember how Eric Adams predicted that the Mets would get through the San Diego Padres and be on their way to the World Series? Remember, they crashed and burned. Remember how he predicted that the Yankees would be in the World Series? You know, oh, I'm just like Aaron Judge. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, they got through Cleveland, barely, and then they got just crushed, crushed by Houston, right? And then he gets out onto the field, Link Field in Philadelphia, and doesn't realize he's not going to be heard. And he's trying to uh, sort of pump up the Giants, who you could already see fear in their face. You could already see when they were warming up, they knew they weren't going to win this game. You could just see. In the meantime, Michael Baticic, Rudy, he got rope-a-doped into this by Sid, Mr. Sports Rosenberg. You think we could talk about anything other than sports? And here is Rudy. He understood. He is a fan. He is a Giant fan like me. He understood. He could think. He could analyze. He realized that the Eagles would win. But, oh, he let his heart dictate what he would say. Give us your oh, prediction. <laughs> prediction, Giants, Eagles, who wins on Saturday? I got it. I have to go with the Giants. I just I know it's yes. However, young team. Nobody told them they can lose. They look they look like that uh, last week. They look like a young team, and we're just going to do it needed to win. You know, they may they may be a little bit. Uh, they're not they're not they're not killers, but they're they're terrific uh, in the red zone. So I got to go with them, and I know the Eagles are the better team. But we've beaten better teams before. And the Giants are playing their best football. Oh, my God. Rudy and Andrew drank the Kool-Aid. Wasn't even close. By halftime, all the Giant fans, except for Eric Adams, decided to get out of town before the Eagle fans would hang them from the goalposts. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Don't worry. I'm not going to be sports obsessed. I got to get this out of my system as the only clear thinking individual here at WABC who predicted what transpired on the gridiron. Because I know sports. I'm not an expert. I can't compete with the guys at the fan. But I tell you this, Sid Rosenberg has this yo-yo on uh, Joe, uh, what the hell is his name? Bingo head. Guy who knows nothing about sports. I mean, oh, he was pumping up the Giants. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Jones is looking magnificent. He's on his way. He's on his way uh, to the Super Bowl. Get out of here. Where does Sid find these people, right? He's trying to turn this into a sports network. This is not a sports station. And that was evident by what you saw on the field tonight, if you bothered to watch or if you were listening, or if you were at Frank Morano's house. He had a listening, watching party in which um, you know half the people were out of that house after they got some free beers by halftime. They were out of there. And did Frank Morano invite uh, you, Avery, uh, nighttime producer? Of course not. Did he invite you, Broadway Billy, 40 years? Of course not. But he invited your Italian stallion friend at WCBS-FM, Joe Corsi. Oh, yeah, Joe Corsi. Who's not here at WABC, but you see, he's an Italian stallion. His complexion is his protection in the South Shore. Blacks need not apply at uh, Frank Morano's house, even though everybody he was watching on the field, almost everybody is black, right? Like 80% of the NFL is black. But you weren't good enough to be invited, were you? 
No, 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 Broadway Billy. What, 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 what did he lose the invitation uh, in the email? Avery, he will never invite because Avery cuts him up every week. The funniest hour in all of talk radio, and that will be coming up at the 3 o'clock hour. And then, of course, he doesn't invite me. He didn't invite me to the christening, the baptism for Carmine. He invited me to the wedding, but I wasn't the best man, no, and he set me up, me and Nancy, right opposite the Gottis who had tried to kill me. Yeah, 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 that was nice going there, Frank. And he has a uh, viewing party, which he, he thought was going to lead to the Super Bowl, and I told you not. Tell me, ladies and gentlemen, I didn't, I didn't make the right prediction. The rest of them, they all drank the Giants' Kool-Aid. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And you see what happened? Fate. A pipe burst at the Giants Hotel in downtown Center City. By the way, you wouldn't want to go to Center City. It's Crime City. They've closed down uh, all the Wawa's down in Center City because of all the looting and the boosting and the rioting going on. So they put the Giants downtown in Center City, and the pipes burst. There was no water. Gee, who else's pipes had burst just a few weeks ago? Oh, that's right, Sid Rosenberg out in the Irish Riviera. Out there in the Rockaways, right? His pipes burst. And that's why he's hanging out in a hotel somewhere in Midtown. It's going to take him like six months. Meantime, there's Eric Adams hanging out down on the field as if he is the, the coach of the Giants. And the people with the Grant Public Housing Projects in East Harlem are not going to get gas in their stoves until July. And they're saying, yo, Eric, what's up with that? You in Philly, you know, having your vegan cheesesteaks. Could you even have a vegan cheesesteak? By the way, he was uh, he was betting a vegan cheesecake or cheesesteak. I don't know how it could be a vegan uh, cheesesteak. They don't sell those at Geno's. Uh, against the uh, mayor of Philly, a man of absolutely no consideration. In a bet, claiming that the Giants were going to get by the Eagles and then the 49ers, and then they'd be in the Super Bowl in Phoenix. Not. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And I said it again and again. I also said that Saquon uh, Barkley, would not deliver, even though he's from Pennsylvania, originally a Bronx kid, because he spent his whole week hitting a ping-pong shot in preparation to what he said it allows him to gain focus. He loves to play ping-pong, just like Frank Morano in the basement of the Morano house there in the south shore of Staten Island, where I haven't been invited. Neither has uh, Avery, our uh, nighttime producer, or the great Broadway Bill Lee, 40 years in this business at WCBS-FM, but he invites Joe Corsi. And not the guy who works here at WABC on the weekends. Does that make any sense? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And what did I say, right? I said to everybody, look, these are vicious players and vicious fans. I remember as a kid, I was six years old. I heard it on the radio. I did not watch it on TV. My Uncle Steve was listening. It was the Philadelphia Eagles versus the Giants. And a guy named Concrete Charlie, Bednarik, the linebacker, he had retired the year before, the last two-way player in all of professional football. He played offense and defense. And the coach said, no, I need you to play one more year. One more year, you'll come in off the bench. He came in off the bench. It was towards the end of the game. Frank Gifford had been the MVP in the NFL in 1956. He was like all world. He's running towards the sidelines. 
And Concrete Charlie hits him so hard, Frank Gifford's mother felt it. Legal hit. And he was out of football for two years. We're talking about Hamill and the Buffalo Bills, right? He almost died. But he'll probably play next year. As bad as that was, where he had cardiac arrest, not just once, but twice from the hit. Frank Gifford was out for two years. And everybody back then said, yeah, you don't want to play the Eagles, man. These guys are crazy. And remember, these are the same Eagles I told you, I warned you, at Franklin Field in 1968 halftime. It's against the people, people eaters, purple people eaters, the Minnesota Vikings. 1968, the score was 7-7. There was a little snowpack on the sidelines. And what did the Eagle fans do? The halftime performance was Santa Claus on the sled with the reindeer and the little elves. And the Philadelphia Phillies, Eagles, they're both the same animal, animals. The fans made snowballs and threw it at Santa Claus and knocked them out. Their own Santa Claus, not the Minnesota Vikings Santa Claus. Some guy said, oh, no, it wasn't Franklin Field. It was Veterans Stadium. Don't, don't challenge me when it comes to sports, huh? I remember it was Franklin Field. I remember. In fact, Ed Rendell was in the stands. I remember he was on, I forget whose show he was on. He was recalling that. This is long before he was the uh, district attorney of Philadelphia first and the mayor. Friends with Farrakhan, I might add. A Jewish guy, friends with Farrakhan. How the hell did he do that? And then governor of the state of Pennsylvania. And he talked about, I was in the stands. I couldn't believe our own fans were hitting Santa Claus. And not just with snowballs, but with beer bottles and anything they could pack into the snowballs. (laughs) These are vicious fans. And here's Eric Adams on the side. Oh, yeah, well, no way to the Super Bowl. What a schmuck. What a putz. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But, you know, I conflate things. I don't just stick on sports 24-7-365 like WABC is starting to do, and I'm not liking it. Now I'm going to take you right up the flagpole uh, to the owners and operators, the boss. What the hell? We're not a sports station. Got these young huckleberries running around doing these uh, podcasts about sports. I can't even understand what the hell they're talking about, and I know sports. You really think people listen to those podcasts, really? Come on. Nobody listens. If you want sports, you're going to listen to WABC or you're going to listen to WFAN or ESPN, right? I mean, come on, let's get real. They have the brand for that. We have the brand. Cultural talk, current events, public affairs. Theater of the mind, all the things they can't do, we can do. And what do we end up doing talking about sports and acting like we're experts? Oh, the Giants are on their way to the Super Bowl. Wrong, wrong, wrong. The only one right here at WABC is Curtis Lee, who said, minimally, I didn't go on and on and on about it. No, Giants are going to get smashed. If you didn't hear it Friday morning when I was on with Sid at 7.05, if you didn't hear it on my uh, update every day, Monday through Friday, it's from 12.15 to 1.00. You heard it on Saturday when I was left first this right with Anthony Weiner. I clearly laid out the case of how our beloved Giants would get smashed. I was right. The rest of these folks were wrong, including Rudy, Andrew Giuliani, Sid, let's talk sports, Rosenberg, all these young huckleberries, over-under, fan, dual points. I don't listen to WABC for that crap. Be honest with you, I turn to other stations. I really do. And I love sports. What the hell would I want to listen to sports on WABC? I mean, think about it. WABC. Let's see. 
Spinning Stacks of Wax, top 40 for many, many years. That's right. We're doing it now with entertainment on the weekends. Cousin Brucey, the greatest DJ of all time. Talking current events and politics, going way back to Rush Limbaugh and the king of talk radio, Bob Grant. Hmm. No, no, they were not sports. But now all of a sudden we're going to talk to, to turn this into a sports day. And we're going to do it better than the fan or ESPN. Ha, 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 ha. After all, I, I say, how many times have I said to Broadway, Billy, you and I, we're the most experienced. You 40 years in the business, me 35. The hardest thing is not becoming number one. It's staying number one and keeping focus. What got you to be number one? It wasn't sports. And I get, I, I get a sense now, all of a sudden, it's like sports saturated. Too much testosterone in the room. Trying to turn this into a, a JV for ESPN or for WFAN. When I heard that, Joe Bingo brain, right? Joe Bingo brain. Right? Oh, 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 Giants, oh, they got momentum. I can see them being a Jonesy quarterback. I'm saying, where the hell did they find this guy? What did they find him out there? A detox clinic there on 40th and 8th Avenue, you know, Hamburger Hill right outside the Port Authority. Where the hell did they find these guys? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. But you know what it reminded me of historically, because I conflate the sports with the politics. You may have remembered there was the interpretation that there was a man. He wasn't a politician. He was a doctor. In fact, his father was a doctor on Park Avenue in Manhattan. And at a very young age... They, like other Democrat, liberal progressives, like before them, Bernie the Altacaca Sanders, who had gone to Madison High School, they moved to Vermont, their haven, and he became governor, Governor Howard Dean, and he was going to try to become president of the United States. Remember Howard Dean? It was 2004, the Howard Dean scream that rally. He emitted a noise that it sounded like it was a chortle. And all of a sudden, Dean was seen as the candidate of the left, and it was the only Democrat who openly criticized the Iraq war in his campaign for the party's nomination. And all of a sudden, he was on his way to the White House. You know something? You know something? If you had told us one year ago that we were going to come in third in Iowa, we would have given anything for that. And you know something? You know something? Not only are we going to New Hampshire, Tom Harkin, we're going to South Carolina and Oklahoma and Arizona and North Dakota and New Mexico. We're going to California and Texas and New York. And we're going to South Dakota and Oregon and Washington and Michigan. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. Sounded just like Sid Rosenberg and all the wannabe sports guys here. We're on our way to the Super Bowl. The Giants on our way to the... No, not, not. Although it reminds me of the riff that Dave Chappelle did on the Howard Dean scream. Remember how everybody said, yeah, he's a doctor. You know, he's going to know about Medicaid. He's going to know about Medicaid. He's going to know how to provide health care for all. He's a Democrat. He's a liberal. He's a progressive. And then Dave Chappelle did the perfect riff on his show of a black guy imitating the whitest of all white people, Howard Dean of Vermont. You know something? We're not just going to go to New Hampshire, Tom Harkin. We are going to go to New York. We're going to go to Vermont. 
We're going to go to Oregon. We're going to go to Pittsburgh and Pennsylvania. We're going to Cancun for spring break. We're going to go to Montreal. We're going to Vancouver. I'm going all over the world. And then I'm coming all the way to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. Remember, it was the week between the Iowa Caucasoid caucuses and the New Hampshire primary. And it was a gift for everybody who wanted deep six Howard Dean. At that moment, that night, remember, oh, he's on his way to the White House. Reminded me Friday, listening to the chorus here, led by Sid Rosenberg. Then he had that idiot on, Joe uh, Bingo Brain from the fan. Then he had Andrew, sickle fan of the Giants, Rudy, sickle fan of the Giants, then he had these young huckleberries, right, with FanDuel, uh, Macedonia Phil, and all that tribe who know nothing at all about sports. They know nothing about the past, you know, Eagles versus Giants. And, oh, yeah, Giants, you got momentum, you got passion. Oh, oh Jones, your quarterback. Oh, my God, Jones. Forget Y.A. Tittle. Forget Fran Tarkington. Forget Phil Sims. It's going to be Jones. I said to myself, really? Really? Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. It's another side of midnight. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Yeah, it could have been Eric Adams on the field, Link Field in Philly, singing this song, right? He knows nothing about the Giants. And the crowd drowned him out. Couldn't even hear him as Eric Adams, right before the kickoff, said, Yeah, Giants are going to crush the Eagles today. We're going to hang tough. And we're going on to the Super Bowl in Phoenix. What happened to the Kansas City Chiefs, the San Francisco 49ers, huh? The Cincinnati Bengals. This guy doesn't know anything about football. Meantime, you got juvenile delinquents shooting one another all over the city, stabbing one another, committing crimes, shoplifting, boosting, and no gas in the Grant Housing Project still July. And they're saying, that was the man doing in Philly. Get your ass back here to East Harlem. Hey, man, blinded by the lights. Coach, Coach Adams reporting for duty. Saquon Barkley. I've been playing ping pong all week with Frank Morano. Oh, that. You know and I know that it's all about the swagger. <laughs> 
the jinx of Eric Adams in full effect. He predicted the Mets would go on to the World Series. They got crushed by the San Diego Padres. He predicted the Yankees, Aaron Judge, would be in the World Series, crushed by Houston. And the curse of Eric Adams was cast upon the New York Giants. You could see, just warming up, man, they had fear in their eyes, man. They had fear. You could see that. I mean, you see that in fighters when they get in the ring. Somebody's too worked up. They're sweating too much. That guy is afraid of the other guy. He's not even going to last the round. You can tell. I mean, come on, Eric Adams. You're not a sports guy. Let's be honest. Come on. Stick to your lane. The worst thing in the world is when guys know nothing about sports. And they act like they do. And then they're just going to end up getting tongue-tied. Because you ask them one question and you know right away. Not... Anyway, let's go to Sammy and Howard Beach. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Sammy. Yeah, Happy New Year, Curtis. Haven't spoken to you in a while. A um, couple of things. You know, you're talking, you know, something that I didn't expect, although I know how you feel, that you broached the subject about your personalities talking sports. But even worse is when you have a report about a game that will take place, and it's reported at 8 o'clock in the morning, and they're still playing at 8 o'clock at night when that game may have been played, and it's not changed. <laughs> and you get a guy like Mike Dodino, who thought he was an odds maker too. And, you know, <laughs> quite honestly, he wouldn't know a box in one from a hole in one. And, I, I got to tell you, know, you Sammy, you, you, you hit the sweet spot. We are not a sports station, Sammy. I mean, it's good to help young people who want that as a career, but you don't listen to WABC for sports, do you, Sammy? Are you are you actually paying these people? Well, let's just say they're interns. They're learning, Sammy. You know, we're giving them an opportunity, but you're right. We're, we're giving not- them an opportunity, but it's really not helping them because they're terrible, and they're not learning from real pros. They're learning, you know, from fanatics. Not guys that know the business in and out. Oh, see, that's that's the perfect. Dino is the worst. That's the perfect term. They are sports fanatics. They're fans. They don't do the analytics. They don't really study. They let their heart lead instead of their head. You know, because a guy like you, Sammy, you got to give them the facts. You can't give them all emotion because you're not going to go for that. You got money on the line, man. It's it's hard to earn money. When you're going to put money out there on the table, whether it's legal or illegal on sports action, you can't go with your heart. You got to go with the facts. I, I totally understand, Sammy. I, I, I understand. He's right. I do not listen to WABC for sports. I don't know why we have so much sports. I've mentioned this a number of times. It goes in one ear and out the other. We're starting to sound like a freaking sports station. And I can tell you, I love sports. I followed sports. I've done sports talk radio for WABC and for ESPN. We cannot compete with a fan, and we cannot compete with ESPN. They do it better. That's all they do. We do what they don't better than anybody else. Why would you want to do something else when we're the best at what we do, number one, right? Well, watch. Becoming number one was difficult. You, you've been there before, Broadway Billy. Staying number one is the most difficult because everybody has attention deficit disorder. Oh, we can do this. We can do this. We can do podcasts. We can do videos. No. Stay focused on what we do. 
and do it as good as we can do and stop all of this razzmatazz, hey, we're sports. We're not sports. Is there anybody out there, please, is there anybody who actually tunes into WABC to hear sports? I mean, let's be perfectly honest. I'll be perfectly honest also. I'm in a car. I got to get somewhere. You think I'm listening to WABC for traffic? Come on. Come on. Really? Have you, you think I'm listening to WABC for traffic? When WINS and WCBS AM do it better. I mean, they act like people don't know. People listen to radio their whole life. They know where to go. You know where to go. Bing, 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 bing. Get my traffic, get my sports. And then I want to hear politics. I want to hear talk about culture. I want to talk. I want to hear talk about things that are going on that impact my life. Sports does not. Traffic can. Because if you're late, you could be fired. Our number's 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Mark all the way in West Virginia. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mark. Uh, hey, Curtis, do you think Sid is going to bring everybody back on the show Monday morning that he had on Friday? And do you know a really good restaurant that knows how to serve up crow? <laughs> You're right. And I'm going to start with the Giuliani's, you know, who 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 weren't in their lane. They all they all of a sudden they're sports experts, all of them, right? They're all all of a sudden sports experts. Yes, so prediction, <laughs> prediction: Giants, Eagles. Who wins on Saturday? I got it. I have to go with the Giants. I just said I know it's yes. Uh, however, they Rudy, 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 stay in your lane, right? Right, right, Mark. Could Rudy have been any more hopelessly wrong, right, Mark? There you go. Now, let me mention to you a blast from the past, Mark. How old are you, Mark? I'll be 61 this year. Uh, did you ever follow the Giants um, way back in the 60s, 70s? It might have been a little too early for you. Yeah, it was. There was a middle linebacker, tough. And he would face, on the other side, Jim Brown of the Cleveland Browns, probably one of the greatest athletes of all time. I mean, he could do it all. Plus, he's one of the greatest lacrosse players as an African-American guy from Long Island, one of the greatest of all time. And Sam Huff would look across that line behind Dick Modulesky, Andy Robustelli, Rosie Greer, Dick Katkavich, and he would track Jim Brown. And the coach would say, wherever Jim Brown goes, you go. Do you know where Sam Huff was from? No. Where are you calling from? I'm in uh, Jesse, Jesse, West Virginia. You have tough guys in West Virginia, Mark? Well, uh, you know, I mean, you get some get some players up for uh, WVU, uh, but I don't, I'm, 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 I don't follow it really. No, no, and you're being honest. You're being honest because you don't listen to WABC for sports, right? No, 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 no. Do you do you think anybody listens to WABC for sports? <laughs> After Friday, I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what assholes they made of themselves on Friday, right? Uh, I hope they're all hungry Monday morning. That's right, they eat that crow. crow. And, and, and let me tell you something. 
they will come on and they will do a spin like you won't believe instead of just acknowledging, saying, you know, we made fools of ourselves on Friday. We really know nothing at all about sports. People don't really listen to us for sports. We really need to get back to the meat and potatoes of what we do and talk about current events, talk about cultural issues, political issues, and the news of the day, right? Yeah, well, I mean, you know, then you got, I mean, them boys Friday. I mean, how long does it take to beat a dead horse to death? <laughs> I mean, it doesn't make, it doesn't make no sense. <laughs> well, because. I mean, that's, that's all they could talk about for three hours. Yeah, because, Mark, when you don't have anything to talk about, you talk about stuff that people are not interested in. You understand? Because to talk about those other things, you really got to work. You really got to put your time in. And that's not what they were doing. So you understand? They were just what I call chewing up talk time on yeah, sports. Well, yeah. And it was obvious they didn't know what the hell they were talking about. And then Sid brings on this guy, Joe Bingo Brain. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's like... You know, I've 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 been in these sports stations. I see it's all bluster, you know. And then when they lose, as significantly as the Giants got crushed tonight, and I was the only one to predict that, they're yeah. never going to acknowledge that they were wrong. Well, there you go. But uh, <sighs> Monday, I'll be listening tomorrow morning. Oh, I'm on seven oh five on Monday, and you know. I am going to take it to Sid and all of his young whippersnappers, all of them who think that they're sportsmeisters when they know nothing at all about sports. Well, I'll be, I'll be, uh, I'll be listening, and I'm anticipating the three o'clock hour tonight mm. because you got a lot of good material all week long. Let me tell you something. See, that's what Avery focuses on. Now he knows sports. But he chooses not to focus on sports because he knows people don't listen to WABC for sports. They listen for his commentary on the Frank Morano, the other side of midnight, everything that Frank has said during the week, right? Well, you, you, wait, you wait for that Sunday mornings, right? Don't you, Mark? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, but I think, I think uh, well, you know, here's something that I was thinking about. You know, if you got a little authority there at the radio station. And you get one of them interns that all he does is get a counter. And every time uh, Frank Morano says, I, me, myself, click it. <laughs> and see how many times he he's all the time referring back to himself. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, man, what the heck? <laughs> he was, and you're out there in West Virginia and you can pick this up, right? Oh, a blind, a blind man can see this. Yep, oh. yep, yep, yep. Oh, no, don't say blind. My wife has been temporarily blind. Well, this year. Yeah, my yeah. apologies. Yeah, well, uh, you know, it's okay. It's okay. I give you dispensation because you're so right on. So here it is, another listener who listens all the way from West Virginia. By the way, how do you listen to us, uh, uh, Mark? I, I got the uh, little smart box. Good, good. This is This is excellent. And you listen to us, even though you have other things that you could listen to, right? Oh, well, yeah. I love music, but, you know, well, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to learn how to play a guitar, but, well, that ain't going no, too good. Stick with WABC. I promise, Mark, I will fight the fight. I will go into battle for what we do best, which is political talk radio, talk about culture, talk about issues, 
that affect real people, not just sports, that affect gamblers. The reason they talk about sports is because they are degenerate gamblers, Mark. You know that. I mean, I can say it. You can't. I can. They are gamblers, all these young huckleberries. Said everybody, because you hear the point spread over on the, no, average fan isn't interested in that. But they got money on the game. So that's why, that's their passion. Well, guess what? My passion is WABC for what we are, not sports. I'm, I'm going to war against them. I'm going to war against them. West Virginia. Let's see if our listeners out there know one of the greatest middle linebackers of all time, Doggin, Bird Doggin, Jim Brown. Who was he? What state was he from? Hmm. Well, tough question there, right? <laughs> Let me hear that. We got them listening from all over the world. We're a global network. Not known for sports. That's not why people listen to WABC. Sorry. Let's send out a survey to all of our listeners, right? Uh, why do you listen to WABC? You think anybody checks the sports box? I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, let's get real here. You really? I, oh, I listen to WABC for being wrong on sports. Every heckle and jekyll here Friday. Oh, the Giants, they're on their way to the Super Bowl. Except for who, Curtis? And I didn't say it often, right? It was very humble because I'm embarrassed. I'm a Giant fan, but. I had to be honest, man. I said we were going to get smashed. We got smashed. That's it. I was ready to just move on until I see all this texting and this tweeting. and Oh, my God. And I'm like, it's over, guys. It's over. The Giants sucked earlier tonight in Philly. It's that simple. It should be all of five seconds. We were wrong on Monday, right? They should come back, Avery. They should come back, Broadway Billy, say, we were wrong. Sorry, we talked about this stupid game for three hours that everybody knew the Philadelphia Eagles were going to win. Sorry, we... Give us your prediction. (laughs) (laughs) Prediction, Giants, Eagles, who wins on Saturday? I got it. I have to go with the Giants. I just... I know it's... Yes. Rudy, stick to your lane. Baseball, yeah. Yankees. You're not Giants. Rudy, come on. Andrew, his son, no, sorry. Sid, no. The, all, the, all those young huckleberries there with all these podcasts about sports, I listen. I say, they know nothing about nothing when it comes to sports. But, hey, I bite my tongue. Right? I bite my tongue. We do talk sports sometimes, like this Tom Brady should be in jail with his wife, the Brazilian bombshell Bunchen, who is in Costa Rica with a threesome. They were all swimming out there in the ocean while their kids were on the beach. A threesome! And they ripped off millions of dollars. And they told everybody out there, invest in FTX SAM coins, which turned into scam coins. And they walked away with millions of dollars. And Tom Brady shouldn't be giving a last game, you know, press conference. Should I come back? Shouldn't I come back? The question is, what federal penitentiary should he be in? And his former wife, Bunchim, who seems to be in a threesome on the beach in Costa Rica with the kids watching from the beach. Freaks! 1-800-848-9222. 
This is Another Side of Midnight with Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. I'm not a juvenile delinquent. No, 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 no. So Eric no, Adams is no, off in no, Philadelphia no, no, acting like he's the coach for the Giants. No, the crowd not letting him speak. Meantime, we got teenagers shooting each other up all over the streets in New York City, stabbing them up. No stop and frisk of juvenile delinquents, which should be the case. And he's out there in Philadelphia. Should have known that the Giants were going to get smashed by the Eagles, but he knows nothing at all about sports. And quite frankly, we proved as a station, other than for myself, and we knew nothing about sports. We ate up three hours of talk time on uh, Friday morning. And we bring in this retread from WFAN, what, Joe Bingle brain, because he was a friend of Sid Rosenberg years ago. What is he, uh, you know, does he go to a rehab center around here? I don't know. The hell, that guy was off. I asked, the, you see, you know we don't have a sports crowd. I asked a simple trivia question that nobody got, including our caller from West Virginia, but at least he acknowledged he was not a sports guy. Let's see uh, if uh, Billy in Rockland County has an idea of what I was hinting at, Billy. Yeah, Sam Hoff is from West Virginia, isn't he? That's right, and that's where the caller was from, right? Yeah, I mean, you got to know Sam Hoff. Oh, but it was great. I remember as a kid, Jim Brown, no doubt. Probably, I think, the greatest player ever to play football. I mean, the guy was just everybody focused on him. You had to stop him to stop the Cleveland Browns. And here's Sam yeah. Huff. He's told, you got one job. Put your telescope up, your periscope up, and you just follow Jim Brown wherever he goes. It was one of the best mano-mano, one-on-one performances you would ever see in the gridiron. But I always had to hand it to Jim Brown. He, he'd have like 10 guys keying up on him, and somehow he would find a crease. He knew he was coming. Yeah. And, I mean, he took a beating. A beating. Yeah. He was smart, too. He got out ahead of the game, you know? Yeah, he Before did. He became a coming. big movie star, but a total degenerate. Remember, he threw a, uh, a white woman off a balcony uh, in Cleveland when he was the Cleveland Brown, uh, you know, Mr. All-Everything. He got away with that. He owned a Modell. Yeah. From Brooklyn. A Brooklyn boy covered it up. up, Yeah, and then he raped a black woman in Hollywood Hills with a a a stick and oh it's horrific and people just made excuses for his aberrant behavior. Almost like an OJ scenario, except he didn't kill them. Because he was get away with it in Hollywood, right? Yeah, and plus he was uh, just a great athlete. I mean uh, uh, I'll give you I'll give you credit, Curtis. You don't know the, the games that much, but you know the players. Like, you know who's for real and you know who's a fraud. You know? yeah, and by the way, Billy, since you are a sportsmeister, if you had to listen to sports, are you going to be listening to sports at WABC? I'm telling you, I'm not going to mention those other stations' names, but they have gone way downhill in the recent past. They're not what they used to be. I, I agree. I was a big listener to them. I agree. I was a big fan of everything they used to have. You know, the guy, Joe Beningo, you're killing him, but he did a good job. Hey, bingo, okay, wait, wait. Did you listen to him on Friday? Bingo brain. Oh, yeah. uh, uh, the guy, he, he did a good job when he was on the air. Joe Barkley. Get out of here. Billy, what are you talking about? You're drinking the Kool-Aid. It's a retread. 
Yeah, yeah, but that was then. This is now. We're the number one news talk station in the nation. We're being heard well, globally. They, listen, you guys are the best around. Hear. You know why? Because there's no traffic updates. Oh. It's very little. Oh. I can't stand traffic updates. I hate them. Yeah, and, and by the way, little... by the way, Billy, if you had to get a traffic update, if you had to, because everybody uses their global positioning. Uh, system nowadays right you want real traffic you you do your own global positioning are you going to be listening to wabc for traffic billy really and i'm not going to listen to the other stations either so yeah you use your gps yeah i mean i i don't understand this this is this is crazy this is elementary 101 radio. People listen to WABC, not for traffic, not for sports. They listen to it for the news, current events, cultural events, life events, and politics. WABC, traffic and transit. <laughs> Why would I be listening to WABC or any radio station for traffic? I have what's called a GPS. Oh, my, my, my. this is like elemental. Again, ladies and gentlemen, I, I, I can say this because I've been doing this for 35 years. You know, the toughest thing is to become number one. No, it's to stay number one. And now we're doing all these things, all these side things that are going to take away from us being the number one station in the nation. I'm telling you, I see it. Three hours talking sports? When I already knew we were going to get crushed, I would have spent all of five minutes. Hey, you know, you want to watch the game on Saturday, it's fine. But we're going to get crushed. On to the next subject. And watch, on Monday, it'll be another three hours. Oh, well, you know, I was off by half a point, and, you know, on FanDuel, and uh, they gave me a point, and, you know, the spread was this, and the over-under. Hey, you're a degenerate gambler. You're not going to be listening to WABC, and I'm telling you, we got a lot of degenerate gamblers here at WABC. My eyes know, excuse me, my eyes and ears know what I see and hear. When I hear sports here, WABC, and it's about gambling. Check this out. On the weekend, take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep, and neither does Curtis Lewa. On another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. I have one thing to say. You better work.
three snaps up. George Santos. Yeah, on the runway. Three snaps up. Three snaps up. Drag queens. George Santos. Soon to be seen on RuPaul's Drag Race. With Rand Paul smoking reefer. And Ron Paul wondering, what the hell is this country come to? What a laughing stock this guy has made, Republicans. And some of you are hanging on to this guy. For what? For what? Let me hear it. Do it, Rue. <laughs> Sixteen, vying to become Miss Drag Queen of Rio de Janeiro, George Santos, who goes by many different aliases. You know, it could be uh, like uh, Matt Blaze with all of his aliases. Who knows? But anyway, here's a guy. You don't know what the hell his name is. Anthony Sobrowski, Anthony Devolder. George Santos, and he insisted, I am not a drag queen. I was never a drag queen. But look, there are all these videos out there of you three snaps up in your six-inch stiletto heels with your wig on, wearing mascara, eyelids, rouge. Oh, yeah, a little bit of lipstick. And your hose that you're putting on, I didn't say hose, I said hose, that was ripped. And that's you, George Santos, that's you. So finally, as if you didn't know he was already lying, he's lied about everything. He's getting off for LaGuardia. You know, he's taking the shuttle from Washington, D.C., and all the reporters are waiting for him because they know he's coming that way. Why do you think they know he's coming that way? Because they're letting them know this guy it's like in an orgasmastic frenzy of attention. He's loving every second of it. Republicans got to cut him loose. He's destroying, destroying the image of this party. So lion, George Santos, finally admitted to dressing up as a woman in the past. No, he denied he was a drag queen. I'm talking to reporters at LaGuardia Airport on Saturday. He was using the Rudy Giuliani defense. <laughs> Remember, Rudy dressed as a woman on Saturday Night Live. And then the inner circle, which is once a year, the reporters uh, roast the mayor. And then the mayor gets back at them by midnight at night. And Rudy came out dressed like a woman. Ed Koch had been dressed like a woman with all kinds of birds on his head. You know, this goes way back to the birth of TV, Milton Berle and Geraldine. Remember who was Geraldine? Uh, we talked about it a little bit last night, remember? I mean, these were shows that kids were watching. How many of them decided after watching that, I'm going to go into Mommy's closet and put on Mommy's dress and Mommy's pumps and Mommy's bloomers instead of my BVD or Fruit of the Looms? Which is stopping already, and now George Santos, who's hooked up with a far-right contingent 
of the Republican Party who hate drag queens, especially when they have drag queen reading hour at a library near you for children and grandchildren. He turns out to be a drag queen. But he's not a drag queen. He says, no, 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 I, 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 yeah, yeah, you got me. I, I dressed as a woman. I felt comfortable as a woman. I found my real identity. I was experimental, he said, at 16. You know what it's like when you were 16. No, George. I was sleeping with my baseball glove when I was 16. (laughs) What can I do? What can I do? I was not putting on my mommy's pumps or her bloomers or her Playtex bra. I can assure you of that. What's the matter with you? So he, he spends an hour there at LaGuardia Airport. Actually, with a straight face, telling the reporters, I dressed up as a woman often, but I was not a drag queen. No, I was not a drag queen in Brazil, guys. I was young and I had fun at Carnival. Sue me for having a life, but I was never and would never be a drag queen. And my name was not Katera even though there are dozens and dozens of videos out there that have circulated that are George Santos in drag, right? And yet there are still some Republicans holding on, holding on. We got we to gotta keep them there. McCarthy, he only has like three seats in which he can remain Speaker of the House. I mean, we got to get... No, you don't. You don't have to keep... He's got to go. I was at the Lunar... Parade today, Lunar New Year Parade of the Asian Community and Flushing Pact. Great response to Republicans. Oh, yeah, whereas in past years, you could forget about it. Republicans were like Prasanna Nongrada. And you know who was asked to come up on the reviewing stand? Would never have been asked before. Republican Lester Chang, who is the first Asian Republican state senator to serve in Albany, and he has not been booted out. And now all of a sudden, Republicans are being treated equally with Democrats because the community is up for grabs. They're free agents. They're no longer in the back pocket of any party. You shouldn't be in the back pocket of any party. I tell you at the beginning of the show, you hear it. I say, look, I don't trust any politicians. You as voters should be free agents. Don't believe anybody's propaganda. Listen for yourself. Come to your own determinations. That's what the Chinese-American and Asian-American communities are doing now, which makes it a lot tougher for elected officials or those running for office to come and bullfeather you because now you're holding them accountable. And what do you think was the number one question that I was asked by some people who couldn't even fully speak English yet because, you know, they mostly spoke Mandarin or Cantonese. They were asking me about the guy who dresses up as a woman in Long Island. They said, one thing Santos. You oh, my God. Whatever floats your boat, that's great. <laughs> All during the parade. Chinese, remember, I was the first mayoral candidate ever to win the Asian-American vote, the Chinese-American vote. Lee Zeldin then ran a year later for governor, won the vote also. He wasn't there today. I had to be the sponge. All the Asian-Americans, Chinese, Curtis, Curtis, what's up with that guy who's dressed like a drag queen? That's the Republican conservative congressman in Long Island. I said, man, he's got to go. He's got to go. 
And then, marching with me at some point, after Lester Chang had joined us from the reviewing stand, when I say us, I mean the Guardian Angels, well, we had, like, prime time position. We were the number three group. All the elected Democrats were in front. Idiots. Asian Americans, Chinese, they almost didn't know anyone, except for the schmuck to putz Chuck E. Cheese Schumer. But the others, they had no idea who they were. We rocked the house. And then all of a sudden, Vicky Palladino comes out to me. She's the councilwoman representing many people who happen to be Chinese and uh, Asians up in Bayside and Whitestone and College Point. And I said, Vicky, it's time to cut all ties with this George Santos. This is an absolute embarrassment. The guy today is saying, oh, yeah, I was not a drag queen, but I dressed up as a woman many, many, many times. I mean, this is this is what you should. This is what the Democrats are going to do to embarrass the Republicans even more. They're going to invite George Santos to come to a library in their community and to do drag queen reading hour for children and grandchildren. You watch, and George will show up. He'll say, "Yeah, three snaps up. How much do I get paid?" Linda, yeah. Word, Naomi, she is Christy, She said George Santos into a bar of horny men. All dialed up, right? Watch them break that bed at night. He must be what? You know, he must be like 280 pounds now. Three snaps up, George, yeah! What a disgrace. Yeah, working girl. Three snaps up, George. This is what I would do for George Santos. I would say, George, now that he has an office opened up in Douglaston, the old Tom Swazi office, two people in there, two schmucks. I'd say, George, do yourself a solid. You got shoelaces. You got a belt. Go in the back room. Do us all a favor, right? I mean, come on. Just take yourself out, man. <laughs> Go ahead. I'll turn the other way. You know, you'll be hanging there. Don't worry. I won't cut you down. I mean, seriously, come on now. I still see people, oh, yeah, but he's our liar. You know, Biden, look, they found six more uh, documents, you know, top secret confidential documents after searching his mansion in Delaware. Yeah, yeah, well, that's their liar. We got our liar. I have one thing to say. What's that, George you Santos? Work. Yeah. But do we have a liar who is in Carnival? Do we have a liar who is on a float? Do we have a liar who was actually vying to become Miss Drag Queen of Rio de Janeiro? I came out of the closet recently. Could be Frank next. After his uh, his uh, football watching party tonight, you know, all the people did over there was come for the beer before the kickoff and said, I'm out of here. Giants are going to get crushed. I was listening to Curtis. But anyway, I digress. So. You know, there's a love affair here. This is the other thing here at WABC, right? You got Frank Morano on the worst side of the other side of midnight who talks about listening to Howard Stern, right? And then a guy in the morning, Sid Rosenberg, this like idolatry, adulation of Howard Stern. Right? Oh, Howard Stern. Are you kidding, man? This is not the old Howard Stern. 
I want you to listen to Howard Stern claiming that George Santos is compassionate. Yeah, yeah, the, the, the guy that Sid Rosenberg adores, the Frank uh, Morano adores. Listen to him. I'd want you to call me if you were feeling suicidal. Um, mm. Wow, I'm kind of, did, did, he, did he do any of the Jewish prayers over you? <laughs> they say uh, Santos uh, lied about his mom dying on 9-11. I, I read that somewhere again. I, I don't know. I mean, that's as low as you can go, but uh, uh, that's a very lovely story. So, uh, you know, I guess uh, in painting the picture of this guy, we're going to give him a nice check mark on that story because it's very compassionate. That was Howard Stern, the one that Sid Rosenberg adores, Frank Morano adores. Could I have some more of my RuPaul, please? Because, you know, on behalf of George Santos, who claims now he's not a drag queen, he just dresses like a lady. Could I hear it, please? I have one thing to say. Put George to work. work. Oh, wait a second. Is it George? Is it Anthony DeVolder? Is it Anthony Zabrowski? Which one is it? I think it's drag race. The future for George Santos, a man who likes to dress like a woman, as he admitted at LaGuardia Airport hours ago, but is not a drag queen. On the runway, George Santos. Oh, my God, this is so embarrassing. I told Vicky Palladino, you got to cut all ties. This is, I mean, every day it's something else. Every day. Yeah, but they got Joe Biden. But no, no, no. This is a stain on every Republican, every conservative. Do you realize the next time there's an election cycle? This is my prediction, Avery, our nighttime producer, and to uh, Broadway Billy and everyone listening out there. Every Democrat running for office will have a picture, a silhouette of their opposition uh, candidate, who's a Republican and conservative, and they'll have uh, uh, stamped onto it the picture of George Santos. They're going to be running against George Santos everywhere. We got to take him out. Maybe we got to kidnap him and get him the hell out of here. And yet I still hear some Republicans, conservatives, yeah, well, you know, Joe Biden lies. Yeah, yeah, we know that. (laughs) But, I mean, Biden is bad. But George Santos, it's every freaking day. And what is the guy, 32 years old? 34, 36, who knows if his name is even George Santos, Anthony DeValder, Anthony Zabrowski. My God, we got to get rid of this guy. Oh, 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 then, then it's Eric Adams. Eric Adams is like the only Democrat now who says that he will work. I don't know if he's going to work the runway because he likes to go to Fashionista show. Can you imagine Eric Adams saying, yeah, do it, George, three snaps up. Shut up! He's the congressperson that represents parts of the city and even in the state. There are things we need uh, in the state, and also there are things we're going to need. We're going to need votes on the federal level. So until it's determined that he no longer should serve, right now his name is congressman. And we are going to, we're not leaving any stone unturned on who we should be sent down with uh, to make sure New Yorkers get the resources that they need. It's like, what are you talking about, Eric Adams? The guy's got to go. Could I hear Howard Stern again? Because, you know, there's this uh, worship, this idolatry for Howard Stern. 
here at WABC. Instead of talking about our tradition, you know, Rush Limbaugh, the king of talk radio, Bob Grant, we got the guy in the morning talking about Howard Stern. We got the guy overnight talking about Howard Stern. They listen to Howard Stern instead of listening to WABC. Listen to Howard Stern make excuses and feel sympathy and empathy for the liar of every moment of the day. Three snaps up. I dress like a lady, but I'm not a drag queen, George Santos. I'd want you to call me if you were feeling suicidal. Um, mm. Wow, I'm kind of... Did, did he did he do any of the Jewish prayers over you? <laughs> They say uh, Santos uh, lied about his mom dying on 9-11. I, I read that somewhere again. I, I don't know. I mean, that's as low as you can go. But yeah. uh, uh, that's a very lovely story. So, uh, you know, I guess uh, in painting the picture of this guy, we're going to give him a nice check mark on that story Thank because you. it's very compassionate. What the hell is he talking about? And you people listen to how it started? Ever since they cold-busted him... Broadway, Bill Lee and Avery dropping the N-bomb, right? White people can't do that. You know, remember, one time Slim Shady Eminem did it, right? Dr. Dre had to save him from all the brothers. Oh, he didn't mean it. I smacked that out of him. But remember, there was in the summer of 2020, right, at the time of the protests about the, the killing of Floyd in the streets of South Minneapolis, these uh, tapes surfaced of Howard Stern, uh, dropping the N-bomb on his program years ago, and even Robin Quivers, his, his partner, saying, stop it, stop it. And he realized, uh-oh, uh-oh, this whole thing of mine may be gone. And then all of a sudden, he hated Trump after loving Trump. He embraced the Democrats. He became a Bidenite. And then he said stupid things like you just heard him say about George Santos. Again, this is the man that Sid Rosenberg listens to. This is the man that our own Frank Morano listens to as if he's Jesus Christ speaking when he knows nothing about nothing. It's over for him. I'd want you to call me if you were feeling suicidal. Um, mm. Wow, I'm kind of... Did, did he did he do any of the Jewish prayers over you? <laughs> they say uh, Santos uh, lied about his mom dying on 9-11. I, I read that somewhere again. I, I don't know. I mean, that's as low as you can go. But yeah. uh, uh, that's a very lovely story. So, uh, you know, I guess uh, in painting the picture of this guy, we're going to give him a nice check mark on that story Thank because you. it's very compassionate. Well, are you smoking drugs? <laughs> you talking about howard you're compassionate sympathetic for this guy of course because democrats want him to stay in office they want him to remain the republican conservative congressman congress lady non-binary whatever he chooses to call himself of the third congressional district which includes suffolk nassau county north shore and whitestone and then the nebishy schlubby guy who wants to run whenever it's over for George Santos. He had his opportunity. He runs a PR agency. He is hid now twice behind Joan Hamburg, who has never done political interviews. She did it for the first time a half hour with a guy named Zimmerman. Nebishy, schlubby, a pisher, a schmendrick. 
And even Cindy Adams. Oh, no, no. Robert Zimmerman. Oh, no. He, he, he didn't know. He didn't know. He didn't. And listen to Robert Zimmerman, who was, uh, given interview after interview talking about how evil George Santos is. But he had all the information. He had all the information and he never said boo. Our campaign as we were just starting for the general election without funds, without resources, was not in a position to send a team to Brazil to check out his background. We weren't in a position to hire a genealogist to check out his Jewish ancestry. Would you stop moaning and groaning and complaining? He's like a real male yenta, you know? He's like, oh, he's kvetching, kvetching. Let me tell you something. Robert Zimmerman had debates with George Santos twice for that congressional run. George Santos showed up. He never once brought any of this up. He never once had a press conference brought anything up. The North Leader, a great community newspaper that has already won 19 Pulitzer Prizes, broke this story in September to a very big, influential group of readers in the North Shore of uh, Long Island. They laid out the case against George Santos in September, long before the New York Times did their expose. And they haven't give, been given the credit that they deserve. That's why community newspapers are so important. That's why they have to stay alive. This particular newspaper in the North Leader, the publisher said, we were looking for a Republican to endorse. We didn't want to endorse Zimmerman. But George Santos gave us every reason in the world not to endorse the Republican because every time we dug a little deeper, it was lie after lie after lie. They laid it all out. So for anybody out there, Democrat or Republican in Long Island, to say we didn't know, we, we, we didn't have the resources, again, the community newspaper came to the rescue because they did their work. They did due diligence. In fact, uh, you should know Avery, our nighttime producer, and Broadway Billy in our audience. Uh, I have taken it upon myself, both I and Nancy. Nancy was originally from Long Island. She was born in Greenpoint, but then moved out to uh, Bohemia in Suffolk. We are nominating the North Leader for another Pulitzer Prize. This would be their 20th. Now imagine a community newspaper earning all those Pulitzer Prizes broke this story in September. Republicans knew about it. Democrats knew about it. Zimmerman knew about it. Zimmerman runs a public relations agency for a living. Could I hear the Schmendrick, uh, the, the uh, Pischer, the, oh, the guy who's always complaining, hiding behind Joan Hamburg's skirt and uh, Cindy Adams' skirt, Zimmerman claiming, oh, we, we didn't have the money to expose George Santos three snaps up. Our campaign as we were just starting for the general election without funds, without resources, was not in a position to send a team to Brazil to check out his background. We weren't in a position to hire a genealogist to check out his Jewish ancestry. Oh, please, stop it. You had the North leader who did it all. Let's give credit where credit is due. You didn't do due diligence, uh, Zimmerman. Nor did the Democratic leadership, Jacobs, the state party chairman, whose whose base is Nassau and Suffolk County, uh, nor did the Republicans who uh, I told this story many, many times, met with me, Chairman Cairo in Nassau County, wanted me to run for that district. So they must have known something was wrong about George Santos. And simultaneously, while Cairo and the GOP in Nassau County were meeting with me, uh, Nick Langworthy, who was the state party chairman of the GOP, just recently got elected to the congressional seat in western New York. Uh, He'll have to leave uh, being the... uh, 
state chairman, and I certainly have a great guy in mind. Uh, he certainly earned the right uh, to give it a shot and to help lead the GOP in New York State. Michael Henry ran for attorney general, got 46% of the vote against Tish James, who would not debate him. He was the only candidate not to do any debates. And he got 46% of the vote. He had almost no money. He's a great listener to WABC, Michael Henry. I've seen him out on the stump. I remember we were at Angelina's early on in the campaign. I was supporting Andrew Giuliani for governor. It was a heated primary. Rob Astorino, who's on Saturdays now, 4 to 5, after me and Anthony Weiner, left versus right. And then a guy named Wilson, who jumped in later, poured millions of dollars. It's a very heated Republican primary for governor that Lee Zeldin won by 20 points fair and square over Andrew, who finished second, uh, then Astorino, then Wilson. But uh, Michael Henry, I saw him all on the campaign trail. At first, they weren't giving him any time. They weren't paying attention to him. He sucked it up. He went out. He had a great campaign. His father is a retired Mount Vernon detective who's an avid listener. He's in a wheelchair now. The whole family listens. So uh, for whatever it matters, as a Republican in New York State, I'm backing Michael Henry, the former attorney general candidate, to become the next uh, New York State GOP chairman. And one of his big jobs, if, in fact, uh, the other GOP uh, county leaders uh, pick him, is what to do about George Santos. Oh, my God, what to do. Could could I hear a little bit of uh, what I think George Santos' career would be? Because as he was coming off of the... the, uh, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> the flight in LaGuardia, <laughs> the shuttle that he had let all the reporters know he was taking from Washington to the shuttle. How would all the reporters know that he was on that flight, right? This guy wants the attention, man. He gets off. He waits. He's the last person to get off the shuttle coming in from Reagan Airport. Three snaps up. The press corps is waiting there at Broadway Bill Lee. There's like 40 of the paparazzi. And he goes, look, you had it wrong. I am not a drag queen, never have been a drag queen, but I have worn women's clothing many, many times. And then he said, look, I was 16 years old. It was a time of experimentation in Brazil for Carnival. Sue me for having a life. But don't ever call me a drag queen. And don't ever refer to me by my name, Katara, in which I was seen competing in drag queen contests all throughout the country of Brazil. Don't call me a drag queen. But yes, I was dressed in ladies' apparel. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Is another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. This is another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. This is dedicated to uh, George Santos, who says. He's not a drag queen. He just dresses up like a lady. You know, that's what Milton Berle said. He said, no, I'm not a drag queen. 
Who else said that? Flip Wilson. Remember, every week, uh, I'm not a drag queen. I'm Geraldine. Remember? Freaking drag queens. Come on, what are you talking about? <laughs> oh, I, I wear a dress every every week on TV, but I'm not a drag queen? Do they like the feel of a long, sultry dress? The feel of nylons? The feel of a brassiere? Right? But they're not drag queens, no. Oh my God! How can, how can, ladies and gentlemen, how could you listen to nonsense like that? And then you have protesters outside libraries where they have a drag queen reading hour for children and grandchildren. Right? Yeah. Oh, oh, oh! In the meantime, the guy you're supporting, George Santos, might be the one in there reading to the kids. But I'm not a drag queen. I just dress like a lady. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. I'm warning all Republican conservatives. we got to get rid of this guy. I don't know. Maybe we could kidnap him, you know, swap him, you know, take him with Bolsonaro, send him back to Brazil. Maybe maybe Lula put him in a gulag. Have you ever been to the prisons of Brazil? I have. Oh, my God. That is not a place you want to go to. Trust me. He will be three snaps up in prison there in Brazil, that's for sure. Anyway, let's go to Pamela, who's calling from New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Pamela. Hey, Curtis, let's be fair here. If the Democrats can have fake war heroes and fake Native American Indians, the Republicans are showing they're economical. They have all that wrapped up into one person. (laughs) You're right. One-stop shopping with George Santos. And you know something? If somebody wears a dress and they're a man and they can set this country straight, I'm all for them. Not all Republicans are phobic. I know, but eventually it gets to a point, Pam. It can't be tribal. It can't be, well, they have liars, they have fraudsters, they have thieves, and we are going to have them too. Don't you think that one party should say, we're not going to tolerate that anymore? No, I'm sorry. Hey, you can keep ethics. But you got to get street. Right now, we're totally street. So you're happy that because it's a majority of three in the House and we'd still have a majority with two, that we should keep a guy who is maybe the biggest con man and fraudster in the history of politics, and that's saying a lot. Hey, you think uh, we we got to get tougher in a lot of different areas. You think uh, they don't have their secrets on the other side? This is what I mean, ladies and gentlemen. That's why I don't trust politicians. You drink the Kool-Aid. Oh, but that's our liar. That's our thief. That's our dra... No, it's not a drag queen. He just dresses like a lady. <laughs> and he'll, he'll, he'll still have his supporters out there. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Michael in Bay Ridge. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Mike. Hey, what's up, Curtis? Yeah, listen, about the whole sports on WABC thing, like, I don't really care about sports at all. And lately, like, this sports has been getting a lot. I've been listening for about a year, almost every day now, ever since you got back from the mayority. And uh, I listened to this to find out what's going on in the world, you know, not sports. And last week, for work, I do a delivery, so I drive all over Brooklyn. And it was just, it was kind of boring. It was just sports and Democrats this, Republicans that. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to look up Bob Grant 
on YouTube and I ended up listening to about 10 to 12 hours worth of Bob Grant. And um, it's just, it's so different, you know? And I just wonder what he Yeah, no, no, no. And uh, to, to be honest with you, Bob Grant admitted he didn't know anything about sports. He wasn't interested in sports. And it was a better program because of it. Michael, you're an average everyday listener to WABC. You don't listen to WABC for sports. There are other stations that do it better, and I would agree with you. Uh, Friday morning was a perfect example. They spent three hours talking about sports, a game that I had spent five minutes talking about, saying that we would be destroyed by the Philadelphia Eagles, even though I'm a Giants fan. And look at it. They're going to spend probably hours. Uh, I just heard a promo. What was that, uh, Broadway Billy? The two Heckle and Jekyll guys for like a minute. I didn't understand not a damn thing they were saying, Michael. I got to be honest with you. I know sports pretty good. I didn't understand what the hell they were talking. Could I hear that promo again? Please, Broadway Billy, do your, do your, do your best to resuscitate it. I have no idea what they're talking about. That's, this is not WABC. Like, we got to save WABC, Michael. The fact that you're listening to YouTube old programs of Bob Grant because we're talking too much sports says a hell of a lot, Michael. Yeah, absolutely. Once, once you know, the sports combo starts hitting the two-minute, the five-minute, the ten-minute, I get vertical. I can't even... I can't even follow anymore. It's like a different language. And listen, the other thing, one thing about George Santos, I've been wanting to say this for a while, uh, you know, how many, I don't even know how many names this guy has already. And you always say, never trust anybody with three names. And George Santos uh, took that very literally. <laughs> That's right. You're right. He's George Santos when he wants to be, when he's ripping off old widows for their money because he had a fake uh, fund for animal care. He's Anthony Zabrowski, and the reason he was Anthony Zabrowski, he told his friends, is because Jews give more money. If they think I'm Jewish, they'll give me more money. And then he was Anthony DeVolder. He had a reason for every alias, and as you heard Pamela there in New Jersey, she made excuses for him, said, well, you know, that's our liar, that's our fraudster, that's our denier. That... And you gotta, you got to draw the line somewhere, Michael, and say, no, we're not, we're not going to put up with this anymore. We're not putting up with it. A party has to say no, or it's just going to get worse and worse and worse for both parties. Yeah, this is, it's getting too much. You know, we can't, we can't keep stooping down to uh, doing this. There's some situations where it has to be eye for an eye, but this is definitely not one of them. It's just, it's getting too much already. And I, really I, will, I will tell you this, Michael. You're a hardworking guy. You're doing deliveries uh, each day. You're trying to learn a little bit more about politics, current events, cultural things. That's why you listen to WABC. I promise you I will go to battle for you and our other listeners. I will not let this be turned into an all-sports uh, talk uh, show format, which, uh, quite frankly, uh, I'm not interested in being a part of it. Uh, if I wanted to work sports, I'd be at WFAN. I would be at ESPN. They do it better than we do, Michael. So I will stay true to our mission, and that is to be able to give you entertaining news and information so you can come to your own conclusions, Michael. Absolutely, and that sounds good. And you know what else, too? Uh, I have a friend who is a family member of the person, um, the veteran, who george santos had ripped off um i think he was a veteran i I had something to do with the dog i know i heard it on the news where you know the dog was sick and george santos said you know listen i'll help you 
just give me money and whatever. And then George Santos just disappeared like Houdini, and um, the dog ended up dying. And he, he stole three thousand dollars of money that he yeah. set up a uh, a fund for. And then when the veteran uh, said tried to reach him and said, you know, we need the money. My dog has cancer. We got to get an operation. All of a sudden, he wouldn't answer the guy's calls any longer. And that's when he was calling himself Anthony Zabrowski, hitting up Jewish people for money because he told his friends, the Jews will give more if you're a Jew. I mean, come on. This guy ripped off $3,000 that was to go to a veteran who happened to be down on his luck, who loved his dog. That's all he had left in the world. Uh, This guy, George Santos, raised $3,000 and then stole the money. Stole the money. Yep. And yet, and, yet, well, and yet there are Republicans defending him. I mean, uh, what an outrage, Michael. That's horrible. I have two dogs, and uh, I would be – I, words can't even describe what I would do if he would have done that to me or just anyone, you know? Like, I can't imagine that pain. But, you know, I do know one of that veteran's family members from a friend of mine, and that story is – No, no, and, 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 and you see, Michael, the sad thing is – you know there are other stories just like that. It's that probably some people are too embarrassed to come forward and acknowledge that they got conned out of their money, especially wealthy people. When wealthy people get taken for a ride, when they get bamboozled and scammed, they're not likely to surface because they, they want everyone to think that they're bright people, that they're smarter than everyone else. That's why they're wealthy. That's why they're rich. So you're going to see very few of them emerge. I have to give credit. He's a part of our team here at WABC. He does business programming. Stephen Moore was on the uh, 5 o'clock roundtable discussion when we were, actually not I, but John and his guests were discussing uh, FTX and its implosion. The biggest ripoff, even worse than Bernie Madoff, $32 billion from their investors. Samcoin became Scamcoin. And you know, he had to admit I, I invested in that. I got scammed. But there are a lot of wealthy, rich people, intelligent people who will never acknowledge that they got bamboozled when uh, this goes way back when they were junk bonds, when it was Bosky. Uh, oh, they would never say it was Bosky and Michael Milken. Rudy busted them. They would never admit they got scammed by that. Subprime mortgages, they would never admit That's what led to the implosion of the economy, almost deep six, the world's economy, 2008. They would never admit that. And they would never admit that they got scammed by this uh, punk who's, uh, imagine, he's got the ankle, the fortune off ankle bracelet on. He's under home incarceration at a mansion that his mommy and daddy have as uh, professors at Stanford University who uh, teach ethics. Legal ethics as lawyers. Yeah, ethical. You should have taught your son. And he's having visitors go in and out of there. It's like, that's not what home incarceration is. You're not supposed to have any visitors other than a doctor or your lawyer. And he's got a stream of visitors. What the hell is going on here? Why? Because he's rich. He's well healed. And because people in the know want to cater to him because they're hoping to get some of their money back because he's probably one of the only few who know where the money is hidden. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. It's another side of midnight. Now, 
to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Her name was Lola. She was a showgirl. Could that be George Santos at the Copacabana? Remember, we're not talking about the old club, the Copacabana, which uh, had a few different locations that it operated in in midtown Manhattan. We're talking about the beaches of Rio de Janeiro, Iponima, Copacabana. George Santos, 16 years old, was a drag queen. There's like volumes of video about that. I don't got a problem with that. You're a drag queen, you're a drag queen. I mean, what was the uh, Geraldine was a drag queen, right? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> no, oh, we're not drag queens. We just we just wear dresses every week on TV. Yeah, right. You think you have a proclivity towards that? No, no. You know, it's all for entertainment. So George Santos's latest excuse now is the Milton Burrow excuse that. Although I wear dresses all the time on TV, I am not a drag queen. I just like to wear women's clothing. A lot. And <laughs> we got people here, though. No, you got to stay in Congress. You know, the people chose They had no idea. You think the people would have elected him? Even over that Schmendrick Zimmerman, if they knew two-tenths of all the lies that this guy has perpetrated? Do you think... Oh, she lost her love. The beaches of Iponema, Copacabana, where you don't know if they're men, women, frozen vegetables, non-binary, transgenders, transvestites, or transformers. I've been there, and a lot of pervs go down there, especially from Europe. Uh, where are you from, uh, sir? Oh, I'm from Italy. You realize you're sitting in uh, a restaurant with like a 13-year-old girl? Well, that's why I come to Rio. Oh, it's Okay. Oh, well, culturally, apparently it is. No, no, this, this, you're a pedophile. Uh, Mr. Sliwa, you're disturbing our uh, customers here. They fly uh, great lengths from Italy and France and Germany to sit in our restaurant here along the beaches of Iponima. What, to be with children? That we don't even know if they're boys or girls? Come on, Mr. Sleewood, you're an American. You know, take that back to America. Really? Yeah, I almost uh, ended up getting arrested over that, Broadway Billy. Notice I get arrested quite a bit. I'm not going to ignore that. Let's go to Jim from Richmond Hills. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Jim. Good morning, Curtis. Always a pleasure to speak with you, sir. Um, uh, one quick thing about uh, Santos. Uh, I was multitasking tonight. I was listening to your show and watching SNL. And on the weekend update, they had uh, a five-minute bit with the actor named Colton Wong playing George Santos. And every word he said was a lie. Yep. And then plus, uh, he has become the uh, buffoon uh, that all the late-night talk show hosts uh, take uh, jabs at. And we'll, con- and we'll continue to do so. And I'm, tell- I'm telling my fellow uh, conservatives and Republicans, I'm saying, you're going to run for office, and you're going to see that your adversary, the Democrat, is just going to put a George Santos picture 
uh, over you, and you're going to have to be talking about George Santos like 99% of your campaign? Of course. And uh, one thing about the sports, I uh, was listening to uh, the sports station today, and the host was like gung-ho, Giants fan, oh, we're going to win. They owe the tab. We're going to pay the. T- they're going to pay the tab tonight, and every caller was like, "Go, go Giants!" You know, I understand. You know, if you root for the team, but I had a sinking feeling like they were going to get slaughtered. Yeah, and and, and so that was my gut reaction. And when I saw the warm-ups on the field uh, with our mayor Eric Adams acting like he was the coach of the Giants, there, I, I realized, oh my God, you don't know anything about football, Eric. Get off the field. And I'm yeah. looking at the Giants, and I could see they they were not warming up with confidence. They already knew they were going to no. lose. They knew they were going to the, lose. Uh, the uh, uh, Eagles had beat them nine times in a row before. And, uh, you know, people said, oh, they had the week off. They're going to be rusty and everything. They came out. They scored the first touchdown, just like Minnesota did last week. But then they scored the second touchdown, the third touchdown, the fourth touchdown. And, yeah, no, it was, no, uh, no, it, was it was a debacle. And by the way, GM, it's like also in boxing. A guy gets into the ring, he's sweating too much. You know he, he's mm-hmm. he's left too much in the locker room. He's going to lose if you're a better, you know, rider. It's like horses. If horses are sweating uh, before, yeah. they, before they get into the starting gates, that horse is going to mm-hmm. lose. So there are certain things you look at, and even with these top – efficient athletes as you have to be to be a professional football player, you can see just in a simple warm-up the confidence level, and it wasn't there tonight. No. It wasn't there. I, I, w- I would say the Giants did get further than anybody. Yeah, expected. oh, yeah. They, they certainly yeah. did. But I got to tell you, the jinx of Eric Adams was upon them. He had predicted the Mets would go to the World Series. Not Eric Adams, who knows nothing about sports, predicted the Yankees would go to the World Series. Not. And he was on the sidelines. Let's go, Giants. We're on our way to the Super Bowl. He was saying, drowned out. The Philadelphia fans drowned them out. What an idiot. <laughs> Juveniles are getting shot up here. They're stabbing one another, shoplifting, boosting. And there's no gas at the Grant Projects in East Harlem. And they put up a big sign that said, you're in Philadelphia, and we are not going to have gas in our projects till July? Where the hell are you, Eric? He's what you call a star. Mm -mm. You've heard that term before, right, Broadway Billy? When you're a star stupor. That's what he is, a star stupor. <sighs> Show me the money. Show me the money. That's what it's all about. Yep. Let's go, if we can, to... Um... Oh, let's go. Wait a second. This is good. This is good. We're going to Gary in Pennsylvania. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Gary. Hey, Curtis. You're doing great. Uh, you're right on the money. You know, uh, I listened listened to 77 WABC. You're the best that's on there. And Friday, when I heard them talking about the 
football, I turned it off. And in fact, I turned shit off a long time ago. Because I figured after Bernie passing, he would be, everything would go good. And now he's got this football stuff and changing. I don't listen to it anymore. All right, all right. I, I will promise you, Gary, I have the seniority and I have the credibility to do battle. I am not going to let this become a sports station. I promise all of you listeners, I hear too much sports, and especially, you know, it's one thing to hear sports, but to hear people who know nothing about sports speak about sports and all these promos about sports, that's not what WABC is, Gary. You know that. Which part of Pennsylvania are you from? Well, I'll tell you what. I'm uh, not far from a great uh, Penn State Nittany Lions. I'm about 60 miles west. Uh, Happy Valley. Um, You're not far from Happy, Happy Valley, right? Valley. Right. Yeah. I, I got to tell you, boy, that was a place that everybody wanted to focus on for years when Joe Paterno was the coach. Uh, and yeah. then all of a sudden, the sex scandal there, and it's almost like you don't even mention Joe Paterno. The reason I mentioned Joe Paterno is he was the most famous alumni of the high school that kicked me out in my senior year, Brooklyn Prep, to Jesuit High School. He was like all everything, Joe Paterno and his brother, John Dockery, other people like that. And I got to tell you, this guy had such an incredible fall from grace. And again, we talk about it because it's sports. But, Gary, to you and everybody else who listens to WABC to get their news, their information, to learn about cultural things, current events, to hear stimulating talk – and to hear discussion that makes you a listener 24-7-365, I am going to the mat. I am going to war. I know what sports talk stations are. I've worked for sports talk stations, been fired twice. I'm not going to let this become a sports talk station. So Again, if, if, if Crosby does what he wants in Pittsburgh, Rangers will lose. If not... They find a way to contain him, and the Rangers superstars need to step up. I know Panarin had a goal and two assists, but he turned it over about 100 times last night. So the Rangers superstars need to too. play better. That's right. He, what, he went off the, uh, the Penguins' uh, defenseman skate. So stop Crosby, have the superstars play better, Rangers move on. If not, they're done in five. I'm a Rangers fan, but who listens to WABC for hockey? <laughs> what What's happening here? Hey, is anybody awake at the wheel who's running this station? Do they not realize, have they not listened to these promos? I heard Heckle and Jekyll twice in a row. I can't even understand what they're talking about. It's all sports. Is I really? Is this what our thing has become, this thing that you so love? That is such an intimate connection to all of you? And by the way, even though talk radio tends to be very male-oriented, that's just the way it is. When sports becomes the thing that everyone is talking about for three, four hours, are we losing our female listeners? Yes. So I'm here to protect the legacy of WABC, the iconic call letters. And I promise all of you... After that disastrous prediction of all of our so-called sports meisters here at WABC on Friday, that I will put my foot down. Because guess what? Who is the only one right about the Giants-Eagles game? Me. 
I said the Giants, who I love, would be smashed, and they would. Check this out. On the weekend, Ufa. take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep, and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now, to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Punchline here, Broadway Bill Lee, running with the devil. Man, you got to cue this back up there, man. It's like a loop. Uh, Van Halen's running with the devil because we're going to be talking about all things involving religion, Satan, and demons. I need a little bit of that on my uh, underbed here to get into the mood because I'm going to be talking about Yes, she's back, Nancy Pelosi. We thought she was out of the House of Representatives. Officially, she is. Uh, Hakeem Jeffries is uh, soon to be the Speaker of the House whenever the cycles change. It always goes back and forth between Republicans and Democrats. But Nancy Pelosi has summoned priests to rid her luxury San Francisco home of evil spirits. Do we have uh, do we have running with the devil? It's gotta be on man, Broadway Billy. Okay, finally, come on. You got all caught up with the sports talk there, huh? Broadway Bill Lee, please. What do you do at WCBS FM? You do music, right? You don't do politics. You don't do sports. You don't do any of that. People listen to WCBS-FM for the oldies, right? Pelosi is now claiming her mansion in San Francisco is controlled by Satan. She has summoned the Vatican to send priests 
because, as many of you know, the San Francisco Archbishop has banned Pelosi from receiving Holy Communion until such a time as you publicly repudiate your advocacy for the legitimacy of abort, abortion, he wrote. The archdiocese would not honor her request to have an exorcism. The bishops in the United States, the many that she reached out to, including here, Cardinal Dolan, would not honor Nancy Pelosi's request to have priests skilled in providing exorcisms, as you saw in the movie The Exorcist with Linda Blair, her head spinning around her shoulders as if it was a, uh, a top. Nope. So Nancy Pelosi has gone to the Vatican, and she has said that I need a series of priests to be able to coordinate an exorcism because when I returned to our home with my husband, who is severely impaired, there's no doubt in my mind that an exorcism is needed. I need priest services performed at the Pelosi home. And naturally, a very dear friend of WABC, Bill Donahue, president of the Catholic League, urged Pelosi to get help from a psychiatrist. <laughs> Leave it to Bill Donahue. He's right. Quote, the woman is positively conflicted. She wears her Catholicism on her sleeve while basically sticking her middle finger at the Catholic Church every chance she has. If it is genuine, if she truly believes in going back into a mansion with her husband, that she needs an exorcism, she really needs psychiatric help. And if if not, it's another example of Nancy Pelosi exploiting the Catholic Church for her own personal gain. But contradicting our friend Bill Donahue of the Catholic League is Father Vincent Lambert, an exorcist expert for the Roman Catholic Archdiocese of Indianapolis. I didn't know they do exorcisms in Indianapolis. I should ask our owner-operator, Margot Katzmatita. She's from Indianapolis, Indiana. I had no idea that there were priests based in Indianapolis in the archdiocese there who conduct exorcisms. Anyway, Father Vincent Lampert said an exorcism could indeed be appropriate to combat demonic infestations and the presence of evil that may linger in a place where violent crime has occurred. Quote, It would be the recitation of a particular prayer inviting the presence of God back into the house, casting out any presence of evil that may be there, Lambert said. Then the house would be blessed with holy water, reminding us of our new life in Christ, and the fact that we need not fear any evil because recognizing that Christ is dwelling with us. I would say I get thousands of those requests every year. I really learned something in uh, doing a deep dive on this. I never thought that the epicenter of exorcism studies in the United States was the Archdiocese of Indianapolis. I would have thought Chicago, maybe 
Washington, D.C., New York, Boston, maybe Miami, Los Angeles. Could you ever have imagined that the place you go to when you need an exorcism done at your place of business or your home or for a family member is the Archdiocese of Indianapolis? Wow. Well, Nancy Pelosi did a flyover. She wasn't going to stop in Indianapolis. You know, Nancy Pelosi, I only deal with the Pope. I don't deal with any archbishops or bishops or cardinals. I go right to the top. So where is Nancy Pelosi this weekend? Is she watching the San Francisco 49ers uh, versus the Cowboys? No. She's at the Vatican trying to get Pope Francis to give her the best priests assigned to the Vatican who do exorcisms all over the world. Now, as you know, Pope Francis, who really should retire, just like the previous pope, the German shepherd Benedict, has decided to stay on. Remember, this is the guy who was bouncing outside of bars and strip clubs in Buenos Aires who loved Che Guevara, not Jesus Christ, and yet he's the pope of the Roman Catholic Church. You try to figure that out. And tomorrow, no, actually, in just a few out, no, in fact, they're ahead of us in Rome, so they're probably sitting right after the papal high mass, after the pope gives his words to the congregation that comes, He's having a private meeting with Nancy Pelosi about doing an exorcism in her mansion. And the person who has given him the basis to consider this is, in fact, the Archbishop of the uh, Archdiocese of Indianapolis, who has said, and again, he has said, any time that a scene has been the scene of a violent crime, that has occurred, it might be the presence of evil that triggered that. And the need for an exorcism might actually be the only thing that can remedy the situation. Could you imagine that? Exorcist 2, 3, 4, or 5, starring Nancy Pelosi and her husband. Oh, man, let me hear it. You know, uh, I'm an EMP Catholic, ashes on Wednesday, palms on Sunday, then you don't see me for a month on Sundays. And you know, I take on the Roman Catholic Church uh, every opportunity I get when it is so blatant in terms of their hypocrisy. But I don't pretend to be a man of faith in the Roman Catholic Church. I'm pro-choice, and I understand that for the faithful, they are hardcore pro-life, and I respect that. I am not. I don't consider that I should get special considerations the way President Joe Biden wears his Catholicism on his lapel or Nancy Pelosi, likewise, who would use the credibility that she had as a leading political figure in the United States who no longer is Speaker in the House to get an exorcism that's directed by the Pope Pope Francis in the Vatican to priests there who studied the whole ancient ritual and then they're going to fly to San Francisco and do this for Nancy Pelosi oh my god 1-800-848-9222 that's 1-800-848 
WABC, let's go to Vito, who's calling from Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Vito. Curtis, good morning. Uh, I think Nancy Pelosi, if and when she hits the bottle harder than usual, she winds up, she becomes the uh, the character played by Piper Laurie in the movie Carrie. Oh. Um, and then uh, I can see the, the Pelosi house at the end being pulled into hell with Nancy Pelosi in it, and then her hand reaches out and grabs on to Paul and drags him down with her. Thank you, Curtis. Ah, music maestro, please. Not that, not that I don't want running with the devil Van Halen any longer. I want the monk's chant. Padre Filio Spirito Santo Vito gave me perfect opportunity to speak about something else that has occurred. There is a priest of the Roman Catholic faith, Gerald Johnson, who says that he went to hell after suffering a heart attack and describes the things he saw in a series of TikTok videos. Vito was on the cusp of describing what should happen to Nancy Pelosi and her husband. But this is more graphic. Yes, pay attention, Broadway Billy and... Avery, I understand you are a Protestant in the Black Baptist Church, in fact, in just a few hours, after uh, Avery summarily uh, dispatches Frank Morano in the three to four hour. Get ready. He's warming up in the bullpen, and it is the funniest hour in all of talk radio, anywhere in the globe. Guaranteed, three to four. You don't want to miss it. But now I need to take you into the bowels of hell. Are you ready? Are you ready to descend, Broadway Billy? Are you ready, Avery? Because priest Gerald Johnson from Michigan claimed to have visited hell after suffering a heart attack and said the experience changed his life forever. Quote, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. He said he was sent to hell in February of 2016 after his heart attack. In one of his more viral videos, which got 4 million views, Father Johnson said he indeed saw real hell. Quote, I was there and I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. I don't care what he did to me. No one deserves that. The priest from Michigan described the moment when he was launched to the center of the earth where he says that hell is hell, damnation. He said his spirit left his physical body and he thought he was on his way up to heaven. I thought I did such a good job during my life on earth. I had helped so many people, but even so, I went down to hell. I've entered into the very center of the earth. Padre Filio Spiritu Santum. The thing I saw there is indescribable. It brings up so many difficult feelings when I talk about this. Father Johnson, a priest of seven years, described some of the things he witnessed when he visited hell including a man walking on all fours like a dog. It reminds me of that piece that Keith Haring did. Remember the artist who had like the uh, 
Oh, was that the uh, little baby on all fours? It was like almost like uh, radiating and getting burned from head to toe. His eyes were bulging, and worse than that, he was wearing chains on his neck. He was like a hellhound. There was a demon holding the chains. Telepathically, I knew that the demon was sent in this man's life to ride him from his childhood to his death. The priest, Father Johnson, explained that the demon knows if he succeeds in making people not serve God and do bad things, he will overpower them in hell where they will be his slaves in eternal damnation. Father Johnson continued adding that there is a section of hell where music is played. He says he heard songs like Rihanna's Umbrella and Bobby McFerrin's Don't Worry, Be Happy. Hell no. He said that it's not the original artists who sing the songs, but a group of demons that use the words to torture us. What the hell is going on? He added that every word of every song was made to torture you for the fact that you didn't worship God. What the hell? Did... Through music. While you were on this earth. To end, Father Johnson revealed how he escaped hell and damnation and returned to the surface of the earth. Quote. I was angry with God because I did so much good in my life and ended up in hell. I rose up out of hell and returned to earth. And God spoke to me. He said, you were secretly angry with people who harmed you. You hoped I would punish them. These are not your people. These are my people. I just want you to focus on the task I give you. Even though I did good, the thing I had in my heart was a lack of forgiveness for the people who wronged me. A man who cannot forgive is a man who forgot that he was forgiven. That is my experience from hell. The priest, Father Johnson, said it's a completely real place. That's haunting. Possibly a message for me, because as you know, I have said consistently here at WABC, for the good course of 35 years that I've been broadcasting, that I will never forgive and I will never forget. You, you, you've heard me say that, Broadway building. In fact, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Greg Kelly who at some point in his life has become a holy roller. He has discovered God. He quotes the Bible. Has summoned me into his studio from time to time on air and has asked me to forgive the Gaudis and the Gambinos, right? You've heard that. And I've looked at Greg and said, Look, you became a holy roller, Greg. I'm not a holy roller. I will never forgive and I will never forget. I will get my vengeance. My blood vendetta. And so, Greg Kelly is operating on a different plane. 
He says he is taking the path of righteousness, of forgiveness, God's path. He has asked me to forgive. But Broadway, Billy and Avery, I can never forgive, I can never forget. And I respectfully dissed and dismissed Greg Kelly and told him, which Bible are you reading from? The St. James Version? The Mormon version that you'll get at the Marriott Hotel. Did you ever go to a Marriott Hotel, Broadway Billy, and you commit sin within the sanctums of a Marriott Hotel room and you realize, I have sinned. God, I have sinned. I have had sex outside of marriage. The question is, when you come to that realization and you open up the drawer, you see two Bibles. In every Marriott hotel, there is the St. James Bible and there is the Mormon Bible, because the Marriott Corporation is owned and started by Mormons. Avery, I ask you as a man of God, a man who just a few hours will be going to your Baptist church to be hearing your preacher speak, would you read excerpts from the St. James Version of the Bible or from the Mormon Bible if, in fact, you had sinned by having sex outside of marriage? Avery, I want you to think about that, contemplate that. If that was me, I would read from both Bibles because I need all the insurance I could get just in case the Church of the Latter-day Saints, the Mormons, are correct and J.C., my J.C., is wrong, right? By the way, throw in a Torah and a Talmud there, because who knows, maybe Hashem's got it right. Old Testament versus New Testament. Padre, Filio, Spiritu, Santum. Let us go to George in Tom's River, New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, George. Yes, hi, Curtis. Again, as always, wonderful hearing you. Uh, the um, The... Exorcist is not needed in San Francisco. All the two of them to do is move out of the house, and the house will be cleansed. Ah, but you see, apparently uh, Nancy Pelosi is hell-bent on living the final years of her life with her husband in that house, uh, has flown all the way to seek counsel with the Pope himself to get those priests who are experts in exorcism to come to San Francisco, even though she could have gone to Indianapolis, and the Archbishop there said he would have tended to her request. Well, we we I heard today at Mass, I play the organ in church, I heard at Mass today that uh, repentance is a change of heart, and that was the whole message today, and that's what they need to do. They, she needs to change her ways, her heart, her views, whatever it is, that's going to cleanse her. You know, all the priests in Indianapolis are not going to do that. She's got to do it. Now, George, uh, uh, you are a um, an observant Catholic. Um, I work for the Catholic Church, and I'm more of a Christian than I am a Catholic. But, uh, you know, I, I went through the whole thing that you went through with, the, the, with Loyola School in Manhattan and the Jesuits and the whole shebang. So, uh, you know, I've had to kind of modify my ways. I'm more Christian than I am Catholic, but I respect every church that I've worked in. And, you know, when I'm in Rome, I do what the Romans do, as they say. Oh, I like that. When I'm in Rome, I do what the Romans do. I was approached uh, many years ago right here at WABC, one of uh, the many listeners that I had acquired over the years. 
Uh, in fact, I forget his name. Hopefully some folks out there can remind me he was a great religious figure in the Roman Catholic Church, started a rehab center in downtown Patterson to tend to the needs of many of the addicts who had nowhere else to go. He really did God's work. And he had a uh, summer retreat in the Jersey Shore. I forget exactly which town. Uh, he told me that he would go to there for week to week. He was quite old. I think he's passed into the hereafter. And he spoke to me after a program. And he said, Curtis, do you know that in the eyes of the Roman Catholic Church, you have never been married? And I said, what are you talking about? He said, well... Your first wife, you uh, married in a black Baptist church in Harlem. I said, yes. He said, your second wife, you uh, married, that's Lisa, in the Hudson um, uh, Memorial Church in Greenwich Village, a uh, white Baptist church, so to speak. It's mostly whites. I said, that is correct. He said, then you were uh, married by Judge Torres, hanging Judge Torres in a civil ceremony in the boathouse in Central Park to Mary. I said, that, that is correct. He said, in the definition of the Roman Catholic Church, you have never been married in a Roman Catholic Church, so you have never been married. George, that was stunning because that didn't work for me in family court. I did not when I went to family court and I told the judges, hey, look, this very esteemed reverend, I mean, look at all the great work he's done in his life. He's surely going to take the chariot to heaven for all the drug addicts that he has consoled, that he has gotten therapy for. Tremendous. He claims I've never been married. And they looked at me and said, Mr. Sliwa, this is a civil setting, not a religious setting. It it doesn't really matter. Uh, You know, uh, Jesus hung with the the lowest of the low. He didn't hang with the elite, you know. And, uh, you know, you're doing great work. Thank you, and uh, I appreciate that you are so open about your faith and what your faith has done for you and everything you've been through in your life, which is somewhat similar to the way I was raised uh, within the structure of the Roman Catholic uh, teachings and church and schools and the ritual, we'll call it ritual, so to speak, that many people no longer adhere to. So, uh, George, thank you for sharing that. Oh, thank you for being where you are all the time. You're wonderful. Oh, Padre, Fiele, Spiritu Santo. Boy, that was a great call there. I was expecting to get blowback. You know, me in the Roman Catholic Church. Ah, you know, we don't. It's like mixing ammonia and bleach. But I so desperately am trying to remember who the great great priest was who created this great rehab recovery center in Patterson, New Jersey. I'll never forget how he said to me, Curtis, Curtis, in the eyes of the church, you have never, ever been married. I said, oh, my God, I've been freed. Here was I thought I was married all those years. I'm freed. Father, can I go to family court? Can I I use that when they, like, try to nail me to the cross, so to speak, fiscally? Hell no. That's what he said. He said, this is religious, religiosity. It's not within the context of family court. 
heard it, you're on your own. Who is that priest, ladies and gentlemen? He was a great figure in Patterson in the Archdiocese there. Oh, I'm struggling to remember. It's a Father Pappas. I don't know. I am. What was that great uh, rehab center that he had established in downtown Patterson, which was a place that men and women who were really strung out? And if you've ever been in First Ward and Fourth Ward, as I've been with the Guardian Angel Patrols, it is as bad a place of open drug use as exists in any small city in America. Only Kensington and Somerset in Philadelphia is worse, open-air drug market, than the first or fourth ward of Patterson, up the hill, down the hill. And this great uh, priest and his many, um, his many helpers helped so many addicts that I was able to sit with them at their center downtown. Boy, I don't know, maybe it's uh, first stage of dementia. Normally I have these things, right? Boom! I cannot remember the priest. I cannot remember the name of the center that helped thousands, thousands of the drug addicted, the tortured souls. And I'll never forget after having that long conversation with him, when I was prepared to walk into family court, but the priest at my side, he said, ain't going to work in a civil setting. Shucks. And they nailed me to the cross fiscally. Of course, this is theater of the mind. I wouldn't suggest that I was ever crucified, but what they did to my money almost was. Get the hell off the beach. Yeah. Priest had a beach house. That's what I'm trying to remember. I never went there. He would go there two weeks of the year when he wasn't tending to the needs of the addicts. To those who had suffered horribly, drug I remember looking at the arms and the marks. Oh, God. I know he's in heaven up there. That was great work he did. I'm just trying to remember. I, I, I will dig into the recesses of my mind and think and think and think. Just get the hell out of the way. Uh, I wish I had followed that uh, advice when that... That bicycle crashed into me the other day while I was helping my Helen Keller wife across the street, Nancy. I thought I would be her divining rod since she had lost her sight. And there I was up in the Upper West Side with the heathens, the Satanists, those who have no religiosity. And as I withered in pain, and I mean I had pain from the tip of my nose to the tip of my toes, I was wrapped in pain. In fact, our uh, weekend producer, uh, Kevin Joyce, uh, said to me, he said, man, you look like you were in a lot of pain. Of course. But I wasn't going to go down. I wasn't going to go down for the count in front of all those altacajas there from the Upper West Side who, if I were on fire, they wouldn't have even relieved themselves on me to put out the flames. What the hell is going on? And I sucked it up, and I could see my wife, Nancy, was shivering. She thought something horrible had happened to me, and I said, don't worry about it. That's why I'm a cat with nine lives. I've just used up another life. Let's head over to the uh, hospital of I... An ear trauma. 
and try to figure out why you're Helen Keller. And her family came in earlier today from Pennsylvania out there where the deer play. There are more deer and possum and raccoons than there are people. And it's where Nancy Annie Oakley stores her AK-47 uh, Armada. As I told her, you can't bring any of that to the house. Ooh, nope. She loves to go out there and shoot, you know what. Man, she's Annie Oakley. She's Second Amendment. But she couldn't help me on that morning. A woman on an electric bicycle smashed into me. And all she could say to me is, out of my way. Hmm. Who the hell could have done this? People who don't want me living on the Upper West Side. They really don't want, I'm, I'm ostracized there. Now, they line up outside of the apartment in the morning because after they've been robbed and mugged and there's shoplifting and boosting going on there, they line up uh, almost like I'm Godfather. Could you have some guardian angels patrolled in the neighborhood? And I say, hell no. Never. You're the ones who elected Alvin Bragg. Now live with him. And they look at me like, you're so mean, you're so cruel. And I say, you're damn right. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. I'm Old Testament. Out of my way. I got to feed the pigeons. Oh, those rats with wings. The battle continues, ladies and gentlemen. Padre Filio Spiritus Santum. Let's go, if we can, to Bill. Uh, in Beantown, in Boston. Your turn to be heard here, WABC, Bill. Hi, Curtis. Uh, yesterday you talked about you when you were younger. You were in a play up in Plymouth. Yes, Plymouth Rock, Massachusetts. Uh, it was called the Playhouse. Originally it had been an empty barn that my cousins. Yeah, my cousins. Yes, go ahead. It's still there, and they have a website, uh, Priscilla Beach Theater. Yes, that's and, it. That's it. Did, did they have? They have. You might be interested. They have. They have it broken down in years, like in uh, decades, sixties, seventies, fifties, and they have pictures. So it's possible you might be in one of the pictures. I don't know. Yeah. Well, remember, I'll give you the history. There was my cousin Jimmy Lonegro from Chicago. His uh, Theater name was Cochise. His partner uh, uh, at that time, I'm trying to remember his name. Uh, they, were, they were a gay couple at that time. It was like 1960. It was like unheard of. Uh, and they had invested in this barn. Uh, Leon. Leon was his name. He was older than my cousin uh, Jimmy Lonegro. Uh And we came up to help them because they had to rehab the barn and turn it into a theater, which at one time it was many decades before that. And my mother uh, loaded my oldest sister, Alita, up, my younger sister, Maria, me, and the 54 Ford uh, wood-paneled station wagon, Old Betsy, with the white wall tires. We went up. Before we went to look at the barn and all the work that had to be done, we stopped right on the beach because we wanted to see Plymouth Rock, Bill. And you were disappointed. Oh my God! It was it was Plymouth Pebble. <laughs> it was there in the sand. It had this iron casing around it, like they were 
like it was protecting the rock of Gibraltar. And I looked at the state trooper there, and I said, where's Plymouth Rock? He said, you're looking at it. I said, this is a pebble. I said, well, you know, over the years, the wind and the weather has worn down what was Plymouth Rock. I said, the Pilgrims? Actually, the ship, the Mayflower, uh, hit the Plymouth Rock. He said, well, it didn't quite go like that. They actually came ashore down the road. I said, what do you mean down the road? I, I read in the history book, this is the site that they landed. He said, well, not quite. So I was very disappointed at that, and then we went to the barn, and there were bats inside. There was all kinds of debris, and my mother was intrepid. She said, we got work to do, kids. And she said, your father's going to be joining us in a week because he was uh, out to sea. He uh, sailed into the port of Hartford, Connecticut. We went to pick him up, and, boy, he went to work. He was a master craftsman. He had learned that trade in Chicago under my grandfather, Anton. And he, I mean, he started hammering away. He started reconstructing it. We cleaned it up. And the first performance when it was back up and running was Helen Keller. And it was my first debut on the stage. It was my my younger sister, Marie, and I, we were cutting little paper dolls with the safety scissors, the rounded scissors. That was my debut. And I've been on stage ever since, Bill. Well, you look. You go when you get time. You go to their website, and it's possible they might have your picture there. Oh God! And oh boy, they had some really top talented people. I didn't realize all the people who actually perfected their talents in summer theater that we just took for granted. There was the guy I forget his name. He was in the Ponderosa. Oh yeah. That he's mentioned in there, yeah. uh, I know, the horse, the yeah. guy that played horse. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, he was there. I'm looking at him. Wow. Yeah. It's the guy from the Ponderosa. Yeah. And then there was, uh, she was softic at the time. She was a little bit on the uh, chubby side. But she was a sex siren, I forget. She was blonde. She had natural blonde hair. And uh, the men were like, uh, just say, were like flocking around her. She was sort of like... Uh, I forget her name. Oh, man. It was like, she actually said, hey, you're a pretty good actor, kid. Uh, I said, hey, want she said, why don't you come up and see me sometime, like Mae West. <laughs> said, I'm a little young, you know, I'm only six years old. Hey, got to wait till I mature a little bit here. Oh, I forget what her name is. She was in so many movies. Summer Stock, I discovered, was like a wealth of Thespian performances by men and women, gay and straight. They had all that in the 60s, except nobody really talked about it. And these were some of the best performances that I ever saw, in addition to obviously performing uh, for a week in Helen She Keller. might have been, was it Gloria Graham? No, 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 no. You know who else was there? She would have been older. Was, uh, uh, old Joe Kennedy's girlfriend. She was in a lot of movies. I forget her name. Yeah, he had a lot of girlfriends. So Gumar is on the side. No, but she she appeared there. Yeah, because remember he had uh, a movie studio at one time and the casting couch. A lot of people don't know that. Right. That the uh, Kennedy patriarch had a movie studio with the casting couch. Yeah. <laughs> 
Oh, God, uh, I'm tortured now that I don't remember this. Oh, but, but Bill, I am going to go to that website, the Priscilla Beach Theater. Yeah, it's either Priscilla Beach Theater. I think it might be Priscilla Beach Playhouse, one or the other. Yeah, you know, it's uh, Jimmy Lonegro founded it with his partner, Leon, at the time. He came down from the Upper West Side. His uh, theater name was Cochise. He came out of Chicago, related on my mother's side, the Italian side, Francesca. And I got to tell you, some of the best experiences I had growing up because it destroyed a lot of the myths, you know, the street myths about actors and actresses and plays and, and musicals. So, although I will tell you this, unlike George Santos, Bill, I never put on a dress. I never put on a brassiere. I never put on six-inch pumps. And I was not a drag queen in any of the performances that I would eventually appear in. I can assure you of that, Bill. Well, well it's it's still running, and they have uh, uh, several plays, you know, uh, ex-Broadway, you know, shows in there every year and so forth. And it's doing very well. Yeah, no, I, I would hope for the best. And there were a series of summer stock theaters all throughout Cape Cod, all throughout that area. Yes, yeah. Th- that a number of young men and women actually learned their craft there because, you know, what would the likelihood be to get a part on Broadway or off-Broadway? Minimal. You know, you'd have to bus tables, drive cabs, do all kinds of jobs to survive. But the one place they knew that if they could hook into a summer stock theater and be there from June to, like, after Labor Day, that they would be able to get some parts and, you know, put some meat on their bones in terms of learning what it was like to be an actor or an actress. I think Paul Newman might have been there. Yes, yeah, and he was there. He he was there after after I had left. You're right. You're correct, Paul Newman. But I'm I'm trying to think of the bombshell. Very softic. Reminded me a little bit of Mae West. She was a bombshell. Oh my! They'll have her name there. I'm oh, sure. Man, you look I'm t- at no, the no, '60s. Torture there, Bill. I appreciate that, Bill. We went back through my. Performances in summer stock. A lot of people of you said, why? Why did you become lens lice, Curtis? It didn't start with summer theater. It didn't start at the Priscilla Beach Theater in Plymouth Rock. No, it started on Romper Room. On Romper Room. Uh, my cousin at the time, Gary, uh, Aunt Louise was his uh, mother. His father had died a horrible death. He was a good-looking German guy, butcher by trade, blonde hair, blue-eyed, but was a troubled individual who had committed suicide in the bathtub in the house. And uh, unfortunately, uh, his two children at that time walked in and saw that, my cousin Laura and my cousin Willie, traumatized. Imagine seeing your father taking his life in the bathroom, in the tub. And my Aunt Louise was never the same after that. And it was my cousin Gary. He was just one year older than me. They lived right near the 69th Precinct, Forster Avenue. There were a lot of lots there. I would go over there. My mother, Francesca, would bring me. She was the youngest daughter of Fidel and Nicoletta Bianchino. And Aunt Louise, she was a cocktail waitress because she had to support the family. And uh, she loved Gary. Gary was her young son, and we would play in the fields. It was great. And then all of a sudden, one day, I asked uh, my mother, Francesca, 
Are we going over to Aunt Louise's today? No. No, no, Gary isn't feeling well. Okay. And then a week later, are we going over to Aunt Louise's? No, Gary's still not feeling well. A month later, I was going to his wake and funeral. They never mentioned the C word at that time, but years later, I learned he had died from leukemia, which was a killer then of children. And it really affected me. Aunt Louise would see me when we would visit her because naturally you can understand how traumatized she was. She would look at me and she would call out Gary. She would think that I was her son. She could not come to grips with the fact that Gary was no longer here. He had gone to heaven. And my mother would comfort her, Francesca, come, Louise, Louise, that's, that's Curtis, it's not Gary. She would say, no, no, Francesca. Gary, come here, come here. And my mother would say, go, go, go to your Aunt Louise. And it really hurt her so badly. Before his death, my Aunt Louise had signed him up for romper room. And he was scheduled to go. He he loved watching romper room. To me, he was like, meja, meja, poco, poco. So when the tickets came, because you were on for a week, Monday through Friday, right at the afternoon, it was like, uh, I think a half-hour, hour program, Channel 9 at the time. Channel 9 was not in Secaucus, it was right in Times Square. It's where Joe Franklin used to do his show late at night. And I remember my mother said, in honor of your cousin Gary, your Aunt Louise has given us the ticket. She wants you to go and be on Romper Room because... She thinks you're Gary. And she watched me on TV for a week. I was a doobie, not a don'tbie, and my Aunt Louise continued to think that I was her son, Gary. Boy, those are moments. Imagine, you're a, I was a five-year-old child. The trauma of your cousin, who you had been playing with every week in the fields and the lots right near the 69th Precinct, Forster Avenue was difficult. Nobody ever said cancer. Nobody ever spoke the big C. This is back in 1960, 59-60. And then I had to learn it years later. And that to learn that leukemia was a killer. So many children just snatched up. And then I had the opportunity to be on Robin Peru because of Gary's death. Boy, that's when I got the bug. That's when I became Lenslice. I remember there was like, this is before global warming and climate change. One of those mornings, we got hit with like 18 feet of snow, it seemed like, back then. When we had snow. We don't even have snow this year. Oh, there's no global warming, climate change. Yes, there is. Anyway, it's like 18 foot of snow. My mother said, I don't know if the A train is running. We were living on 88th and Boyd in Ozone Park at the time. I said, Mommy, we got to go. We got to go. And she figured out a way to get us there. Nothing else was moving. I was on romper room that day. I, I think there was 10 of us and only uh, like six showed up for the show. But, boy, that was, uh, that was in honor of my cousin, uh, Gary. Gary. Hopefully he's looking down at me as I broadcast today because, boy, I missed him then. And I missed growing up with him. And I really was hurt that my Aunt Louise would look at me and think that I was Gary, her son that she so dearly loved. 
most important thing in her life was Gary. All night long, this is another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. New York's talk station with the king of New York. Curtis Lewa, 77 WABC. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios. En tout chemin, en tout lieu, il ne parle que du bon Dieu, il ne parle que du bon Dieu. Remember the singing nun on Ed Sullivan. I remember hearing uh, her perform uh, as I would wait for little Topo Gigio, the Italian mouse, to come on. He must have appeared with Ed Sullivan about 48 times. But this uh, song resonates in my thought process because a French nun who is believed to be the world's oldest person but had been reportedly growing weary of the burden of age has died a few weeks before her 119th birthday at her nursing home in southern France. Lucille Randon, known as Sister Andre, was born in the town of Alz, southern France, on February 11th of 1904 and lived through two world wars. Wow. And I remember the French nuns. I thought they were flying nuns there at Mount St. Ursula in Bedford Park in the Bronx. That's where my older sister, Alita, went, where they had the habits with a huge white habit. I remember the performance by the uh, singing nun, the singing French nun on the Ed Sullivan Show. And then the appearance of little Topo Gigio. Oh, small things like that that are memories that will be preserved with us until the ends of time. This is Another Side of Midnight with Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Oh, yes, warming up in the bullpen is Avery as he has bisected and dissected a week's worth. Frank Morano's rantings on the other side of midnight. We'll be getting to that momentarily, but let's go right to the phones. And it's Joe calling from Queens. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Giuseppe. Hey, Curtis, good morning. Thank you so much for taking my call, and uh, hopefully everything will be going okay with the missus. And that place in uh, Patterson, New Jersey, Eva's Village, exactly. Father Puma, Father Puma, God bless him, God rest his soul, started that uh, woman's drug shelter program 40 years ago. I was blessed to have known the man, and an amazing how they just started it, and it's going strong 40 years later with all the women that they've helped over the 40 years. I mean, he was a character that was bigger than life. He was a monsignor at the end when he passed away. And he had a hell of a sense of humor. He was a funny guy. And I was lucky to uh, have met him through a friend who helped him get the place up with donations and everything. And uh, they do a lot of good work for those women. God bless those 
those women and their children, especially the unwed mothers and stuff. No, you're absolutely right. Uh, he had me uh, come uh, as a visitor to Eva's village. Mm-hmm. Thanks for reminding me, uh, Father Puma. And you're right. He was bigger than life. But I'll never forget, he was an avid talk radio listener to WABC. And when he called me up and he said, you know, you've never been married in the eyes of the church. Mm-hmm. I was clicking my heels. I thought I had a slam dunk there. I was going to go in a family court and say, guess what? According to Father Puma, the Monsignore, I've never been married in the eyes of my Catholic church. And he said, well, Hell no. that will not work in civil court, Curtis. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> and I thought, well, wait, isn't. JC, a more powerful way, he said, you know that. I know that. But the judge in the black regal robes, they're not going to acknowledge that. <laughs> you got yourself into this, Curtis. You're going to have to work your way out of it. And, oh, boy, I've been working my way out of it ever since, Joe, ever since. Oh, yeah. Nah, he used to say I wasn't always a priest, and that's when he would get into stuff because, like I said, he was a good friend of a guy who was a very powerful record, of, record executive back then. And uh, he said, I need your help to help me. And this guy, he got sober and he helped him. And it was an amazing thing. And like I said, I, I still donate every year. And I used to go out there and help out and stuff. And just a beautiful place. Now, thank you. Know, you. Thank you for honoring the memory of Father Puma. Yep. I remember it was with a P. I just happy I was thinking Father Puma, who's gone to the hereafter. If yeah. anybody should have been uh, deified, made into a saint, it's definitely Father Puma for all the work he did for all those who got no attention, no treatment, yeah. yep. no respect. He gave everybody respect. Uh, Eva's Village, as you pointed out, uh, Joe, if you want to. Support a mm-hmm. great organization that tends uh, to women with uh, all kinds of issues. Yep. Definitely want to make a donation to uh, Eva's house in honor of Father Puma, who should have been deified as a saint. Check this out on the weekend. Take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Got to take Frank Morano back to 1979. Get him off of this obsession with Selena Gomez. It's time, Avery, that we have Frank start following uh, Francois Jolie. Wasn't quite Donna Summers back in 1979, but close. The time that I started the Guardian Angels, February 13th of 1979, we're coming up to our 44th anniversary, and this song come to me. I mean, rock the disco world. Maybe we could get Frank Morano to focus on Francois Jolie instead of uh, being a stalker of... uh, 
Selena Gomez on Whatever a week. Whatever floats your boat, that's great. Uh, this past week, National Cheese Lover's Day, as he was stuffing his mouth with fromage, and it's also the anniversary of Prohibition when it was ratified uh, into the 18th Amendment, something that uh, Frank Morano does not abide by. Avery, do you think it's at all possible that we can turn him on to Francois Jolie so that he could leave Selena Gomez alone once and for all? Is that a, a possibility by having him play this song over and over and over like he does the Shatner songs? What do you think? What do you think? I haven't seen it. Oh, this is classic. We're going to play a few of the cuts, but we're going to get into you bisecting and dissecting uh, Frank Morano. Uh, all week, uh, he speaks from 1 to 5, Monday through Fridays, the other side of midnight, and and Avery uh, very uh, diligently and with a lot of talent bisects and dissects what he has to say. So give us an introduction uh, of what uh, Frank was riffing on first and foremost, Avery. Um, well, you know how if you, if you listen to if you listen to Frank, he's he um how do I put this? How do I put this, Curtis? He doesn't seem very happy with his life, but at the same time. He says he's very content with his life and how it is right now, but it's kind of a it's a dichotomy there. So, the first thing I have to I have to show y'all is he hates Prince Harry for just being himself, but it's hard to explain because he does the same thing. That's right. It makes me even angrier that this guy is becoming a multimillionaire by essentially airing his family's dirty laundry out in public. It just makes me so annoyed with it. I've never cared so much about Prince Harry until now. Uh, uh. <laughs> this is exactly what Frank does all Frank, the time. this is what you do every week. But he makes millions out of it, and you, do, you give it away for free. <laughs> Why are you mad at Prince Harry? <laughs> you, are, you are a shorter, uh, a less, less valuable version of him. I mean, how many times does he stop in mid-sentence and say, I really shouldn't be saying this? I shouldn't be saying this. I don't want to give this person away. I don't want to betray this person's confidence. But here we go, yo. He throws the person right under the bus. I mean, he, they're like two peas in a pod, a soup and a sandwich, a horse and a carriage, Prince Harry and Frank Morano. They don't know when to stop talking about other people. And not just other people, close family members. Like, the closest you can get. <laughs> And you hate Prince Harry, you are Prince Harry. And let's face it, Prince Harry was just uh, really upset at the fact that he wanted the uh, continued pipeline of money coming to him and Michael Markill uh, and their children. Uh, but uh, Frank Morano stood up and he said, no, 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 that pipeline has to end. In fact, I don't want young Carmine to get a nickel, dime, or penny that I have on my day of departure from this planet. I would like to do that with Carmine. I would like to not leave him any money. I am hoping that we'll give Carmine the tools to be independent and to do well financially and otherwise on his own and not be dependent on a handout from his parents. And, look, I'll help uh, pay for his education and whatever else I could do for this, uh, this young man, but I don't think that he should grow up expecting uh, to be not, not have to work and not have to work hard. 
<laughs> you mean your son? This young man, this, this this young lad, like he stumbled onto the kid on the on the street and, and took him in and gave him a home. This young lad, I'm gonna do what I can for you, young lad. But you know, you're on your own. <laughs> what is it like, Tom Hagen? You know, he was an orphan, and then yeah. Frank Morano brought him into the house. <laughs> that's what Frank. That's that, I think that's the best relationship Frank can envision. A Tom Hagen relationship where the kid gets a law degree and earns his keep. <laughs> this young man, he's 13 months old. This young man, your son. Oh, my God. Hardcore. Can it, will we hear that again? Because he's, like, really hard about this. I would like to do that with Carmine. I would like to not leave him any money. I'm hoping that we'll give Carmine the tools to be independent and to do well financially and otherwise on his own and not be dependent on a handout from his parents. And, look, I'll help uh, pay for his education and whatever else I could do for this uh, this young man, but I don't think that he should grow up expecting uh, to be not not have to work and not have to work hard. As soon as he, as soon as he starts breastfeeding, all right, come on. That's it. Boy, he's uh, worried about an inheritance tax. There won't be any inheritance tax on this because he ain't giving Carmine nothing. And then it's not just him. And by the way, we don't know what Rachel thinks about this. But he's taking it a step further by promoting this concept to his own father and mother saying, no, no, leave Carmine alone. I do not believe in this idea of dynastic wealth. I have told both of my parents, both of my parents have done very well over the years and very hardworking. Both came from nothing, both totally self-made. Not that they're millionaires or billionaires, but they've both done very well. They both have a house, mortgage-free house, and, uh, you know, I think are relatively comfortable. But I have told both of them, you absolutely have my blessing to leave me nothing. If you choose, and especially uh, I have three siblings that are just on my dad's side and i'm an only child on my mom's side and i've told my dad especially you have absolutely my blessing not to leave me a cent his dad said you ruined the surprise frank oh <laughs> i can see carmine they had to work two jobs each stephanie his mother and carmine to send him to nyu I mean, an outrageous amount of money. Well, well, somebody who don't care about, you know, how much money. He, he certainly did an inventory, boy. He gave us an inventory of all their possessions, how much <laughs> it was worth. He gave us the whole rundown, but he don't want it. It's like a King Solomon thing. He's he, he acting like he don't want it, so they give it to him. And then the IRS agent listening was taking notes, like, oh, I see they're doing quite well. Oh, no, Interesting. No, 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 no. Somebody went on a visit. In the meantime, I can easily see Carmine saying, yeah, you ain't my kid anyway. You yeah. ain't getting nothing. Yeah, that's another thing. He, that's when he showed, he showed Frank the picture. Look, Frank, everybody on my side of the family is 6'5". All right? All right, enough of this. Let's deal with the elephant in the room. Frank, you are 5'3 in Timberlands. Everybody on the, everybody on my side of the family is six 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 five. Frank, you are not my kid. As a result, you ain't getting anything anyway. Yeah, I did what I had to do as a man. I, I fulfilled my responsibilities, but now you are not inheriting anything. Oh my God, this guy hardcore, Frank. And then his um, board operator, Matt Blaze, who, by the way, uh, I, I really believe is a fugitive from justice. He has multiple aliases, even more than George Santos. 
But a caller called up Joel asking him about the potentiality that Matt Blaze might replace Frank Morano. And hello, Joel. If you lost your voice permanently, mm. would you support Matt Blaze in your position? Wait, to, to host the show? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know about that. I think I'd have to hear more of uh, Matt hosting. But, um, yeah, I'm not. I'm going to say no at this point. Well, well, when you say if there's no one else, I mean, of course there's going to be someone else, right? I mean, it's not can't be Matt Blaze versus nobody. If the choice is Matt Blaze or dead air, then, yeah, I'll take Matt Blaze. Well, there you go. But uh, I think there might be some other folks between Matt Blaze and dead air. God, man, he was well, trashing Matt Blaze. If the choice is between Matt Blaze and a pit bull barking for six hours, I mean, yeah, <laughs> I'll take Matt Blaze. I mean, that's fine. I mean, if the, if the choice is between Matt Blaze and, and, and a cat that won't shut up, yeah, I'll and, take Matt Blaze. And imagine, here's Matt Blaze looking at Frank. Look at him, staring him down. <laughs> through, the, through this window. And hearing, basically, Frank chop him down. But the first response is the best. My show? <laughs> if you couldn't talk anymore, Frank, would you support Matt Blaze? My show? <laughs> A show or my show? Now, the worst thing in talk radio is dead air. On any radio station, if you're spinning stacks of wax, uh, you're talking economics, sports, whatever it is you're doing on the radio. You don't want dead air. So what did Frank do to actually break every cardinal rule when it comes to broadcasting on radio, but gave us dead air? Now, today, that average, the average time that you can spend working with one device or one paper is now down to 47 seconds. Fascinating. 47 seconds. That's essentially our attention span. Listen to this. Listen close, everybody. Why am I listening to his show? <laughs> this show is horrible. Why do I keep turning back? It's never going to get any better. It's dead air. Oh, my goodness. This is a curse. Chances are you've already gotten bored and moved on to something else. Absolutely, Frank. <laughs> you got that right. 1,000%. Oh, my God. Uh, that's why I tuned in to listen to clock noises. I, <laughs> He, he he puts dead air out there and wonders why people are not going to listen. But he don't talk about anything anyway. Now he literally put nothing on the air. What was he, boiling an egg? Or was that a hard-boiled egg? <laughs> he had to have the timer on. Now, today, that average, the average time that you can spend working with one device or one paper is now voice. down to 47 Seconds. Oh, look, the, the, the intimacy. The, the That's intimacy. essentially our attention span. Listen to this. Everybody, listen. <laughs> <laughs> listen. He, he he's dropping jewels here, y'all. Uh, get your pad and pen out. <laughs> y'all never gonna hear this again. Gotten bored and moved on to something else. Y'all, y'all don't get this just anywhere, y'all. Uh, the hard-boiled egg is good, though. Clock noises. Oh my God. Well, that's Desperation Radio. And then, I guess he figures, uh, since I passed him in the ratings, let me do what Curtis Sliwa is doing, and let me just pimp his ride. Let me begin with Neil on Staten Island, who's been patiently holding. Hello, Neil. Neil. Did Neil fall asleep? Is he, is he snoring? Surprised at Neil. Wake up! 
I think he's snoring. Is he asleep? Do you think he's asleep? Wake up! You know, I'll say this for Neil. I don't hear... It's a very light snore, if he is snoring. Ah! Hang on, wait, wait, wait. Let, let's see if he Wake is snoring. I want, I want to hear him. All right, everybody, here we go again. <laughs> everybody yeah, it's listen. A very, I hear him breathing, but it's not a snore. So I will say this, you know, you can say what you want about Neil. Whatever other issues he has, he is not much of a snorer. This oh. is big news. I am told Neil is awake. Hello, Neil. Uh, I was awake, Frank. I actually went to pick up the phone, and it fell off the armrest, and it, it cut off and hung up. So, Frank, what were we listening to before, Frank? You were so sure. You you, you, you quieted everything down. You had everybody listen again. I hear him breathing. I hear, Listen, you can hear it. You can hear it. Stick your ear to the receiver. You can hear a man breathing there. What were you? What did you hear, Frank? More dead air. More dead air. What the hell? Doesn't he realize cardinal rule number one, keep talking. Don't allow for dead air or people are going to think, oh, I, I, it must not be WABC, and tune away. Don't let people wise up. Keep talking, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> He's boiling hard-boiled eggs with a timer. <laughs> he ran to the bathroom. <laughs> Shh, keep listening, everybody. Yeah. Only only the truly enlightened will hear will hear the answer. Keep on listening. Keep on listening. Here we go. Don't you hear it? I know I do. Man. Man, they had me laughing so hard there I lost my voice. There it. Now, there it is right there. Do you hear? Anyway, anyway the danger area that Frank Morano gets involved in from time to time is pornography. He says he's not kid porno, but I've never heard anybody on the radio talk more about pornography than Frank Morano. People may not believe this, but I'll, I'm going to tell you anyway. I don't watch or look at pornography. I have looked at pornography, but it's never really been, um, you know, a big thing for me, right? Uh-huh. The one time when in my life when trying to look at pornography was, this is the greatest irony of all ironies. Okay. When trying to look at prior, uh, pornography was a big priority for me was when I was too young to purchase it. We all know there are certain ways that uh, young people find to get their hands on pornography. Uh-oh, legal team. And other things that are like Oh, here they come running. They're running in. They're running in. You go to a pornographic <laughs> website on uh, the Internet. I don't know what a big um, pornographic website is, but... Uh, Let's say, let's say porn.com. I don't know if that's a real website or not, but let's pretend it is. I don't know. Gone are the days as a 15-year-old, a 16-year-old, where you don't know what you're doing sexually and you're stumbling around Legal trying theme. to figure things out. <laughs> now you're in an era where these kids, after watching hours and hours of pornography, they have all these expectations of how a sexual encounter is supposed to go. Man, what is it with this guy? Frank, uh... Here's the legal team. Oh, Frank, there's just things you cannot say. Do you realize that there's things that is not okay to say? But he says he's against porno, and he doesn't watch it. No, he don't. But then again, what is he going to do with Carmine? Eventually, the kid's got to go to school and learn about porno the same way he did in the streets. That's the unpacking right there. Number one, if he's this world-class interviewer, he does all his research when he does his interviews. But he doesn't research one real porn site. He comes up with porn.com. 
Franklin. <laughs> I'm just gonna make up a porn site. Porn.com. You couldn't find one real porn. See, that's where you're going too far. We all believe you watch porn anyway, Frank. The dog, just come on. Be real with it. Well, he said he used to. He used to. At a much younger age, he was fascinated with pornography, but no longer as an adult. And then Carmine. Like, Carmine, always, he's already going to have challenges. <laughs> now he's going to be the kid whose father is trying to eliminate porn. <laughs> then on top of that, he's going to be the kid whose father wants to get rid of God. teenage sex. Look, he's going to have to homeschool that kid. <laughs> homeschool? Can he's you imagine to, that? It's going to be Lunch Money Murano too. <laughs> <laughs> and then, speaking of Lunch Money Murano, Frank is constantly asking to either get paid more or tipped by the people who listen to him on the other side of Midnight Monday through Fridays from 1 to 5. I believe that um, my job should be tip-worthy. I wish people would tip me. And, I, and people think I'm joking when I bring that up, and I'm not. I, I really would love to walk outside of the radio station and all these people that say to me, hey, great show, hey, that was really informative, I wish they'd give me five bucks or a dollar. It would make me feel like my work was at least appreciated. Them telling you that you had a good show is not enough? Them listening to you and letting you have a, make a living doing something that you love is not enough? They have to give you five bucks too, huh? <laughs> How about he just uh, goes over to the McDonald's a block from where we broadcast and hold the door open for people, right? Yeah. <laughs> You listen to the show? Yeah. You like the show? Yeah. Okay, well, would that be cash, check, or charge? <laughs> I take I take Venmo. I think, <laughs> well, you listen to the show, right? Oh. <laughs> Come on. Ain't nothing free here. <laughs> Man, he's always trying to snore stuff all the time. And then, you know, he's at the point now where he's a celebrity, not just on Staten Island where he was birthed, but all through the tri-state area and beyond because he's got a nationally syndicated show, The Other Side of Midnight, here on WABC. Hello, Charlie. Hello, Frank. I, I want to ask you, if you and Rachel went into a diner, like went into a restaurant type of thing, and you were recognized, and so it's, hey, that's Frank Morano. Uh, would your wife, Rachel, object to you entertaining the, the fan, the person, the, the fan recognize you, or, or would she be okay with it? Um, no, that actually happens all the time, and uh, Rachel is very patient <laughs> with it, and she she has come to has come to accept that that happens all the time, and she's pretty cool with it. I, I, it's when people get to be a little, you know, um, obsessive, and they. <laughs> kind of hook into you and not let you have a moment's peace, then I can see her uh, taking an issue with uh, with that. It's hard work being Frank Morano, man. <laughs> First of all, let's just start there. <laughs> Rachel knew what she was getting into. She knew she was sharing Frank with the world. She knew. I mean... Well, you know what it is. Frank goes to the Annandale Diner there, and he's got his groupies there waiting for him. They're like 76 years old. You know, they're waiting for Frank Morano. Yeah, and I mean, look, when they start throwing the thongs on the table and everything, that's too much. That's too much. You know, when when they chase Frank to the car and start rocking the car back and forth, that's that's too much. That's that's too much, man. That's when, that's when the relationship is strained between him and Rachel. You know, when they run up, when they run up to him and lift their shirt up and go, Frank, sign my chest. That's too much. You got to respect my personal time, people. 
I don't get that much time to spend with my family. <laughs> Frank, we love you. When when Frank just kisses them on the forehead and they just drop dead. I mean, Frank, oh. man, I don't know how you do it, Frank. Oh, God. It's, I don't know how you do it. Tough life. Tough it's life. Tough. A seventy-six-year-old women flashing him, uh, showing him their mammary glands. His celebrity is a burden sometimes. It's not. It's, it's not easy being Frank. Y'all, <laughs> I'm telling you, y'all got to really, really think about that. And then, speaking about difficult being Frank, you know, it's very difficult with all the things he has to do as a father. He's got to maintain the household when Rachel is away, earning her income as a Pulitzer Prize-winning uh, writer for various newspapers. Uh, but he is um, a klutz. There's no doubt. He's calamity Frank Morano. So yesterday I woke up in the afternoon, and maybe I misjudged where my head was on the bed and how close I was to my nightstand. And I start, while my eyes are closed, I start moving pretty fast towards my nightstand. And wouldn't you know it, Boom! I slam my right cheek right beneath my eye hard right onto my nightstand. And so it now looks like I've had sort of a black eye all day because I whacked this nightstand. And uh, I have to tell you, I don't mind telling you, it really hurts. It really hurts. And it's very visible. It's a giant red mark that I suspect will be black and blue by tomorrow. Sleep responsibly. Because those nightstands can be trickier than they look. Sleep Frank, responsibly? Frank, come on. Like We deal with this like, I mean, look, first of all, the Knicks didn't cover and you got smacked around. <laughs> all right? Frank Frank's trying to cover up. Oh, Lord, he had another one of those waking up accidents. <laughs> he had one of those waking up and reaching over accidents where you get a black eye from waking up and reaching over to the nightstand. And he hit his cheek on his nightstand. That's why yeah. he's all black and blue. The book he told you, if you were late one more time... <laughs> I was going to be in your life. He said, Frank, I'm going to give you a pass this one time. If you are late one more time, I'm going to be in your life. That's what happened. Frank, we are here for you. And then you're asking you're asking people for $5 to listen to your show. Frank, we are here for you. Use us. Use us, Frank. We are a family here at WABC. Speaking of family, uh, we are on the outside looking in. Once again, a uh, event was uh, hosted at Shea Murano on the south shore of Staten Island. I know you, Avery, were not invited. I know that you, Broadway Bill Lee, were not invited, although your colleague at WCBS-FM, uh, Joe Causey, was. And I certainly was not invited, and that was the viewing party to uh, watch the disaster that transpired in the stadium in Philadelphia, Link Field, in which uh, our beloved Giants got smashed by the Philadelphia Eagles. And listen to how he talked about it on his show. Even though he gave us once again here on the other side of midnight, Wolf Tickets as not inviting us to any of his events. Saturday is this big uh, Giants-Eagles game, which I'm pretty excited about. Uh, and I've decided... Uh, to invite uh, a few friends of mine over, a few fellas that uh, live in the neighborhood, maybe elsewhere. And um, ultimately, I said, all right, let me invite one or two people. And I'm thinking, all right, well, if I invite those guys, then maybe i got to invite these guys. And i got to invite those guys, and i got to invite these guys. So now I've invited a whole bunch of people over Saturday. And 
This has turned into a, almost like a mini Super Bowl party, but it's better than the Super Bowl because unlike the Super Bowl where everybody has to work the next day, you could like stick around and have a few beers and enjoy the game and not have to worry about being up at the crack of dawn. Let me tell you something. They were out of there before halftime. <laughs> let me tell. Let me tell you something. He put all his money he had left on the Giants, and his bookie was at the party. <laughs> <laughs> Was, they they couldn't put two and two together when Frank took off running up the road. <laughs> <laughs> Frank got a hot tip. Frank got a hot tip and, and, and took the Giants. <laughs> but I'm telling you, everybody cleared out of his house by halftime. It was over. The game was over by halftime. And Frank Morano wondered, what the hell was he going to do with all the beer and the fromage, the cheese, you know, the well, cheese that he had put out? Well, the bookie didn't leave. <laughs> <laughs> and Frank tried to keep everybody there for that reason. Where are you going? Now, you would have thought <laughs> that his faithful, trusty wife would have been there to protect him, Rachel. But apparently she was spending the night out. So my sister Claudia is organizing sort of like a girl's night out on Saturday. And she's got a whole bunch of friends, and I don't know if it's a night out or a night in. I think she's organizing a sleepover, basically. Neither. For all, um, you know, some friends of hers and for some relatives of hers. And so my wife um, told me that she's going to this. <laughs> and apparently she had told me about it already, and I said, and I don't remember this, but uh, she, I, she said that I said that, oh, go ahead, honey, you know, I'll watch Carmine. I was either half asleep or drunk or both at the time, so I have no recollection of that. But that's great. I'm glad that she's going to go out and have a good time. <laughs> Frank, man, what are you doing? So your wife comes up to you and says, I'm going to spend the night somewhere, and you are, I already told you about it, and you already agreed to it, so don't even bother thinking about it. See, this is what guys do sometimes. They think about all the stuff they can do, but they don't think about, well, what's my, what's my wife doing? Come on, Frank. What are you doing? That's like a teenage lie. That's something you tell you. That's something you tell your mother when you're like 13 years old. I'm going to Becky's house, and then the mother calls Becky's house, and Becky goes, "Well, she's in the shower. She'll call you." Your wife told you that she just said, "I told you," and you agreed to it, and you said, "Okay." Come on, Frank. And he said, "Well, maybe I was half asleep, drunk, both." You know, he already knows his mo. Frank, man, I'm worried about you, man. I'm worried about you. Now, what was go what was happening with Carmine? She left him alone with Carmine <laughs> on the night of the football game hey. where his bookie was there sitting on the couch? Let me tell you what happens if Frank tries to pull that with, with Rachel. Hey, Rachel, I'm going out. I'll be gone for the weekend. I already told you about it, and you said yes. Rachel's like, what's her name? Where does she live? I'm going to kill her. I'm going to kill this house wrecker, and then I'm going to come back and kill you. That's what Rachel would do, not you, though. Oh, I got to let you know, you know, we're going to have to hook Frank up with Francois Jolie. Uh, we got to get him off of this uh, Selena Gomez thing. It's really getting bad. Or maybe get him on to Lisa Lisa. Remember Lisa Lisa? Uh, man, she was good, right? We really got to distract Frank. We definitely have to distract Frank. Oh, all of a sudden, Broadway Bill Lee was so engrossed in what we were talking about. How about we go to uh, what Frank Morano should never have done, and that is take a shot at our program director, Matt Meany. This is a faux pas. This is something you never do 
And I think Frank Morano was feeling his oats, and he thought he could give a smackdown to our program director, Matt Meany. Thanks to the program director of WABC, Noam Layden, he has helped me discover that we have the capability for me to play my own audio, which is... What did I say? Program director. Oh, news director. He should be the program director because he's the only one telling the truth about the audio capability here. They're looking for someone new. Gnome would be a great choice. Now, let me tell you something, Frank. Tread lightly here. Now, you already tried to take a shot at Lopez, and Lopez pulled up to your, pulled up to your show at 3.30 a.m. <laughs> talking military strategy and telling you <laughs> what he was going to do to you if you popped off again. So, okay, you go lower. Do not mess with Meany. I'm telling you, he got those crazy eyes. I would not deal with Matt Meany in that. In that. <laughs> Matt Meany will show up at your house. Let me tell you, he did. He took a shot at Chad Lopez, our Capo di Tutti, the uh, head of Red Apple Media. And Chad, like you said, showed up at 3.30 in the morning. 3.30. Hey, Frank. Hey, Chad. <laughs> oh, look who's here. At 3.30 a.m., the president of Red <laughs> And he just sat down and stayed. And he just stayed, Curtis. <laughs> first of all, well, so when I killed my first person, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, Frank looking around, Blaze like, no, no, I wouldn't be fit to replace you. So go ahead, Frank, deal with it. Deal with it, Frank. <laughs> Don't so, look here. So now we're going to have Matt Meany showing up at like 3, yeah. 3.30 in the morning. Yeah, with those crazy eyes, man. Does, does Frank Morano have a death wish? Matt Meany asked you to stay later. Like, for, I need you to stay four hours later. You can't make eye contact with him because you make eye contact with him, you're going to do it. You got to look at the ground. You got to look at the, at the ceiling. No, Frank, I got to go, man. I can't do it. I can't do it. So when you make eye contact with him, you go, all right, four hours, that's it, Meany. Man, Frank Morano has a death wish. Anyway, he conjured up, you know, because his musical tastes are not, not necessarily anything we'd play here on this, uh, the other side of midnight. But he he conjured up R.E.M. This is R.E.M. Um, what is the frequency, Kenneth? Uh-oh, legal team. A terrific song. You know what this song's about or what the basis for this song is? Let us turn to our very own Kenneth, who should be an expert on all things Kenneth. Legal team. Um, well, you know what this is about? Kenneth? Yeah, the, the basis of this song is making sure we get all of your episodes and get them onto a flash drive. <laughs> That's very clever. Yeah, um, I mean, it'd be a little bit more clever if um, if the audience knew that I had asked you to do that. Yeah, well, we know now, Frank. Frank, um, why are you smuggling episodes of your show out to your house on flash drives? <laughs> That's what happens if you push people too far, Frank. They push back. Why are you having Ken dump all your shows to jump drives and flash drives and you're taking them home? <laughs> I mean, we certainly have the capabilities to do that here, to archive our shows here. Why are you doing that, Frank, taking it upon yourself? Man, that is a danger zone for Frank, man. Uh, he knows he shouldn't be doing that. He knows, and that's why he, that's why his hands are clean. He he, he going to make Kenny do it. That's right. Kenny's going to be the fall guy for him. You know, he's the stunad. He's the uh, the runway model. You know, he's the guy that uh, Frank is just, like, in love with. It's, it's sort of, like, platonic with him and Ken. But he's more than happy to set up Ken to take the oh, fall. Oh, big Lee Harvey Oswald vibes. <laughs> <laughs> Kenneth, what? Kenneth did what? 
<laughs> well, I think you I think you just need to deal with Kenneth. Well, you can tell Kenneth's back, ladies and gentlemen. Second oh caller of the night, you can tell Kenneth is back. <laughs> he been fat he been fattening Kenneth up for this for like months. <laughs> How you doing, kid? Are you doing good? Are you adjusting good? Okay, here's what I need you to do. I need you to start downloading episodes of shows. <laughs> massive, massive amounts of data. And I need you to put it on flash drives and just slide it to me. Don't hand it to me in the public because we don't want to alarm anybody. Just slide it to me. Leave it in this Dropbox. I'm gonna give you the I'm gonna give you the PO box key and just leave it in the PO box. I'll come by, you know, in my leisure and get it. Man, this guy, he's setting up Ken for a fall. For a huge fall. Like like, like Biden documents. <laughs> like, hey, I'm going to need you to slip out. Like 3.30 a.m., I'm going to need you to slip out and go get into Chad Lopez's office. I'm a, I know his password. I need you to get into his office, download a couple, couple items. You know, upload a couple things, download a couple things. No wonder why he doesn't want us over to his house, because we would spot these flash drives. <laughs> He's probably got a whole room full of flash drives. A whole room full of everything. Man, anyway, um, we need to get him on to Francois Jolie and offer Selena Gomez. So uh, do your best, because it's really becoming a problem. I mean, Selena Gomez is suggesting that uh, Frank Morano is a stalker. He's not a stalker. He's just a nudge. I, I kind of like her whole personality, right? And it's not. Curtis always makes it out like I have a, a crush on her. That's not the case at all. I, whenever I were to fantasize about someone, I always fantasize about someone that would really like me romantically. And I don't think Selena Gomez, I don't think I'm her cup of tea at all. And to me, she just, I know she's, I think, 30 now. But to me, I just view her as being young. M- m- way too young for, for me to ever be in a relationship with. It's another side of midnight. 77 WABC. Oofa. It's another side of midnight. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. <laughs> I bring all all those great jams. Francois Jolie, back in 79 when I started the Guardian Angels, we're just on the cusp of my 44th anniversary, February 13th, 1979. And I remember this jam, and we got to get Frank Morano off of following around Selena Gomez. Uh, well, if it's not Francois Jolie, maybe it'll be Lisa Lisa. You know, come on. Broadway Billy, you could help with that because this is an obsession that he has. Well, let me hear this tune. Tomorrow, 
Come on, Frank, get over Selena Gomez. Get over her. Bet you forgot all about Francois Jolie, huh? Get him uh, on the Jones of Francois Jolie or Lisa Lisa. Definitely. Uh, you take care of the Lisa Lisa part, Broadway Bill Lee. But, uh, Frank, uh, he wouldn't drop this obsession he has of trying to shake and extort our listeners, his listeners, to the other side of midnight. He's on Monday through Fridays from 1 to 5. to giving him tips like he, as if he was a waiter or a waitress. Uh, nobody should uh, give me anything in terms of if they win the lottery. I am happy to get money for um, work that I've done <laughs> in terms of tips, right, which I think is very deserved. I've always said I think it would be nice if you left me in your will, and I'm not looking to make money. You know what I think is nice? I think it's nice to be thought of. It, it does irk me a little bit that a lot of these listeners who spend every night with me, who get ignored by their relatives, who may not have a lot of friends, but are with me every night, don't even think about putting me in their will because I'm their friend when no one else is. I keep them company when no one else does. So I'm not looking to get wealthy uh, by having everybody put me in their will. But even if you left me like a book or something, or, you know, for instance, we have uh, a, a couple of nice listeners, uh, the Vastolas. They gave me this uh, very nice FDR uh, teacup. Very nice. I would love if somebody had a nice presidential antique that, uh, that said, all right, you know, Frank is into presidential history. They'll live me something like that. Um, Bridget and Robert Guzzi, they gave me, they are thankfully still alive, but they gave me uh, their their mom's grandfather clock, which what? I think was nice. <laughs> I, I think that's nice to be thought of that way. It's just kind of a, a, sh a showing that you're appreciative of the work that we're doing. Hey. Oh, uh, Frank's showing up at the house with the U-Haul van. You got giant watermelon testicles, my friend. <laughs> <laughs> to ask to ask people, hey, look, I don't need money. I just want expensive antiques. Whoa! Look, you don't have to give me a check. Just give me those JFK cufflinks, <laughs> the ones that he wore the night before he was assassinated. I, I'll take those. That's not. That's just like money, Frank. Man, he's like bilking widows. <laughs> this is incredible. He, he's driving around the five boroughs with a U-Haul van. <laughs> <laughs> He's got Matt Blaze driving him. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Not anymore. Now to what he said about Blaze. Blaze is like, you drive the U-Haul van. <laughs> I have never heard in my life, 35 years in talk radio and listening before that, anybody snore more than this guy. Your family don't want you. We all we got. <laughs> Wait a minute, no, 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 let me take a look at that place. Let me, let me take a look at that. Wait, no. We got to listen to this one more time. <laughs> uh, nobody should uh, give me anything in terms of if they win the lottery. I am happy to get money for um, work that I've done in terms of tips, right, which I think is very deserved. I've always said I think it would be nice if you left me in your will, and I'm not looking to make money, 
You know what I think is nice? I think it's nice to be thought of. It, it does irk me a little bit that a lot of these listeners the who now. spend every night with me, who get ignored by their relatives, who may not have a lot of friends, but are with me every night, every don't even night. think about putting me in their will because I'm their friend when no one else is. I keep them company when no one else does. So I'm not looking to get wealthy uh, by not. having everybody put me in their will. But even if you left me like a book or something, yeah, yeah. or you know, for instance, we have uh, a first edition, a couple of nice listeners, uh, the Vastolas. They gave me this uh, very nice FDR uh, teacup. Maybe the first very edition nice. of the Bible. I if somebody had a nice presidential antique that uh, that said, "All right, you know, Frank is into presidential history," they'll leave me something like that. Um, Bridget and Robert Guzzi, they gave me. They are thankfully still alive. But they gave me uh, their their mom's grandfather Thankfully. clock, which I think was nice. He's I, I think that's he's in nice that will. That way. It's just kind of a, a, sh- a showing that you're appreciative of the work that we're doing. He's, uh. in, he's in that will. He calls them every day, <laughs> hoping they don't pick up. <laughs> Hello? Hello? Oh, darn. Okay, click. <laughs> She got a Da Vinci. Frank was Frank was was, was, was scouting around the house and, and found a loose floorboard and found a Da Vinci in, in the floorboard. He can't wait for her to go. <laughs> so I can have anything in the house when you go, right? <laughs> and the clock they gave him—if he found like an original copy of the of the U.S. Constitution or something in there—you think? Oh, you think he would give it back? No, 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 no. no. And then, you know, that song, Let's Go, Brandon, he had a caller. Let's go, Brandon. Brandon is in New Jersey. Hello, Brandon. Hey, Frank. How are you? Good. Good, good. Uh, so keeping in the apocalyptic uh, questions, say uh, John Kessmanides runs in at the end of the world. He's going to bring you to you and your family to the bunker to uh, outlive a nuclear holocaust. But you can't warn your listeners, or he'll give up your seat. Would you warn us or no? Well, so um, give me the scenario, right? So I, 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 there's a bunker that I can survive a nuclear war with my with my family. But if I tell people about it on the radio, I don't get to go, and I, I die with everyone else. Obviously, I would like to tell the audience, but if the, if he's given away my spot and my family's spot, and uh, the choice is not say anything about it on the radio or um, or uh, have my family survive and be in a position to look after my family in a post-apocalyptic world, I'm sorry, uh, Brandon, and I hope you don't think less of me, but uh, I would absolutely do whatever John asks, and I would uh, I would sacrifice the audience for my family. I'm sorry about that, but it's true. So he wants your heirlooms. He wants your antiques. He wants you to tip him just for talking to you because your family don't want you. And now he won't even tell you if, if there's a nuclear apocalypse coming. Listeners, where exactly do you sit with him? Like, where exactly are you with him on his totem pole? Well, let me tell you something. Robert called him out real quick after that call. 
Robert is in Pennsylvania. Hello, Robert. I wanted to push it one step further. Okay, <laughs> to get your answer. Sure. Hey, there is no Frank family. It's just Frank. Does your answer change? Oh, absolutely. Right, absolutely. Uh, no, if it's um, if it's just me, then I'm absolutely telling the listeners. No doubt about it. All right, listen. Now, if you out there and you believe Frank, raise your hand. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to tell you, that'll be Frank's most frantic week of getting everybody's will. That week that the nuclear bomb was coming, he'll be driving that U-Haul van around <laughs> until the wheels come off. <laughs> and his last stop before the nuclear, um, the, 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 the bunker will be to the storage. He'll put oh. everything in storage before the nuclear bunker. And now he won't, he'll tell, he'll warn everybody now, but he won't warn everybody then. And then I want you to hear. A diss and dismiss. He had on attorney Jeffrey Lickman, but he acted like he couldn't wait for him to get off, get off the air because he had bigger fish to fry. One of the most interesting people that Jeffrey has ever told a story about was Bruce Cutler. And I, I've interviewed Bruce before. I asked him to come on a couple of years ago. Um, I got to try and reach out to him again. He, he wanted to get paid, and I told him we don't do that. And uh, <laughs> Bruce said he didn't want to. He didn't want to hear that. But. I got to know Bruce a little bit over the years. Bruce Cutler is another famous criminal defense attorney. Yeah. See, Bruce Cutler answered the question the same way uh, Frank answered the question about Blaze. When Frank said, my show? <laughs> Frank said, Bruce, could you come on my show? Bruce said, your show? <laughs> I'm not talking to you without being paid. In the meantime, he forgot all about Jeffrey Lickman. It's yeah. Like- Lickman just did his show and everything. And then all of a sudden, now, as soon as he hangs up with Lickman, he talks about the one he couldn't get. <laughs> I wanted Bruce Cutler, but, you know, he wouldn't come on without me paying him. So, you know, I guess we got Jeffrey. And then Marilyn uh, talks to him about a courtroom dream. I don't know if it was wet or dry that he had had. Marilyn. That's a person. That's funny. Marilyn from New Jersey writes, Hi, Frank. I did not hear your courtroom dream where you were on trial for corruption when you originally broadcast it. But I heard it replayed on Curtis's show <laughs> around 4.30 Saturday morning. I have some thoughts on the dream as I remember hearing it. Some aspects of your life are on display as Buckle you reveal up. some personal information on your show. Not everyone agrees with some of your actions or behaviors morally or ethically, myself included. <laughs> huh. I don't mean you're guilty of corruption, as your dream stated, but there are some things about your lifestyle that I would not be doing, drinking, gambling, etc., or other smaller situations. You open yourself up to lots of feedback, including the segment where Curtis and his partner rake you over the coals. There's a lot of discussion on the Facebook page about whether or not you should allow yourself to be publicly humiliated by Curtis. This is some email. Bottom line is that the public criticism has left you conflicted and powerless let me know if i'm onto something now my big issue with this email was why are you listening to it on curtis's show when i'm right here listen to me i'll do it i don't i don't even want to hear your dream from you frank i want to i'll go to curtis's show to hear your dream as told by those two over there oh god and he's all bent out of shape i mean she broke him down like she gave him like one of those fbi what do you call those people the, the profilers. <laughs> and Frank had to stop reading it. It cut too close to the bone. <laughs> I don't love this. 
You get this and you do this, and, you, and I, I don't, I don't approve of your lifestyle, the drinking, the gambling. I don't approve of this. You, I mean, and, and, and we just got through talking about how you trying to work all your listeners for like antiques and, 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 and heirlooms. Oh man! And then naturally, nothing surmounts. Nothing can compare to dealing with Shatner, even when Shatner gives him the shiv as he's done a hundred times before. I did reach out to the folks running the Shatner Star Trek II screenings to see if I could do something on stage with them. And I don't know. I, I don't. I haven't really heard back, so I don't know if it's going to come to fruition. But I did get, um, we did get tickets. So Rachel and I are going. My brother Nick is going with his wife, Kat, and uh, my brother Alex is going. So we got five, two, four, five tickets, right? But, for another hundred dollars, you can get a Shatner meet and greet. You paid for so those tickets. So I offered to pay, but I thought it was a hundred dollars for all of us. It's a hundred dollars each, so I don't really want to spend five hundred dollars, and I don't want to exclude anybody. So maybe we'll skip the VIP Shatner experience. But if there's a way that I can just add the hundred dollars to my ticket, we'll probably just skip it. God, he was promised to be up on the stage by Shatner. I could just. The, the first picture that comes to my mind is just Shatner just giggling on the ride home all the way, all the whole rest of the day. <laughs> he was like, I don't know if he's going to buy it, but I'm going to say it anyway. Wild horses couldn't keep me away. I, I can see Shatner just giggling at that for like eight hours straight. God. And then there's no way. You promise everybody knows how he loves William Shatner. Oh, then you adores him, adores him. Then you promise me that I'm going to come and do your show on my show, and then you give me the shiv. Now I'm going to buy tickets to your show and bring my family. Frank's cause he's just going to walk his family to the head of the stage, and they're all just going to stare at Shatner. <laughs> <laughs> like the Indian in the trash commercial. <laughs> This is the last line of defense. Come on, bring Carmine. Put Carmine in his cutest outfit. <laughs> we just, just stare at William Shatner. You know I'm supposed to be up there, Will. You promised. <laughs> William Shatner. Hey, somebody do something about that over there. <laughs> uh, now, we must continue to try to lure Frank away from Selena Gomez to Francois Jolie or... Lisa, Lisa, let's continue to try to do such. He knows New York. He is New York. Cred that the others don't have. Curtis Lewa, Talk Radio 77, WABC. Hooked on Francois Jolie or Lisa Lisa and get him off the case of Selena Gomez because they're suggesting that Frank is like a stalker who can't get an interview, you know, with Tulsi Gabbard. Now Selena Gomez, Senator Cinema, who he's fascinated with in Arizona because she's bisexual. And yes. He does change up, and it's not only the femme fatales. 
But it's Andrew Evil Eyes Cuomo. King Cuomo II, the son of Mario Facha Bruta Cuomo, King Cuomo I. If you've listened to me for any length of time, I think you know that there's been no one on the radio more critical of former Governor Andrew Cuomo than I have been. When he started his podcast and he started doing some radio interviews, I very politely reached out to his people in the hopes of getting him on this show. So I reached out one more time yesterday and said politely, just making sure you got this email. Well, yesterday, I got a response back from the governor's people that he and his media team are considering coming on this show. We'll see where it goes, but I at least have to give him points for responding. <laughs> of course he got the email. Did you get my email? Did your internet break? <laughs> I, I sent you, I, I sent you, a, a, the grammar was perfect. Oh, God. Hey, Cuomo say, look, let's see if, let's see if Shannon let you on that stage. That, <laughs> <laughs> maybe I'll do your little show. If Shannon don't respect you, I'm not gonna. Oh, God. I mean, he did come on your show and promise you you could do it. Oh, man. And then ignore all your calls. Oh, uh, Frank Marano. <laughs> Such a meat album. Such a meat album. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Check this out. On the weekend, take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep, and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Harmonizing as he always did. Tell 
David Crosby, no longer with us, was the uh, lead member in starting the group, The Birds, and then was asked to leave. And in the end, with Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, even his uh, very dear friend Graham Nash from uh, Great Britain, said, nah, enough of this guy, enough. Uh, they all recognized what a great talent David Crosby uh, was and how he could harmonize with any musicians, anytime, any place, even after sobering up, being stone drunk or high or injecting drugs. or Doesn't matter. Guy could just get up with that guitar and harmonize like it was no tomorrow, but enough was enough. Even members of Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, and Joni Mitchell said, no, can't deal with him any longer. He's just a negative, negative influence. But, oh, boy, could he sing, could he play, and could he come up with the melodies. And did so towards the end of his life, more so than even Neil Young or Joni Mitchell did on their own, or Graham Nash or Stephen Stills. You know, Stephen Stills, best known, coming out of... Uh, Dallas, Texas, love the one you're with. Graham Nash, uh, basically what became the song on how many had to go to Chicago uh, during 68, the Democratic Convention. Joni Mitchell, who uh, created the Woodstock uh, song that is synonymous with Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. She couldn't sing it because she couldn't make it. Up the New York State Thruway when half a million strong in the summer of 69 adventured up to Max Yeager's farm there, not far from Woodstock itself. And, of course, Neil Young with all of his classic hits. But we're going to continue to honor the memory of David Crosby. Uh, if you can, if you could recycle uh, some of his classic songs in and out. It's something that everybody wants to hear, they yearn to hear. When you play some of the classics like Wooden Ships, which was that anti-war epic created by Crosby, Stills, and Nash. No young at the time. He wasn't permitted to come across uh, the border from Canada where he resided, along with Joni Mitchell. Almost Cut My Hair. That's a classic. Long time gone. Oh, man. He had so many. So many. So continue as we uh, pay tribute to the life and times of David Crosby. Really good stuff. And this particular song, The Other Side of Midnight, was crafted for our version, the weekend version, which is the better version, which you can hear uh, Saturday mornings from 12 to 6. And then so nice, the suits let me do it twice, and I keep all of you up till the break of dawn from 12 midnight Sunday morning, uh, which we're in right now, to 6. You certainly don't want to be nodding out. You certainly don't want to be cutting any Z's. You certainly don't want to be cutting out. Because we're really going to go deep into it and get to your many phone calls. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. To the tune of David Crosby, what he specially crafted for us here at WABC, The Other Side of Midnight. Because I had the back of Crosby, Stills, Nash and & Young and Joni Mitchell when they took on Spotify. And that muscle had, uh, he's the podcaster there. I, I, I don't even like podcasts. You know, I don't know why people listen to them. It's not interactive radio. There's no callers involved. Uh, but uh, muscle head there, well, a former UFC, uh, what's his name again? I hate to even say his name. It's like, it's like Drek, you know. Claims he grew up in Newark. Get out of here. 
Put him and me in the ring, right? Even though I'm older than him, I'll knock him out. I know how they're, oh, well, you know, UFC chain. Man, he's always smoking reefer, man. He's not in shape. You know who I'm talking about, right? No, 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 no we're not going to mention his name because I don't, I don't like podcasts. I really don't. It's not real radio. It's in the can. It's all edited. It's not, it's not what this thing is of ours. Intimate, on the moment, interactive with all of you. It's 4.12 in the morning, East Coast time, but we are being heard globally all across the world. Although I don't think in Antarctica, we're going to have to test that out with the app. And the smartphone, the iPhone, the Apple, you can hear us crystal clear anywhere. Or on your laptop computer or your worktop computer, the stream, so crystal clear. Oh, this is so good, David Crosby. I almost don't want to go to the phones, but I got to. So many people who are calling. So many people who are calling. Let's, in fact, go to Donovan, who is calling from the furthest away. I'm assuming this is not Vancouver, Washington, but Vancouver, British Columbia. Am I correct, Donovan? You are correct, Curtis. I'm Vancouver, B.C. I'm the blind guy who called a couple weeks ago. Oh, my God. It's uh, My wife is almost on the verge of being blind. She's like a modern-day Helen Keller, although the uh, there is hope that she will recover. But, yeah, I know I remember that call very distinctly, Donovan. Well, I... I appreciate that, but I, 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 tonight I'm wanting to uh, condemn Curtis, or no, um, Frank, because he does his condem- condemnations every Friday morning, and he condemned Canada and alcohol use because apparently, well, it's big news here in Canada. You cannot have more than two drinks a week, otherwise it's unhealthy for you, but yet he's talking about having people over for beers. Yeah, yeah, now, wait a second. Let me, let me get this straight, because that's one of his programs I didn't hear, Donovan. So in his, he does his commendations and condemnations. So he had the, uh, he had the maple leaf. He condemned the maple leaf. He called them denunciations. No, he condemned alcohol, but yet he was talking about having people over for beers. Now, I that, personally that, agree that, with him. I know, but that's incredible, Donovan. In the very week, in 1919, when Prohibition was ratified by the states, the 18th Amendment to the United States Constitution, which prohibited the manufacture, sale, or transportation of any intoxicating liquors for beverage purposes, on this, and then he, he, he pimp-slapped Canada over that? No, he condemned alcohol. He's on the side of Prohibition. That's what I'm saying. This guy could not survive three days He needed, without any moisture in his mouth to spit. Are you kidding? This guy goes from drink to drink. Well, I know, and, and I'm the same way. I, I'm, a, I, I'm a blind drunk. I enjoy drinking and the feeling that drinking gives me. And the fact that they say now that two drinks uh, per week is unsafe for you, I don't buy it. Now, hold, hold, yet, hold on a second. Hold on. Uh, stay on the line right here, Donovan. I need some correction here. Avery, our nighttime producer and one who oftentimes is saddled with having to uh, be there for the Frank Morano show, what specifically did Frank say? Because, he, I mean, everybody thinks of Frank as a degenerate gambler and a lush, right? What did he say? You're asking me or Avery? He talked about um, how no amount of alcohol is, is, is considered healthy anymore. Hey, it used to be a certain amount was, was allowed, but now he 
they did have some doctors or whoever said that no amount of alcohol is healthy anymore. Wow. This is like an attack on Canada for years before the attack in 9-11, Donovan. It was the excuse we would use at the border when the Canadian authorities, the RCMPs, uh, Dudley Do-Right and his trusty steed would say to the Americans coming across, and what is your purpose in visiting Canada? Naturally, uh, Americans would say making a beer run. We're going there for uh, the Canadian beers, which had more alcohol content in it than the American beers. Of course. And now it's somehow become the, the, the health police in, in Canada who have uh, policed uh, fats in, in different chocolate bars and different foods that kids eat. Now they're saying that no amount of alcohol is, is, is healthy. And Frank, in his infinite wisdom, decided to also condemn alcohol. And basically, without saying it, inferred that he would he was done with alcohol. Well, Six man. martinis is a lot. That's the that's the most that I've ever had in one sitting, and and it always ends in disaster. Whenever you have six martinis, it's lights out. I mean, there, there, something's going seriously wrong there. If I've had six martinis, there's going to be some story that is not necessarily going to p- portray me in a positive light. If I've had six martinis. I've done that maybe five times in my life. Each time, total disaster. Total disaster. They are so stingy with what they give you. They load these drinks up with ice and then put like a drop, drop, little, little eyedropper worth of alcohol in there. So it's very tough to get drunk. I mean, fortunately, I'm a very committed drinker and I can manage it, but it's very difficult. Donovan, are you saying that Frank had an epiphany and now he's a teetotaler? He said goodbye to alcohol. Basically, at the end of that segment, he said, you know, alcohol, you've served me well, but I, I condemn you. Yeah, stop. Come on. I, I, I didn't get that. Like, There's no way he's going to stop. No, me. no. Donovan, in fact, if he were in his car, his uh, demolition derby reject, and he was trying to cross the border, <laughs> I guarantee you the first place he would go is to one of those uh, wholesale beer establishments that sell Molson and Labatt's. I guarantee you he would. Okay, well, I, I would, I would as well, but I'm just saying what I heard on the uh, condemnations at the end of that segment. He basically said, "I'm, I'm, you know, you've served me well, but I'm not going to drink anymore." Well, you know why he was probably sober at the time. And it's, it's called denunciations because I know, I know he's listening probably, and he's gonna, he's gonna point that out. Yeah, but he, you know, he was probably sober at that time. First of all, it's called denunciations, not condemnations. So let me just let me just do that for you. Okay. Let's go to Michael in Manhattan. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Michael. Hi, Curtis. You know, listening to uh, Frank denying his Selena Gomez fixation reminds me so much. And by the way, you've called him this before, so your insights are right on. It's that episode of George Costanza fantasizing over Marissa Tomei, where his wife walks in and says, Gee, that's the third time you've watched a, Teresa, a Tomei movie this week. You got a thing for her or not? He's no, 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 no. And it keeps going. Do you remember the episode? And then at the end, he winds up grinding on the couch and kissing the pillow, and she walks and he catches him. And then Marissa walks in as a cameo. Do you remember that episode? Yes, yes. And, in fact, he, he was the likable liar, George Costanza. Uh, when I think of George Costanza, you're right. I typically think of Frank Morano because – 
Frank Morano's Other Side of Midnight is a show about nothing. That's what Seinfeld is about. But of late, when I think of George Costanza, Michael, I'm impaired because now I start thinking of George Santos, who is the unlikable liar. You know, it's how George Costanza could lie, and everybody liked George Costanza. George Santos lies, and everybody hates George Santos. But you're absolutely right, Michael. You nailed it. Yeah, you know, I, I, I don't know if everybody really liked George as much as they put up with him, you know? That's true. That's true. Uh, just, just one, yes, go just ahead, one Michael. One more thing on, yes. on a different note. So, you know, as far as Morano wanting a tip, I remember one of the first jobs I had, yeah, waiting tables. And, you know, I got stiffed by one table, and I sort of walked out and followed them out. And I said, well, what about my tip? And you know what the guy told me? He said, here's a tip. Don't ask. <laughs> oh, we're going to have to run that by Frank Morano, that's for sure. Make sure, uh, Avery, we send that uh, link to what Michael said so that Frank will have uh, possession of it and he can respond to Michael because, boy, Michael put it right into his schnoz. That was so good. George in Mount Sinai, your turn to be heard here at WABC, George. How are you, Curtis? It's George, the court clerk. Oh, George, uh, I, I have had people actually praising you. They come up to oh. me and they say, oh, the guy, the court clerk, he's, he's a wealth of knowledge. Yeah, well, this is really too much. Avery is the greatest because <laughs> I know gamblers all my life. I happen to be Greek. We're next to the Chinese. We go hand in hand who gambles more. But anyway, to smack on the face. I thought you guys were doing shtick, but he's probably into the bookmakers. He'll go to his father if he needs money to not get the crap beat out of him. But anyway, <laughs> <clears throat> I was uh, I had a freebie at the new hotel at the uh, Aqueduct, the Hyatt. It's a very nice place because most of those hotels around JFK are dumps. But anyway, I go over to Don Pepe's for lunch. I just went over there. I haven't been there in years. As you know, we weren't allowed to go there, the cops, the courts. And I know – and it, I could sniff out a gangster when I – you know, I I worked in that business like you can when you you know them. And there wasn't a gangster to be had in, in Don Pepe's. I don't know where they all went. By the way, the clams are still good. I don't know if you can go there. You may want to make take a visit there. But anyway, I saw a lawyer friend of mine who was an election lawyer. First he says, hello, I heard you on the Curtis show. Then he goes, does Curtis know that his uh, ex, Belinda Katz, is going to be primaried by the administrative judge of Queens for DA? Do you know that? Do you know about that? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'm recusing myself from that election, that's for sure. Yeah, well, you know, this is good for you. You know why it's good for you, Curtis? Because I know how the politics goes in Queens. It's good on your uh, – you like uh, rolling around doing the horizontal mambo with attorney, female attorneys. <laughs> That's what we used to say in Brooklyn, the horizontal mambo. But anyway, if Belinda does lose, and she could lose to this guy because he's an ex-cop and he's law and order – I don't know him. I heard that the court personnel don't like him, but that's neither here or there. So if Belinda does lose, they're going to make her a judge. So you could say you could noodled with a, a judge at one time in your life. But that's, <laughs> that's not that's, – that's, that's, that's an excellent – oh, that's an excellent segue out of that one, boy. Yeah, plus I think they make the same amount of money as uh, the DA, so you won't have to pay any more child support or anything. So <laughs> oh, I'll be a, paying for quite some time. It's a it's a win win for you, Curtis. But also, he tells me now he worked on the campaign for Santos. Uh, 
you know, whatever the guy is, he is. But just imagine an interview or an interview <laughs> with Santos being interviewed by Frank Morano. Would that be a classic of who's bull crap and who? It would be the most classic interview going. But he's telling me that Santos, to run defense, he definitely is not going to resign because he's more afraid of Brazil. And he knows they told him that a congressman or any member of congressman, Congress in a, uh, in a uh, you know, uh, he would not be extradited to Brazil. He's afraid of that. Now, he can't stop. He can't stop if the DA goes after him or the state attorney general. He can't stop that. But he's planning to put leverage on the Republican Party, who turned against him. He's thinking about leaving the Republican Party to become an independent. Does that sound logical to you? Why he? I guess he would do that. He could hold McCarthy up. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. I can. I could easily see that. Uh, that would be a smart move by him. Then he becomes a free agent. Then all these Democrats who are screaming and hollering about how he's got to go would think yeah. that they could actually maybe convince him. To, uh, to, uh, to sit, to caucus with Democrats. Yeah. Well, that would give him some, uh, and he's planning to put to a mea culpa. He's, listen to this. I don't know. I, this guy's pretty right on. He's going to, like, try to put a contact out. That Great Neck area where he, he's from, Great Neck Bayside, there are a lot of Jewish people. There are a lot of Iranian people. He's going to do a mea culpa. He's sorry. He knew he didn't have much of a chance without a college degree to run. But he loves the country, blah, blah, blah. And if I uh, keep with him, he'll never vote against the interest of Israel, and he'll always vote against Iran. So this guy is a slickster. But, again, I don't know. Him, him, him and Morano on an interview would, be, uh, would just be unbelievable. It would win any, every award going. You're absolutely right. Now, I think you have brilliantly pointed out what Frank Morano has to do. Knock off chasing Tulsi Gabbard or Selena Gomez. Yeah. Or uh, the uh, U.S. senator from uh, Arizona who has become an independent now, Cinema. You know, right. he's fascinated because she announced that she's uh, bisexual. Now he wants to interview Andrew Evilice, Como King Como the second, the son of Mario Facha Bruta, Como King Como the first. You know, that's never going to happen. Yeah. And you're, you're right. He could interview George Santos. George Santos will do an interview with Frank Morano. Why is he not doing. What makes all the common sense in the world? That's that, that's a brilliant suggestion, George. Well, you could even you could even uh, interview both of them, and the callers could call in and said, "Who's Zoom and who more?" And they'd have, you'd have a contest and give away a hat. Although I don't know if uh, necessarily Frank Morano has ever borrowed uh, Rachel's uh, silky dresses, her under attire, her bloomers, her her nylon no. stockings. You never know, though. You never know. Truth, truthfully speaking, you know, I don't know. I, you know, sometimes you do shtick. You and Avery are great, funny. But if he's really into the gambling, it's only going to end one way for him. And uh, I hope he's hes a smart guy. There's no question about it. He may be off a little bit in the rocker, but he's a smart guy. And I can tell you, you know, family members uh, got involved in it. And it's, it's really, it's worse than drug addiction. I'm telling you, it is worse Gambling, degenerate gambling, I'm not trying to give a shout-out to your audience. I'm just some schmo who calls. If you're into degenerate gambling, you destroy your whole family. You really do. It's, it's a terrible thing. When you're a drug addict, eventually you come out of it or you, uh, you, know, you overdose and you croak. But the gambling is a terrible thing. So that's about that. Uh, the one gangster question I have for you. Yes. Remember, remember the guy, they never found his body. 
uh, De Simone. He used to go to the whatever. What uh, True Gun Tony? Do you remember him? Yeah, I remember De Simone. Yes. What? Who did he hang with? Did he hang out with the Gotties, or did he hang out with the guys at the? Uh, Gemini Lounge. I thought he hung out mostly with Gemini Lounge guys. Now, we're going to have an opportunity uh, to see if uh, Sid Rosenberg is true to his word. On February 13th, there'll be the first showing of Gemini Lounge, of which he is one of the stars in, along with Bo Dito and some others. And I I grew up with all those guys, so I, I knew them personally, and I knew they were degenerates at a young age. Right. He said he was going to bring me to the screening party. Be- oh, boy. Because there's nobody who knows those guys better than me who's still alive. Right. I think he's going to welch on his uh, promise, uh, Sid yeah. Rosenberg, because he's not going to want me to be there with guys who we're going to be eye-fornicating, mad-dogging one another, and maybe a fight will break out. I, I, Curtis, I don't think all of those guys, the original guys, right, the Mayo's dead the guy with Rosenberg's name is dead. Um, they're dead. They're most of them are dead. I don't know what happened to the twins. They're doing life, right? Without yeah, no, life. Anthony Centaur is doing life. He was at uh, Camp uh, Cosa Nostra out in Lompoc in California with uh, Carmine the Snake Persico. They were, they were like in a band out there. Um, Testa, uh, his running mate, that's why they call them the uh, Gemini uh, uh, Lounge Twins, uh, I don't know where he's housed, but he's doing uh, triple life without parole. And his brother, uh, Patty, he got whacked in his chomp shop near Forster Avenue when they came in guns blazing and then just did him away. Yeah. Well, it's it's a day, you know, I was, I used to, I, I'm from Brooklyn, Midwood High School. I, I was a, uh, I went to high school with Bruce Cutler. He was a pretty tough guy, even in high school. And he used to say about the people picking on the Jewish people, I happened to be Greek, but when I was a kid growing up in Brooklyn, boy, there were no tougher guys than I met than some of the old-time Jewish guys. So what's going on today with this anti-Semitic attacks is really – it wouldn't have went on years ago. That's that's for sure. But you notice the one thing he mentioned about Bruce Cutler, who always was available for interviews, uh, is that Bruce said to Frank, I'll, I'll subject myself to an interview with you, but only if you pay me for it. Uh. Which suggests that Frank is getting a reputation now because he's a stalker, like he was Tulsi Gabbard. She wouldn't give him an interview. Selena Gomez, she won't give him an interview. Uh, U.S. Senator Cinema uh, from uh, Arizona, she won't give him an interview. You know Andrew Cuomo's not going to give him an interview. That I guess a guy like Bruce Cutler is figuring Frank is so desperate to do interviews that he'll actually pay to do an interview. He tried to get Chris Cuomo to come on his show after he knocked him, said he was fat and all stupid. I don't know. You know, I'm not a fan of Chris Cuomo. I know them. I knew the dad from the courthouse. Whatever you thought about Mario, he was a very good lawyer. Chris, he knocks Chris, and then he wants him to come on an interview. But Avery missed one thing that I thought was hilarious. Frank got some phony reverend degree, supposedly, so he can uh, marry people and whatever he has. He also was talking on his show about he, he doesn't understand why that he, he's going to write a letter that he should take the bar exam so he could become a lawyer. Anybody could take the bar to become a lawyer. Now, this is theater of the mind. I don't know why I think of these things. Could you imagine you got, God forbid, got in trouble again, and you were in a Raymond part, and who comes through the freaking door to represent you? Frank Morano. He comes through, and he goes, Fort Curtis Lee, 
Frank Morano. Oh, God. And I would say to you, if I had stupid a clerk, Curtis, you got your Snickers ready? Because you're going in, my boy. <laughs> that's, that's right. When Frank Morano would show up with his racket report suit that glows in the dark, you know, yeah. that pinstripe suit to try make right. him look like a hitman for the Gambinos. Right. And right. I would be screwed. <laughs> screwed you. You'd be going in. I'd <laughs> rather take legal aid. I'd rather take somebody, like, fresh out of law school who all of a sudden was a new jack with legal aid than to have Frank Morano. Frank Morano yeah, well, representing he, me. He He's also, when he does it, no, he, he's a talented interviewer. There's, there's no question about that. I, I heard some of his racket reports. He never takes them to task when they, when they, uh, you know, throw bull out. I don't know if you're supposed to do that in an interview. You're supposed to let the person talk. You're the pro. I'm not. He had a guy on that was doing stuff from um, about President Street. Did you hear that? Liz? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And he talked about how uh, Joey Gallo and his uh, brother they like adopted him, and he he never he never he never drilled this guy. But you know what he did? That's really. He let that guy say how his father knocked out Emil Griffith. You know who Emil Griffith was. Of don't course, you? of course. Now, I do I believe that his father knocked out Emil Griffith? No. 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 Not in a million years. First of all, I don't know if you know this. I tell you the stories from Raymond. I get chastised. I shouldn't talk about people. But he's dead, Emil Griffith. You may have seen, though, he beat Benny Kidd to Perret so bad that he died a few days later. They almost did away with boxing in New York. Emil Griffith, God rest his soul. A lot of people know it. They don't know it. Emil Griffith used to come in after he retired on Sunday mornings when I was the clerk. He, he was gay, Emil Griffith. He hit it. He was down, down low. Maybe we can tell you what that means. He would come in, and they would try to you know, protect him because you know, he was a good, nice guy. He'd get arrested for solicitation, and he was gay. But he was the toughest gay guy you would ever meet. The day this guy could say that his father, his, he wouldn't be in that bar because I think he was Jamaican or whatever he was. He, he wouldn't be there on President Street. The day he, that guy's father knocked the email Griffith down is the day it, it never could happen. Well, that's all I have to say. Curtis. No, no, no. Well, it's interesting you bring up Emil Griffith because everybody in the boxing world knew that he was gay. In fact, knew that he had a propensity to actually wear dresses from time to time. Now that we're talking about George Santos, you know, uh, admitting that he wears dresses, but he doesn't want to be called, uh, you know, a drag queen. But in this particular case, uh, Emil Griffin, and I was out in the Virgin Islands where the Amarada Hess used to have their refinery in the United States Virgin Islands, and he was from there. And uh, people would say back then, this, this kid was great with his fists, but he had a propensity to want to wear a dress and to hang well, out with the hookers who were Dominican hookers who were all the way down by um, the lodging where the Amarada Hess workers were. A lot of them were brought into the Virgin Islands to work in the uh, refinery. And he oftentimes would go out there, hang out in the bars, all dressed up, all dialed up. But if you gave him a hard time, he'd hit you so hard, your mother would feel the vibrations. Yeah, he, he they, you know, they used to like, the cops liked him. And in those days at the courthouse, unlike today, if you were liked by the cops, and the reporters especially, it wasn't the cutthroat reporters like we have today. They'd cut you a break. They were, they were like Damon Runyon guys. They'd hung out at the courthouse, and, and they would just... If you were well-liked or they figured, let's give this guy a break, they wouldn't, like, try to destroy you. 
you do anything today, they're out to destroy you. I, I'll just give one more minute. It doesn't mean anything how they would help people. People would have money, have an advantage at the court. So all your listeners out there who think you're going to get a fair shake at the courthouse, you're not. It's just the way it's designed. It's just the way it is. Well, just uh, on that note of Emil Griffin, I remember being in Shea Stadium. He was having one of his many fights with the Italian champion at that time, Nino Benvenuti. And, yeah. boy, they were going back and forth. And, I mean, two great fighters. But right. Emil Griffin was relentless. He was like, oh, just okay. when you thought that Nino Benvenuti had him cornered or had hit him with a combination right cross, uh, left hook, Emil Griffin would spin out of that and all of a sudden have uh, Nino Benvenuti up uh, uh, on the ropes. I mean, he was a great fighter, and you didn't dare go up to him and insult him and call him any number of names that men gay, whether in Spanish or any other. The public didn't know it, but in the boxing world, they they knew it because my cousins, they were fighters at the Red Hook Hook, uh, gym. In fact, one of the... uh, there's a Supreme Court judge. He's, they were distant cousins of mine, the Spinakis brothers. One of them became a Supreme Court judge in Brooklyn, and the other one was a gym teacher. The one who became a gym teacher won the silver, silver medal in the uh, Olympics in Russia many, many years ago. And his roommate was Muhammad Ali, and Muhammad Ali used to go speak at his class in Brooklyn. But that's just another thing to say. Uh, well, you, man- you mentioned uh, Red Hook. And remember how Red Hook for a long time was just basically a wharf, an empty wharf with a lot of debris and a lot of rats. And then uh, they redid everything. Uh, The hipsters and millennials colonized it. And all of a sudden it was like a trendy place to be, although they have uh, absolutely uh, no mass transportation in or out of there. You're pretty much on your own. This mayor of ours, Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan. Uh, who was uh, too busy watching the Giants get crushed at Link Stadium in Philadelphia tonight, even though he was telling everybody who wouldn't listen to him, oh, we're going to beat Philadelphia and be on our way to the Super Bowl in Phoenix. Not. He uh, issued an executive order that he is taking the terminal space where the ocean liners come in to Red Hook. Right. And he is now going to house a thousand of the illegal aliens there. So there is nobody who's going to end up taking an ocean liner, which has actually become a pretty good tourist uh, point to catch your ocean liners down to the Caribbean and West Indies and Florida. Nobody's going to be able to take it. He's going to have a thousand illegal aliens housed there. And that makes no sense whatsoever, George. Well, Er Eric Adams, he may have been a church mother and all of that. The only thing I remember about him, that he used to give a lot of stuff. For whatever reason, everybody has a thing as a cop. Like the lady cops used to go crazy if they saw a guy peeing, peeing on the subway. I don't know if I like, because they didn't want to smell it. So they would like toughen up on him. Eric used to give a lot of summonses out, and, and I can verify this, because one of my neighbors was his partner where I live now. He used to love to give summonses out for, for uh, turnstile jumping. I don't know. He loved it. That was his thing to give a summons when he was a cop down in the subways. He, he liked to give a lot. Of, he gave a lot of summonses out. Uh, that was his thing. And last thing, what happened to Hawk Newsom? You don't hear from him anymore. So if Adams did anything good, he put him in his place. What's, what's he doing? He doesn't go out. You don't see him on the TV yelling or screaming. 
Well, he's uh, Hawk Newsom, uh, self-appointed leader of the New York division of Black Lives Matter, which has become big, large mansions. Right. Lives up in Concourse Village, right near Yankee Stadium and the courthouses there. Right. And is a Mama Luke. He lives with his mother. He worked for probation, by the way. I don't know if you know that. No, that I didn't know. No, he worked for the court system. I don't know. He may be a lawyer. I don't know if he is or not. He was going to law school. Uh, you don't hear from him. He doesn't go on the TVs anymore. I think he's hiding out or something. But he's not a particularly uh, – I don't know if you have any more fist fight left in you. You know, you're getting up there. Happy birthday if I don't speak to you before March. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I, I'd be more than happy, even though he's a big guy. He's about six, 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 eight. Goes Uh-oh. about uh, two sixty, two eighty. I'd right. be more than happy to take him into the ring and give him a beatdown. He desperately needs that because he oh, really yeah. is. He really he, is a mama Luke. You know, he acts um, tough, but he's a mama Luke. And the last time I saw him, he uh, was in a brand new Cadillac. Uh, it retails for about $80,000, $80,000. It was all hooked up with the bling bling. And uh, I said to him, where'd you get that Cadillac? He goes, I earned it. I said, earned it? What, in extorting money from businesses? Because you basically told them, yo, you know, if you don't do what Black Lives Matter wants, uh, we're going to, you know, pick it here or tell them that you're, uh, you hate black people. And, you know, it was a real extortion racket there for a while. He, he's a piece of work. It's it just it's amazing how these characters get, uh, you know, publicity. Look, I think I told you about uh, the reverend there, the good reverend, that he's nothing but a snitch to the FBI. That's why he hasn't been arrested. Oh, no, no. Now were you uh, referring to uh, one of the many friends, felon uh, friends of uh, Eric Adams, who are always meticulous dressers just like him. You know, they're like metrosexuals, this uh, self-appointed bishop, Whitehead. Yeah, yeah, yeah him and uh, the other reverend that's always on TV. I'm having a senior moment. Al he, Slim Shady Sharpton. Oh, yeah, you know, he, he's they had him on a 10 to Sundays of all the stuff he did with corruption, fraud. But they could go to him. And, God, you know, again, I'll just say, you talk about you're falling away Catholic. I'm not going. To, you know, I was used to be go to Eastern Orthodox, Greek Orthodox Church. I don't go anymore. I try to get arrangements because I think I told you, and I may have told you, on um, a middle country road, there's a pet cemetery there. You can be buried with your pet if you're cremated now. It just sounds off the topic. Um, it's near Nancy's house out there. Reach, I think it's Regency Cemetery. You can you can be uh, buried with a pet, but the cat, pet can't come to the uh, human cemetery. So you you can make arrangements to buy a plot. But the only thing is, I go there to maybe look at a plot. My wife thinks I'm crazy. She's a Polish girl from Ozone Park. She went to St. Uh, the Polish uh, school there. She thinks she knows your sister. She's around your age group. Yeah, it could well have. In fact, uh, uh, not my sister, but Nancy, she went to a uh, Polish. She's older, than, she's older than Nancy. Right, yeah, but she, she, went, went to... she went to a Polish Catholic school where they, uh, the kids were taught in Polish right yeah, there in Ridgewood. It was in Ozone Park? Yeah, Ozone Park. They had another school there. Uh, my sister, Alita, went to school in Ozone Park. Yeah, well, my, my, anyway... That was at St. Stanislaus. Yeah, St. Stanislaus. That's where my wife and the whole family, the whole family was from there. Yeah, we lived on 88th and Boyd. 
And uh, my sister went to seventh grade, sixth and seventh grade in St. Stanislaus, which was near Rockway Boulevard. Right. Uh, And then from there, we moved to Canarsie in my grandfather and grandmother's house because my mother had to take care of both. The uh, youngest Italian uh, girl in the family always takes care of the family. And then uh, my sister, Alita, finished her eighth grade in uh, St. Matthew's up in uh, Crown Heights, Eastern Parkway, Utica Avenue, the Joseph White Nuns. And then she went to St. Brendan's High School in Sheepshead Bay. And I kept going to uh, St. Matthew's and keep getting uh, getting lumped down by all the uh, homeboys in the neighborhood yeah. there. That was some someplace, Brooklyn. I go back there. I haven't been there in a while because I'm not that great health. I kind of cry when I go to Brooklyn. I see it. the memories of especially Midwood High School. Bruce's father, Murray, was a detective and a lawyer. I don't know if you know that. No, a tough guy. A well-respected, tough guy. Yeah, Bruce's father also used to represent our mutual friend, who you're not going to talk about because he's dead. He used to represent him on a lot of his cases, Sirico. Bruce was Bruce's father used to represent Sirico on stuff. Oh, yeah. But that was just the way it was. And, uh, and anyway, Curtis, keep up the good work. And Avery, you are funny. The thing about the black guy, I don't know, really, I hope it's not stick. Because really, I don't wish anybody bad. I'm at a stage in my life. But if he's gambling, Morano, it's going to end one way. And if he thinks being friends with Junior Gotti is going to save him, it's not. And one last thing, when I went to try to buy a funeral plot in this in this uh, place, uh, there was one lot left. And guess who's and next to this lot that I wanted to buy? You know who's what dog is buried there? John Gotti Jr.'s German Shepherd. Wow. So if you want, so if you want payback, Curtis, we'll meet, I'll meet you there. God forbid Nancy should hear this. We'll dig up his dog and send it to his house. we get a little <laughs> bit of uh, retribution. <laughs> oh, in the Oyster Bay Cove, one of the most exclusive areas in the tri-state area where John Gotti Jr. is always claiming poverty. Oh, I don't have enough money. Meantime, he sends his goons out to collect the rent on the properties that his father had ripped off from others. Another bad guy, you know, I don't know, I'm talking about bad guys. I, I never did anything bad. In court, they treated us, you know, we would joke around. That guy Kaplan was a very bad guy. Nasty, bad guy. Is he still around? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, look, the last time I saw him, he was in the peanut gallery in one of the four trials against John Gotti Jr. was being tried for the kidnapping and attempted murder of me. And you had uh, Steve Kaplan, uh, who obviously didn't study his uh, or daven his uh, Torah or his Talmud. You had uh, Ruggiero, who was his running guy, and McLaughlin. So it's like the United Nations three who tooled me up with baseball bats, hit me about 38 times. And I think they were amazed that I was still uh, able to escape them, climb over a fence at Tompkins Square Park at the time. The only thing that David Dinkins ever did uh, good was to put up the fence and call a curfew there because that was the time of the anarchist riots. And that prevented me from being turned into a uh, smashed uh, watermelon because they kept hitting me over and over, Kaplan being the worst. So then when I'm testifying, all three of these goons, are in the peanut gallery. They're staring and glaring at me. I'm looking right at them. And I see Kaplan, McLaughlin, and Ruggiero there. And I'm looking at them saying, yeah, you thought you could get me? <laughs> I'm right up here, pal. Come get me. Hey, hey, Mr. Sliwa, stop it here. You know, your friend, uh, court, court officer. Hey, Mr. Sliwa, you can't be intimidating the, 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 the people who are in the peanut gallery. 
Yeah. I said, they're, they're iPhonicating me. They're, they're putting their finger under their throat like they're going to slip my, slip my throat when I'm through. Well, let me tell you, they gave you the You know, Curtis, you're taking a lot of time with me. It's just for other people out there. No, no, it's quite all right because you're a wealth of information. Yeah, but the thing is, when you went there, to, I don't know if you if you just stick or you really. I'm not going to tell you tell you what to do. Do you still if you still owe money to your lawyers for that matrimonial thing you had with Belinda? The fact that he didn't he didn't put him if he didn't put a motion in for a change of venue, cause who Belinda was, he didn't do right by you. You could probably not pay him. I'm not telling you you should be a deadbeat. Let me let me tell you what he did, George, at the law firm that represented me in the family court. Uh, they read in the paper that I was going into Columbia Presbyterian. This was in 2016 for a operation to deal with my chronic Crohn's disease. So I get a phone call uh, at the front desk at WABC at that time because they they either they misplaced my cell phone number or what they didn't have. They called the desk. Oh, a law firm is on for you, Curtis. I said, okay, I'll take the call. I said, oh, Curtis, how you doing? I said, not too good. I got to go for surgery next week. I said, now remember, Curtis, the lawyers get paid before the surgeons. You I, imagine the chutzpah, the hubris to suggest. I, I don't want to know the attorney's name, but uh, someday maybe if we ever meet, I don't think we will. You can tell me who it was, but. Nothing surprises me. It really, you know, I just can imagine. No, I just, uh, I mean, just go out with this note, George, that uh, Bruce Cutler, who has given interviews his entire life, never charged, not a nickel, dime, and penny for any interview. He was like Lenslice. The one person he said he he would only get paid for to do an interview was with Frank Morano. That says it all. Yeah. I, I, I don't think he's doing very well. He may, You know, he may have made money in his life. I'm sure he did. But after that stuff with Gotti, I think the, uh, the they searched him. They looked for money laundering. I don't think he's as well-heeled as he once was. I hope I'm wrong. I went to high school with the guy. I have no amorous with him. He was one of the cool kids. I was this, this you know Greek kid. I was the minority in that school for sure. But uh, he may not be as well-heeled now as he once was. But... I think after that incident with the Gottis and represented them, I think they uh, went after him, the government, but I'm not sure. Well, he looked like uh, Benito Mussolini when he was in the court uh, representing the Gaudis. We thought he was um, El Magnifico, and then we find out later on that the only reason uh, there was a Teflon Don, the only reason that Bruce Cutler kept winning all the cases was because Sammy the Bull Gravano was fixing the uh, juries on behalf of John Gotti Sr. And now you know the rest of the story. Our number is one 800 It's another side of midnight. 77 WABC. Oofa. It's another side of midnight. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Great song, Wooden Ships. 
by Crosby, Stills, and Nash. No young at the time. Hearing it in my left ear. Then it flips to the right. Let's go to Teresa in New Jersey. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Teresa. Hey, good morning, Curtis. Good morning, Avery. And I agree with the uh, previous caller, Avery. He's going to be famous one day. <laughs> Funny guy. Yeah, well, no, but, he's uh, um, he's definitely, uh, he's got five-star top shelf accreditation here now at WABC. People are looking forward. For him to bisect and dissect uh, Marano's The Other Side of Midnight every uh, every Sunday morning. Well, I do. Anyways, a uh, couple things to say about David Crosby. And also, I uh, hope Nancy's going to be well. She would love the song they did, Wind on the Water. It's about whales. But what I wanted to talk about was Crosby had six kids total, biological. And I want to know what you think about this. Two were... Sperm donations. One unfortunately passed away. Melissa Etheridge's uh, son in 2020, I believe. Two were adopted out. So he's left with two that he decided to keep. <laughs> and another thing, Sconey Mitchell dumped them. And she wouldn't even acknowledge her own child. What's with these celebrities? Um. I grew up with with all these people, you know, listening to it. And the guy was a genius, but he was so obnoxious. Oh, yeah, it was. But what's interesting, Teresa, is that the first uh, child that he and his lady friend put up for adoption came back years later and joined his father, David Crosby, to be the last group that David Crosby was with 19 years later. Is another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. It's going to be a long time gone. Next hour, as we complete our tribute to David Crosby here. We're going down to Peach Pit Alley to Atlanta, where the Atlanta police arrested six uh, on Saturday night in a night full of chaos after violent protesters. Antifa. Oh yeah, I've got uh, I got some business to fix with them. Lit up a cop car ablaze, smashed windows, and decided to declare war on the city of Atlanta because the previous night the cops had killed one of their own, Manuel Esteban Paez Terran, who was killed by the police when he turned a gun on the cops. And by the way, I've told you many times, never trust anybody with three names, but can you imagine four names? Manuel Esteban Paez Terran. The cops uh, clipped him. 
And so Antifa came back uh, hours ago and decided to lay siege to downtown Atlanta, Chocolate City, USA. And they had the cops on the run for a while, which to me says, wait a second. And I looked at the Atlanta PD and I said, where are the nightclubs? Where are the billy clubs? What happened to the good old-fashioned nightclub, excuse me, nightstick that when used appropriately would give the thugs, the violators, a wooden shampoo. No nightsticks. And then they wonder why all of a sudden groups like Antifa or Black Lives Matter, a.k.a. now known as Black, excuse me, Big Large Mansions, have the upper hand. When they take to the streets, they scream, no, no justice, no peace. And then they launch an all-out attack on the cops. What happened to the nightclubs? Check that. The billy clubs. The nightsticks. Man, when a cop used to take out a nightstick, you knew you had just crossed the Maginot Line. And if you took it any further, he'd give you an attitude, new readjustment, you'd be sucking concrete, and you would have the old-fashioned wooden shampoo. So we'll give you an update on what's happening in Atlanta. We'll also give you an update on uh, that Norwegian government funds research to find out if white paint is racist or when you say that's just a big white elephant. Yeah, they're claiming it's racist. Oofa. The language used by Curtis Sliwa is replete with spoonerisms, malaprops, and fractured phrases and is not a reflection of the language that you should use in your normal conversations. It is Sliwanics. And a glossary of its words and definitions are posted on WABCRadio.com. Check this out. On the weekend. Oofa. Take a journey with the people's mayor. Curtis Lewa is a politician who says don't trust politicians. It's another side of midnight with Curtis Lewa. The iconic, the legendary Curtis Lewa. This city doesn't sleep, and neither does Curtis Lewa on another side of midnight. Oh, yeah. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. That's the sound of the police. Whoop, whoop. That's the sound of the beast. Whoop, whoop. That's the sound of the police. Whoop, whoop. That's the yes. sound of the beast. KRS-One, considered the professor of rap. Listen to, if you, uh, listen to their dissertations by Hakeem Jeffries, who soon may become Speaker of the House of Representatives. Uh, it's bound to happen when the power shifts from the Republicans to the Democrats. And Eric Adams, swagger man with no plan, who claimed that he was listening to KRS-One when he was preparing to take his civil service tents Tests moving up the uh, ladder in the police department from house mouse to house mouse. The reason I play this uh, KRS-1 classic is that you hear the words, the sound of the police is the sound of the beast. And that was apparent in uh, Peach Pit Alley in Atlanta just hours ago. And Atlanta is definitely Chocolate City, USA now. If you've ever been down to Atlanta, yeah, there's a lot of white migration into the inner core downtown near Buckeye and such. 
But it truly is an African-American city. African-American leadership, African-American police department, the majority of the civil servants are African-Americans. It's Chocolate City, USA. And notice what uh, happened there, Broadway, Bill Lee and Avery. A group of McWhitey-Whiteys came in, uh, a.k.a. Antifa, and decided they would make Custis last stand against uh, what the police were trying to establish in downtown Atlanta. Anyway, there was a fiery, chaotic situation just hours ago in downtown Atlanta. Police arrested at least six people after a peaceful protest Saturday. Don't they always saw this peaceful protest? Erupted into a night of chaos and violence that included protesters smashing windows and setting a police vehicle on fire. The mayor had this to say, Atlanta is safe and our police officers have resolved the disruptions downtown from earlier in the evening. The uh, mayor, Andrea Dickens, said, who happens to be weak, the city of Atlanta and the Atlanta Police Department will continue to protect the right to peaceful protests. We will not tolerate violence or property destruction. Yes, you will, mayor, because you're not cracking down on it. Rioters in Atlanta also set off fireworks and threw rocks at the Atlanta Police Department Foundation Saturday evening, which is their central headquarters there for both the uh, union and for other police activities. The protests began peacefully on Saturday before spiraling into chaotic riots. In a span of several hours, there was destruction that ensued through several blocks of downtown Atlanta. Protesters were angry about the death of 26-year-old Manuel Esteban Paez Terran. Never trust anybody with three names, and certainly not with four, who was killed by police after he refused demands from authorities on Wednesday and fired a gun at state troopers at the site of the new Atlanta Public Safety Training Center, which would be the equivalent of College uh, Point in Queens, which is our NYPD Police Academy. The activist reportedly identified as a non-binary person who went by the name Tortuguita, Little Turtle, in Spanish, and used they and it pronouns. Protesters carried signs with Tortuguita's name on Saturday. An individual without warning shot a Georgia State Patrol trooper, Georgia Bureau of Investigations Michael Register told reporters earlier this week. In Georgia, they have the GBI. It's sort of the state version of the FBI. I know because when I was in Forsyth, Forsyth County many years ago, coming out of Atlanta with the Guardian Angels, we were trying to protect these civil rights demonstrators. Uh, we were in the middle of Klan country, uh, hillbilly country, Forsyth County. And I remember the GBI, the Georgia Bureau of Police, arrested both myself and Hiram Bull Wiggins, another guardian angel, because they claimed that the Klan was going to attempt to either hang us or shoot us. And they had been riding around earlier that night in pickup trucks with the Johnny Red flags, the, fl the flag uh, of stars and bars, the flag of treason. And they had ropes in their hands, and they were threatening to hang me and Hiram Wiggins. So the GBI rolled up on us, Georgia Bureau of Investigation, flashed their badges and said they were arresting us for our own protection. I said, thank you, but no thank you. Well, we got, uh, we got clipped, we got arrested, and we had the very best breakfast that I ever had in any kind of jail or prison in my life. 
two servings of uh, pancakes. They had bacon. They had sausage. They had scrambled eggs. I mean, man, it was better than anything you could get at IHOP's or get at Denny's, that's for sure. And this was in the local Forsyth County Jail. But that just gives you an idea of it. But Antifa has laid siege to the Atlanta Police Department. And now it is incumbent upon this predominantly black city with a black mayor, black elected officials, black leadership, and a predominantly black police department to go out there and kick those white crackers' asses because they're laying siege to the city. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to uh, Samuel, who's calling from Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Sam the Man. Yeah, hello, Curtis. I hear you one time saying that a minion is 12. I'd like to correct you on that. A minion is 10. And I'd like to know if you ever dealt with Robin Mayor Kahana or any of the people of the JDL. Those are great men. I consider myself a Kahana. Interesting. So I have been improperly referring to a minion as having a dozen people, uh, a dozen men. Doesn't matter that they're they're all Jews as long as they're men there to have a minion so that the service can. So ask the old Jewish men above the age of thirteen in order to to daven and say kaddish, to answer amen and to have the the loud shemunasrei. Could you, under a perilous situation, meaning I've seen some synagogues and shuls in the inner city where you'd be hard pressed to find uh, two Jews, never mind uh, ten Jews. Can you use Gentiles to make the 10 mark, or does no. it have to be all Jews? It has to be all Jews, preferably practicing Jews. Like, uh, it's, I, I think there are laws against, like, an apostate Jew, like, let's say, a traitorous Jew. Oh, well, uh, you mean like Sid Rosenberg? No, Sid Rosenberg is like a lost sheep. Ah! There's Jews that, like, grew up non-religious, so they're like lost sheep called teenage Shinishba, a child that was lost. Then there's a then there's a Jew, let's say you have a like Ben Gorian, right? A life lesson activist. Now what would the uh, what would the potential be that I uh, cast a line to seven seventy Eastern Parkway and ask the Lubavitchers to send a mitzvah tank over here so that they can rescue Sid Rosenberg and save him from himself. Oh there you you there there well you could try you should. Yeah. You'll definitely, Hashem will definitely reward you. Yeah, I, I think that would definitely work, Samuel. And by the way, I never personally met Meyer Kahani, but I ran into many JDL chapters uh, in the late 70s. I ran into a JDL chapter when I started the Guardian Angels in the Bronx in Brooklyn, down on Ocean Parkway. I ran into a JDL chapter uh, in uh, Philadelphia, in southeast Philadelphia, I ran into a JDL chapter in, in uh, actually, uh, I think it was Cleveland Heights or, I don't know, in Cleveland. Uh, this is all within context of the Guardian Angels. And in Baltimore, uh, in Baltimore, there's a predominantly Orthodox Jewish section there in Body Bag City. But that's where I ran into JDL, although never Meyer Kahani. Did run into some folks who were part of the offshoot, Kahani Chai. But that obviously was not JDL, as uh, Samuel had asked me from Staten Island. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC.
And we were discussing uh, about this time yesterday, 24 hours ago, on the other side of midnight, as I was taking you to the break of dawn, as I'm doing right now, how the Norwegian uh, government was actually spending about a million dollars in American money on a study to see if white paint was racist. And they were exploring that question academically, asking how the aesthetic of white paint helped the nation contribute to white supremacy and help make the world whiter. To me, that speech is that it's nonsensical, but it would also come into line with the phrases and the phraseology that we use on a regular basis without even thinking twice, like, that's just a big white elephant. I ask all of you, I beseech all of you out there, tell me, what the hell does that mean when we say, that's just a white elephant? Why is it a white elephant? Why isn't it a gray elephant? Why isn't it a black elephant? Why isn't it a brown elephant? What does it mean when you say, that's a white elephant? And uh, according to the Norwegian government, would they consider studying that term because they would think as its origin a white racist supremacy point of view. That That's a white elephant. I, I, I don't detect that at all, but what the hell? You never know nowadays the way people have bisected and dissected our English language and basically created terminology that it's very difficult to follow. I and me, they and thee. Oh, my God, all these pronouns. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. What is the, the meaning of this term, white elephant? And why is it a white elephant? And what about all the times we use the term? I used it a few times uh, a few hours ago, cardinal rule. The cardinal rule is this. What What is that? The St. Louis Cardinals? Is that Stan Musial? Is that the Gas House Gang? What does that mean? It's the cardinal rule. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. And since white makes it right, so to speak, uh, having a white supremacist connotation to it, if you say, uh, oh, uh, that's a white elephant. What about all the times we attach the term black to things? Like blacklisted, black market, black sheep, black male. A black hole, black mark, black magic. Is that considered negative? And would that be sort of a flip of the script and be reverse of the racism that would negative be a negative connotation coming out of anything described as being white, like white elephant? Would that, in fact, be racist? one 800 That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to uh, Chris calling from the Catskills. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Chris. Oh, what happened to Chris? Chris did the bird. Chris, I wonder, according to our dischronificator and our oscillator, uh, let's retool our oscillator, which is aimed at our FM station, WLIR. And that takes you out to the east end of Long Island. We're right now on the Cuomo Compound. That's right, the Andrew Evilized Cuomo uh, compound. That's uh, Cuomo II, the son of Faccia Bruta, Mario Cuomo. Mario Cuomo is uh, the first. Uh, but there is a compound out there owned and operated by Fredo, 
That's Chris Cuomo. The uh, wartime consigliere Joe Pacoco had just finished doing his six-year bid on political corruption on behalf of the Cuomos. He's back in action. And he's hit the uh, he said the mattresses stirring the marinara sauce with Andrew Evilized Cuomo, King Cuomo II, and the son of Mario Faccia Bruta Cuomo, who also lives in that compound. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. And what about the uh, term old wives' tale? Isn't that a... Uh, Subject to ageism, old wives' tale, 1-800-848-9222. Let's go, if we can, to Joe calling from Rockland County. Your turn to be heard here on WABC, Giuseppe. Hi, the um, white elephant, uh, I think, comes from an old story about a king who gets an elephant that's white, and it, um, it, it, it bankrupts him. He can't afford to feed it. Nobody wants to buy it. Uh, I think that's where it comes from. So a white elephant comes from uh, the term meaning to bankrupt somebody? I think so. Well, I don't know. That uh, that doesn't sound very kosher to me there, Giuseppe in Rockland. Again, what is the meaning of white elephant? We hear it oftentimes used in the sense that, boy, what a white elephant that turned out to be. Now, why couldn't you have said gray elephant or black elephant? What is the meaning of attaching the word white to it? 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to GS, who's calling from Jersey City. Your turn to be heard here at WABC. Yes, Curtis. Me born the same day. That's why I like you so much. A white elephant was really a white elephant. It used to be back in the days. When you commit a crime... They gave you a white elephant to take care of because it never stopped eating. Hmm. Somehow that wasn't kosher either, right? What do you think, Broadway Billy? You have it not to be white. You're not a cockazoid like I am. But then again, you've never used your complexion as your protection. You always say it's meritocracy with yours. What do you? What, what did you think of that? Huh? No, no, no. Julius Caesar, right? Thumbs down in the Coliseum. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. Let's go to Seth in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Seth. Yeah, Curtis, old wives' tales. What's old? Wives or the tales? A, a, a wild goose chase. What's wild? The goose or the chase? Okay. Now, you say uh, white elephant. White elephant was, like the fellow said before me, a rare, um, what do you call it, an albino, and they used to give it to the other kings that they didn't like. It was like, look what you got for him, somebody that you couldn't exchange. That's all I want to tell you. Good day. Hmm. I don't buy that. Right, right, Broadway, Billy, uh, I don't know. It's too slick there. It's too uh, quick, uh, too cogent, too to the point. Sounded like he was trying to ram that down into our thought process without allowing us to bite off a little piece, chew it up, you know, sort of absorb it, sort of like uh, nurture it. I didn't buy that. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. This is Another Side of Midnight with Curtis Lewa. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Yeah. Well, better know. <laughs> Lock your windows, close your doors, get your 
himself in, he had to do a bid. A one to three, he'd be home to end the night. No, no, that's Biggie, man. Show me the loot, man. I hate Biggie. Hey, Biggie, and then, you know, you got guys like, uh, you got guys like, uh, Hakeem Jeffries quoting Biggie Smalls as if he was Socrates or Plato or Aristotle. You ain't got to explain. Oh, my God, God gives me a headache. And I wonder if Hakeem's ever, uh, Actually, looked at the verses of uh, Ready to Die, F the world, F my moms and my girl. My life is played out like a jerry curl. I'm ready to die. Huh. Uh, don't they know my N, gutter effing, kidnap kids, F them in the butt, throw them over the bridge. Uh... Strikes me as a little bit of being a pedophile, huh? You think so? I wouldn't give a F if you're pregnant. Give me the baby rings and the number one mom pendant. Robbing pregnant women that he admitted later on he sold crack to. And he's the hero of Hakeem Jeffries. One day, probably number three in line to the presidency, the future Speaker of the House. And he uh, constantly quotes Biggie, except he doesn't quote these verses, does he, uh, Broadway Billy? No, no, he seems to leave that off uh, off the table. By the way, Biggie Smalls didn't grow up in the hood, so to speak. He actually was raised by a mother who cared about him, sent him to Catholic school, sent him to Bishop Lachlan High School. As you know, is the uh, alumni of... Uh, Rudy Giuliani, Michael Modicic, and Tish James went on to become Attorney General of the State of New York. Uh, in his uh, sophomore year, he had done relatively well, Broadway Billy, and he says to his mother, who was working like two jobs to send him to Lachlan, Mom, I want to leave Lachlan. She said, well, what would you do? I didn't do anything. I want to go to Westinghouse. Why do you want to go to Westinghouse to trade school downtown Brooklyn? Because that's where Jay-Z goes, man. I want to hang with my homies. What? You lying SOB. You just heard him there say he robbed and steal. His mom wasn't putting the butter, you know, on the on the bagel, the schmear. You lying SOB. And you're going to tell me that Hakeem Jeffries, who someday will be number three in line to the ascension of the presidency when uh, control of the uh, of the House goes to the Democrats and he becomes the new speaker, that he quotes uh, Biggie Smalls, this degenerate hip-hop monster who was selling crack to pregnant women in the projects. Oh, man. If I wasn't in the rap game, I'd probably have a key knee-deep in the crack game. Well, you were in the crack game. And then, oh, yeah, also he had a group he called Junior Mafia. What did that acronym stand for? Because when I confronted one of them, I said, you know, Junior Mafia, that means like uh, you're supporting organized crime, Italian organized crime, like us in Austria. You know what the Italians would call you in organized crime? They call you Mugnans, right? Oh, no, no, that's not what it means. It doesn't mean Junior Mafia. So what the hell are you talking about? I know what that means. 
What did the acronym mean according to this degenerate crack selling uh, Biggie Smalls? 1 800 848 9222. That's 1 800 848 WABC. Well, let's go to Dave in Long Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, uh, Dave. Curtis, good morning. Yeah, I, I remember hearing, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember hearing that the white elephant was a form of torture. Uh, I guess back in the maybe 1700s, 1800s, where uh, they would use toothpaste of that time because it's white. And uh, basically, if you were caught stealing uh, any terrible crime, they uh, would put the individual in the prone position and proceed to empty a tube of that toothpaste into the keister. And not just a regular tube of toothpaste, but I do believe it was like those industrial sizes uh, would let it go. So it was not uh, Crest. Well, I don't know how far back Crest. Uh, I know they go back. It could be, uh, I don't know, it, it could have been a, a denture cream. But that was the best place to put it that they thought they would. Uh, and like I say, empty that sucker into the keister. And that was what they did for uh, that's where the white. boy that guy just got a white elephant, they would say. <laughs> the white elephant that guy got. Why do I not think that that jives with what we were talking about? Ladies and gentlemen, what does a white elephant mean? In Norway, they're spending money in the university system, uh, the equivalent of a million American dollars, to determine if, in fact, when terminology is used like white elephant, is that also uh, significant because it is accentuating white supremacy? That's why it's important that we answer this question. 1-800-848-9222. One eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Let's go to Richard, who's calling from Pennsylvania. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Richie. Rich. Okay, here we go. Miriam Webster says this about the white elephant. I'm going to do this very quickly. The real white elephant, the kind with a trunk, is a pale pachyderm that has long been an object of veneration. In India, Sri Lanka, Thailand, and Myanmar, too revealed, too revered to be a beast of burden, the white elephant earned a reputation as a burdensome beast, one that required constant care and feeding, but never brought a single cent or pas or salong or payal to its owner. One story has it that the kings of Siam, the old name for Thailand, gave white elephants as gifts to those they wished to ruin, hoping that the cost of maintaining the voracious but sacred mammal would drive its new owner to the poorhouse. Hmm. So Yul Brenner, uh, in a king and, of the King and I fame, who played the king yeah. of Siam, Right. Would have taken uh, one of his white pachyderms since uh, elephants were synonymous with Thailand. 
and given it to a enemy because that enemy uh, that 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 white elephant would have eaten him out of uh, house, home, and castle. Right when you when you go into an Indian restaurant, you'll see these elephants. That's Ganesh. That's that they totem or a demigod or a god of prosperity. That's why it's there. Well, now, what about if you're a follower of Vishnu and not Ganesh? That really, that really causes a problem here, you know, Rich? That, that's true. That's true. Of course, you also see very fat Buddhas in some Chinese restaurants. Again, that's a symbol of prosperity over there. So when we, when we apply this radical, liberal, or woke, ideological dictionary-making to other cultures, that itself seems to me to be racist. Question, Richard, if I were to rub the belly of that big Buddha in a Chinese restaurant, would it in fact bring me luck, as was suggested to me when I was just a little boy, and they said, keep rubbing the Buddha's belly, it'll bring you luck? I think it would. I think it would, but, you know, they're going to jump in there the radical left, the wokeism, and they're going to say you're being a racist. I mean, they're they're in there with this craze. They're going to ruin every ideology, every every myth out there. Mm. And I can remember traveling through India from Bombay to Pancheri through Madras. And I remember that the uh, cab drivers there, they drove these little black cars who were all Muslim, all Muslim, right? That, that was not the Hindi. Uh, that's a majority of the Hindus, but uh, the cab drivers were Muslim. And I remember they had little trees, the sort of uh, pygmy trees. Can I say pygmy or can I say uh, short tree? Uh, no, I'm going to say pygmy tree. And they had these fiery red ants. Man, these red ants, when they would bite you, oh, you'd feel it for days. And I would climb those trees, even though they were shorty short trees, they were pygmy trees, and the red ants would try to, like, go at me, but somehow, someway, I was able to fend them off. But I remember in taking a bus with some North American schmucks putzes. They stopped in an ashram, so I stopped at the ashram with them, and... uh, If you go to an ashram in India, what happens is you walk in and there are monkeys everywhere. I mean, really, monkeys everywhere, and they're fornicating and copulating right in front of you. I say, knock it off, man. Give me a pail of cold water. Let me toss it on these monkeys. They're, like, attached to one another. And then because the North Americans were coming in, or the Europeans, dopey white people, according to the local uh, locals, they would find some thugs who pretended to be monks for the benefit of the North Americans or the Europeans who would then uh, say what appeared to be prayers in Hindi, but who the hell would know? I mean, how many people mastered Hindi who weren't born and raised in uh, in India? And then they would bring out the elephant. Oh, yeah, the elephant. And how many of their gods out of the 4,000 Hindu gods have like an elephant head, and then they got arms coming out of every part of their body, right? With a trunk. So he said Ganesh, I said Vishnu. I prefer Vishnu, he preferred Ganesh. Ganesh. 
And you want to get out of the way of those elephants, man. When those elephants all of a sudden start to get in heat, man, you better get out of the way of that, that herd of elephants. They're going to turn you into speed bumps. That happened to me right outside of Madras. It's like a herd of elephants there. And, you know, animals are sacred there. You could be a, you could be a cow. You lay down in the road. Nothing moves because, hey, the cows, they take preference. So they had these herd of elephants, and apparently it was mating season, and they had the urge to merge, and they were in heat. And they started coming in my direction. And, you know, even though I'm a city boy, I kind of understood it was time to get the hell out of there. What's that? Shamu! El Jefe! Chris Christie! As he goes up and down the Jersey Shore from Wildwood to Point Pleasant. By the way, you know it's his weekly appearance uh, with uh, Twinkle Toes. Uh, what's his name on uh, ABC you know, Sunday morning? Who is that? Stephanopoulos. You know, so uh, uh, Shamu, El Jefe, Chris Christie will say nothing of any consequence. And ABC will keep paying him to come on Sunday mornings with Twinkle Toes Stephanopoulos. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Brian, who's calling from Crown Heights. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Brian. Good morning, Curtis. Yes, Brian. Yeah, Brian from Crown Heights. Yeah, yeah, I kind of got that, Brian. <laughs> Yeah, I want to talk about Jay. My my cousin used to go to school with Jay Z. He started selling drugs in a Park Slope. It's uh John, yeah, John Jay High School. Ah, John Jay, which used to be manual training. Yep, Park Slope. So he was slinging drugs there. He was slinging drugs in the yeah. Marcy Avenue projects. He shot his older brother. He did a rap record over it that went platinum, and he made millions of dollars yeah. for shooting his brother. Yep. God. My, my cousin went to school with his friends and stuff. They hung out. They got out of there. <laughs> Let me tell you something. Before there was John Jay High School there in the heart of Park Slope, and by the way, Park Slope is having a crime problem now. They're doing smashing grabs in the jewelry stores along 7th yeah. Avenue. I mean, big time. They're just coming in there like a horde, like uh, like locusts through a cornfield. They come into the jewelry shop. They just smash everything, grab and run. Police do nothing because the people there don't call the police. They've been told by their elected officials, don't call 911. So you know who's patrolling there now, Brian? Who? The Guardian Angels. Yeah, I was about to say, they got to bring us back. Yeah, the Guardian Angels. And the old manual training high school, the vocational school that was there before John Jay, although it's the same building, Joe Pepitone went there, and he was in medals class, and he made a zip gun. He shot himself in the leg, and he almost ruined his great athletic career. Ruined it with a zip gun. I, I was locked up with Joe Pepitone. You were? What were you locked up for? Huh? Drugs? Stolen vehicle. I was a kid. Stolen vehicle. Wow. Where did you steal the vehicle? Uh, it was in 39th Street, 3rd Avenue and Sunset. And I was, got caught in Bay Ridge. Joyride. And so Joe was in the uh, the car with you for a joyride? Yeah, we were in the bullpens together in 120 Skimmer. Did you, fi- to, um, did you find yeah. out what, what he got clipped for? Yeah, coke. Wow. And you were how old at the time? Uh, I was born in 68. Okay, but now you realize that. 23, 23. Okay, but he was older than you at that point. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he was older. Yeah, no, he was a real dope fiend for a while, man. They found him in East New York in a car with another mutt scale. Uh, 
totally right, totally wired up on uh, coke and and pills, and they had pills hidden in all different parts of that car. Lucky he survived that. I think he, I think he's dried himself out. But man, he was like in the heart of the hood. Damage is done, probably. He's what? The damage is done, probably right now. Yeah, yeah. I tell you though, what a great athlete though. Hey, Brian shared the bullpen there. 100 Skimmerhorn Street, how many times I was there, right? I, how come when I was in a bullpen, I never, they never had me in there with Joe Pepitone? I was running from that elephant herd outside of Madras that was in heat. And man, it didn't care who I was. They were going to turn me into a speed bump. They were looking for female elephants. Our number's 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's go to Johnny and Reno. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Johnny. Hey, Curtis. Uh, the man was right with the Merriam-Webster definition. A white elephant is a property in real estate. It's a property that requires a lot of expense and time and maintenance with no profit. Hmm. A white elephant. Now... Are you sure that's not an albino elephant? No, it's a white elephant. Well, that's what an albino elephant is. It's white. I guess you could say albino. Yeah, well, I just did. John, yeah. John, I think you're leading me astray. You're trying to take me away from the pachyderm, the four-legged elephant with the big trunk who's going... And you're trying to steer me to real estate like all of a sudden, you know, you're... You're like, uh, you're shorting me on a stock. Well, well, what gives you? I'm talking elephants. You're talking real estate. Yeah, well, in real estate, they use the term white elephant. Really? Yep. And what does it mean in the real estate sense? It means a property that uh, returns no profit, but has a lot of maintenance and upkeep and expense. Oh, that you must uh, mean the subway system of New York City, right? With everybody not paying their fair, fair evasion at an all-time high. I think that's what he's talking about. When we come back, you're going to hear Mark Levin give me props. That's right. Mark Levin give me props for my music. James Golden, not your music. Post Snurley, not your music. Mark Levin praises my selection of music, which is EDM electronic dance music. Another side of midnight. Now to the Bernard McGurk Studios of 77 WABC. Here's Curtis Lewa. Listen to this a little bit. My son introduced me to this chase years ago. We know Curtis Sliwa loves it. It's got a great beat. I turned Mark Levin on to this EDM classic. 30 seconds. No, it's going to be more than 30, Mark. Once you hear the beat, once it moves to your groove, 
There's no way you cut it off in 30 seconds, Mark. You can't. You go. go ahead, Mark. Enjoy it. Can you imagine Mark Levin is into my music, EDM? You like this, Rich? You love it? Look, he's whistling to it, Mark Levin. I like it, too. Yeah, of course you like it, Mark. I turned it. I turned you on to it. Yeah, way more than thirty seconds. He's hooked. He's hooked. People would. They'd be shocked if we had video in here. Yeah, he's dancing. Shocked, I said. I remember right. Dead Mouse Five and Cascade. People say, why are you doing that, Killing time? I never kill time on this show. Come on, enjoy it, Mark. You're addicted now. Ever since I slipped him this I Remember song years ago. Dead Mouse 5 and Cascade is classic. Now, you imagine grumpy Mark Levin ready to scream and holler and blow out his vocal cords and this it's like a natural Prozac it had a calming effect on Mark Levin he didn't lose it the rest of that hour so any of you you're gonna take me on man you can't cause I know how to conflate the music with the topic we're talking about and we started out uh, in the aftermath of that crushing defeat that I had predicted by the Philadelphia Eagles of the New York Giants, a giant fan that I've been my entire life, but you could see what was happening and transpiring before the kickoff. And I went into a tirade of how, how we, the house of WABC, the number one news talk station in the nation, heard in 38 states, parts of Canada, a sliver of Europe, right on down at Davy Jones's locker, right next to that haven for cryptocurrency Ponzi schemers, blockchain criminals, Bitcoin bandits, better known as the Bahamas, where the government gives sanctuary to people like who was Sam Coin now Scam Coin under house arrest in Palo Alto. The biggest scam, even bigger than what Bernie Madoff did, right? And we're heard all over the world. And if you happen to have the modern technology, as you should, it's so easy to do with a smartphone, with an iPhone, and you have the app crystal clear from everywhere on the globe. But maybe not Antarctica. We'll have to find out from the penguins and the walrus. And the stream from your laptop, your workshop computer. But I went on to a tirade. You remember Broadway Bill Lee when we began. I said, what the hell has WABC become? All sports radio? Give us your oh. prediction. <laughs> prediction, Giants, Eagles, who wins on Saturday? I got it. I have to go with the Giants. I just said, I know it's the Yes. Uh, however, young team, nobody told them they can lose. They look, they look like that. Uh, last week, they looked like a young team, and we're just going to do it needed to win. You know, they may they may be a little bit uh, they're not they're not they're not killers, but they're they're terrific uh, in the red zone. So I got to go with them, and I know the Eagles are the better team, but we've beaten better teams before. And the Giants are playing their best football. Now come on, Andrew, Rudy. Well, you could have been more hopelessly wrong. Stay in your lanes. 
We're not a sports talk station. And I increasingly, and you picked up on this Broadway, Bill Lee, from the promos about the podcast to the morning show. It's like sports, 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 more and more. That's not what we are. That's not what we do. I'm going to war. I'm going to the match. You know, I've said it over and over again recently in a conversation with our owners and operators, John and Margot Katsimatidis, owners of our parent company, Red Apple Media, that the toughest part is not becoming number one. They resurrected us from the ash heap. We were dead like Lazarus. They revived us to become the number one news talk station in the nation again. The harder job is staying number one because you get distracted at the top. And your competition comes for you because they understand. They follow in your footsteps. How did you get there? They tra- they don't reinvent the wheel. They say, what did they do to become number one? And we're veering off talking about sports. Sports. So again, if, if, if Crosby does what he wants in Pittsburgh, Rangers will lose. If not, they find a way to contain him. And the Rangers superstars need to step up. I know Panarin had a goal and two assists, but he turned it over about 100 times last night. So the Rangers superstars need to too. play better. That's right. What? One of the, uh, the Penguins' uh, defense escape. So stop Crosby. Have the superstars play better. Rangers move on. If not, they're done in five. The hell is he talking about? Rangers? Hockey? You're going to kill this thing of ours. Oh, yeah, uh, there's a whole there's a whole group of people out there. They can't wait to hear a Ranger update, right? Not. Nah, I'm a Ranger fan. I don't want to hear Ranger talk on WABC or any hockey talk. Hell no. And then I heard this guy he brought on, Sid Rosenberg. Uh, Joe, what the hell was his name? Bingo Brain Benigno, you know, uh, uh, Giants are going to crush the Eagles. You couldn't be more hopelessly wrong. And you're a sports guy? I've done sports talk radio, ESPN, WABC. I've been fired twice doing sports talk radio. The best thing that ever happened to me. Because it's an addiction. And it's taking away us from our mission to remain the number one news talk station in the nation. To talk about the body polo teak. To talk about current events to talk about cultural issues and most importantly to entertain to do theater of the mind i'm hearing podcasts i'm hearing guys talking over under point spread i know what that's about degenerate gamblers that ain't happening here at wabc you over my dead body wheel housewives of new jersey but first cousins and they spell their name exactly the same the great joe beningo good morning joseph bro Sydney Arthur, the great Bernard. How are you guys? Kind of washed up. What a rent to wreck, right? What the hell is he doing over here, right? Three hours of sports talk they had on Friday morning. I know, because I was on at 7.05, and I'm going to be on on Monday at 7.05. I'm like bookends to Sid Rosenberg, and I'm going to give him grief. Three hours of talk about the Giants to beat the Eagles when you knew that wasn't going to happen? And now they'll spend three hours commiserating, well, you know, if Chuckon Barkley had done this, if Jones had done this, the angle to the dangle. Enough of that. Got to get to the basics of who we are and what we are and what we do. And nobody does it better. Why the hell would we want to be like everybody else? You think I, I, I get my sports from WABC? Come on, let's be serious, Avery. I want sports. I listen to WFAN. I listen to ESPN. I don't listen to WABC. This is war, ladies and gentlemen. It's to the mats. It's to defend this thing of ours. Give us your prediction. (laughs) Prediction, Giants, Eagles, who wins on Saturday? 
I got it. I have to go with the Giants. I just I know it's been yes. Rudy, you couldn't be more hopelessly wrong. Hey, stick to defending Donald Trump, huh? That's what you know what to do best. You know nothing about nothing about sports. Yeah, I'm listening to this Ike and Mike doing these uh, podcasts. I can't even understand what they're talking about. They say they're talking about sports. It's an act of sabotage, sabotage against this great station with the most iconic call letters in the nation. W-A-B-C. All right, let's go to uh, Ed in Staten Island. Your turn to be heard here at WABC, Ed. Okay, Curtis, good morning. Good morning, Ed. Uh, Mort Zuckerman bought the Daily News, right? Yeah, and I he remember tried to make it, He tried to make a go of it, and it couldn't work. So he offered it for sale for a dollar, and nobody wanted it. That's what a white elephant is. Now, now, hold, hold, hold on, Joe. Okay, so let's trace this back to the New York Daily News. I was the New York Daily Newspaper Boy of the Year in 1969. I was dealing 168 dailies, delivering 186 Sundays. Uh, and that's when, boy, the, that newspaper, advertisers would fight to advertise in there. Macy's would buy like half the paper in the uh, Daily News, then Coupon Wednesday, oh, my God, the women would be waiting out on the porch. But you're right. In fact, uh, our own owner-operator, John Katsimatidis, was offered uh, to buy the Daily News for a dollar, and he said no. Yep. So you that, know, they made a lot of their money from classified ads, and then Craigslist put them out of business. And so you, that is the definition of a white elephant, the New well, York Daily News. The first time I heard it, like during the raging uh, 1910s, 20s, people were building these big giant houses out in Southampton, and then the Depression hit, and all the local realtors were waiting for the market to come back and the market to come back. And finally, in, night, in the 60s, they were going to knock them down and build garden apartments because they couldn't sell them, and the owners were still paying the property tax. So they were called white elephants. So the locals... Old money, they said, no way, no way, no garden apartments, we don't want to buy schools, we don't want riffraff. So there they sat until the 80s when the Wall Street people started making cash, and then all of them got scooped up. Now, if you own a house on Dune Road in West Hampton, it's like $25 million. Ah, uh, it's a little bit too close for me. To Andrew Evilized Cuomo, King Cuomo II, the son of Mario Facha Bruta, Cuomo, King Cuomo I. With his brother Fredo, pretty boy with that muscle between both ears, and their leg breaker, wartime consigliere Joe Pacoco. They're listening to us on WLIR, our FM affiliate that goes out to the east end of Long Island. Once again, Chris Cuomo, Andrew Cuomo, dissed and dismissed Frank Morano by selling him wolf tickets. Telling him, yeah, yeah, send me an email. I might think about coming on your show. Hey, Frank, don't knock yourself out, man. Ixnay to the Cuomo say. <laughs>